Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome to the True History Show with Rama and Tara, a Faction 3 White Knights serving under the Ashtar Command. I'm Caroline Oceana Ryan, and I'm sitting in for our friend Rainbird, who has the day off. So we are again looking forward to a wonderful few hours of galactic good news, and we'll have a bit of meditation to start off with, and then a few announcements, and then Rama and Tara will come on with the latest updates. So let's just take a moment where we're breathing in deeply, slowly, just purely concentrating on our breath for a moment. And you're going to breathe in through the nose with mouth closed. And then breathe out through the mouth, just easily letting go, sort of a ha sound. Slow breath to slower, energies down. And to assist our central nervous system in calming itself, to open the heart space to higher energies. You may be feeling a bit exhausted, maybe a bit dizzy or headachy. This can happen with these higher energies. Of course, if anything persists and really feels troublesome, you'll need to get some medical intervention for that. We always encourage people to do what's best for them medically. But we would also say that if you're going to go through a huge energetic shift, it's going to affect you on every level. Sometimes intense emotion comes up, sometimes old memories. It's good to just try to be in a quiet space to allow that to come through. Maybe write, write it out. Ask yourself a few questions. What's the biggest thing I'm feeling right now? And then write it down. What's the most beautiful thing I could dream of or ask for right now? And then write that down. But just get everything sort of physically out of the body. And tapping can be very helpful as well, emotional freedom technique. So we're going to stay in that lovely deep breathing. And I wanted to share a beautiful meditation from the orindeben.com website. And this was channeled by Sinea Roman of orindeben.com. And it's called Orin's Sacred Transmuting Flame Meditation. And it's one of my favorites. It's just so beautiful. That beautiful transmuting violet flame of St. Germain addresses so much. And so Orin and the beings of light then share with us. And they say, in preparation for a great transmutation of energy. Focus now upon a great master, an enlightened one, one who holds the energy of transmutation, of bringing energy from one form into another. And whatever being you choose is fine. That being is now sending a ray of light to each of us, going to enhance our ability to transform energy taking it from one state into another, and they're just holding this beautiful space open for us. All of the light beings are working with the seventh ray, the incoming ray, the ray of alchemy and transmutation, the ray of manifestation of light into form. So we're calling now upon the power and the light and energy 
Orin and all the beings of light and all of everyone's guides. And Orin is saying that he's calling open this space, calling this power, light, and energy to open up a space for you to have an experience of the transmuting sacred flame, an aspect or part of divinity itself. So sense in front of you right now a living consciousness in the form of a sacred flame. And some see this as very tall, just enormous, very beautiful, this cool violet flame. And begin to fall into resonance with this flame. It's very aware. It's, it's utterly alive. And as you fall into resonance with this, you begin to move into this flame as if you're standing in the center of it. As if you're becoming this flame, this sacred fire of transmutation, taking you from one energy state into another. Whatever you can do here, that's fine. So you're flowing into that beautiful violet flame. And hold the intention to let it begin to come into your mind, the mental body. And it's beginning now to burn away all limiting, imprisoning thoughts and mental concepts that do not reflect to you the light of the real, but instead keep you trapped or stuck in a lesser vibration. So just let this transmuting flame begin to burn away anything and everything that says you are not perfect because all those thoughts are inaccurate reflections. All the thoughts that are distortions of reality, inaccurate concepts, all of it is just burning that away. And as this work is done, thoughts may come up as they're burned away. Just let them go. And know that this is perfect. All the imperfect thought forms from this and other lifetimes, understandings, the beliefs that came from a lesser level of light, all the thought forms that have blocked the light of the real, the light of the beautiful, that have blocked the light from reaching you, just let those be burnt away. You might not even know what they are. That's okay. Image that beautiful violet flame just doing its work. Maybe you can just image it turning something shadowy or dense into pure light. And just affirm you're ready to let these thought forms go. And you give permission to the transmuting fire to release their hold over you. And as this is happening, it's as if the sun, soul, that powerful light is beginning to burst forth in your inner mind. The rising sun of the east, the light of hope of the future of the new. So once you're ready, ask that anything, any thought that's been an illusion or misperception, anything that's kept you in the lesser pattern, ask that it be burnt away so that you may see the new pattern that needs to emerge in your life. Go ahead and take a moment to do that. Anything that's just been an illusion, a misperception that's held you in a lesser pattern, let that come forward.
and ask that it be burnt away. So you see a new pattern that needs to emerge in your life. And now let this transmitting violet flame, the sacred fire, come through your emotional body, removing the doubts, the fears, the insecurities, the desires, all the lesser energies in your emotional body that stand like a fog between you and the light. Just let this sacred fire burn through this fog so the light of day may shine through you. So it's burning through the sense of helplessness or hopelessness. It's burning through any anger, recent or old or ancient. Burning through any emotions that have held you back. And bring this into your etheric body, that blueprint that forms the physical, that records all the lifetimes of experiences. It's a web of light. And let this flame burn through this web of light, erasing all memories of failure, of discordance. Let it burn through all patterns of disease, all limitations, disintegration. This flame is all-powerful. There's no energy it cannot transmute. No memory, no feeling, no thought that it can't transmute into a much higher level. So let this flame of transmutation come into your physical body, into every cell, as if the breath of God, Goddess, has come into every cell in your body, bringing with it vitality in life. As if the sacred fire is being lit in every cell in your body, burning away all imperfection. as if you're becoming transparent. The you that is the personality self. And you're becoming the sacred fire, this fire that's omnipotent, all-powerful, loving. You're resonating with this flame. There's nothing that is standing in its way. So let it move through all four of your lower bodies now, continuing to burn away mind, emotions, spirit or etheric body, physical body, Let it continue to dissolve all imperfection from this in any lifetime, all causes that might result in negative effects. You have a master who is working with you, and the beings of light are sponsoring you in this transmutation of energy. As all that stands in the way is dissolved, see if you can become this sacred fire. And from this state, allow your consciousness to become completely peaceful, growing quieter and quieter until you come to a state of rest, no thought, no feeling. And you will come out of this state and you will go back in. Your divine self will bring you back into itself, into this state of rest, a moment in between time and out of time. And as you come out of this space, new thoughts are forming. Thoughts of beauty, thoughts that allow you to see the divine in all life and in yourself. Thoughts of hope, thoughts that are clear and reflect reality and that let, that tell you the truth of who you are. The beauty of the light within you, illumined thoughts. 
Just feel your divine self through resonance, putting you in touch with new thoughts that open the way to a new future, the new forms, the new life ahead. Thoughts that refuse and reject all thoughts of limitation, all limiting thoughts, every thought that does not show you the real. All the thoughts that are coming out of your divine self are thoughts that show you how to reach enlightenment, that you are already enlightened. You just haven't realized it yet, but you're rapidly doing so. So go back in now to this state of complete peace. Let your divine self draw you in. And as you come out, new emotions are being stimulated, emotions of trust in the universe knowing that you always have everything you need when and as you need it. Feelings of joy, of expansiveness, of spaciousness in your life, going into the divine self, coming out with more joy, more peace, more harmony. So feel yourself coming together in a new way, a new alignment with higher light, as if the sun is rising, a new level of illumination is coming into your life, the light of the real, of the divine, and feel your resonance with this light. Your energy is so stable, so harmonious, so clear, that you are in resonance with this higher light. And holding this resonance, turn to an area of your life you would love to transform. All you need to do is stay in this state, this sacred flame, the divine self, the resonance, with this higher light and just hold this area until it comes into resonance with this space. Until all that is left of this area is beauty and light. So hold that beautiful area of your life, whatever it is, however troubled it might be, hold it in this sacred flame that you're in Holding it as your divine self. And know that it's coming into resonance with this light. And in this light, you turn to a new area of your life, one that has not yet taken form, the future, and just hold this pattern of beauty. As you hold this state where your thoughts are pure, your emotions are clear, you have transmuted much of the filters, you have projected onto reality. So that what will manifest will be in harmony with the state of your divine self. So just let this sacred fire transmute anything, any energy within you at any level that might distort what you experience in this new area of your life. Any memories from the past, any sense of failure, any fear, let it take this away until you're facing this future situation with the light of confidence, of power and beauty, of trust, a knowingness of who you are. And this new area comes about. And as that happens, see it happening with beautiful, precise energy. You're guided in every moment how to create it and bring it into form. And you do not need to know what that form will be or when or how it will come about. Just know it will be in resonance with the state that you are creating it from. Now, take this beautiful space, this 
sacred space, a sacred flame. And let's hold the world in this transmuting sacred fire. Just image you're holding the globe in your hands and put it inside that beautiful violet flame. And ask that all that can be released from humanity be released. All the thought forms, all the emotions, all the karma, the ancient patterns. Let us hold together this sacred transmuting flame, this fire, as if we are encircling the world. And see the light of the rising sun, the light of the new, dawning on humanity. New thoughts, new feelings, fresh perspectives, the light coming up for humanity. It's as if everyone is starting to wake up from a deep sleep. The mist and the fogs are leaving and the light of the real is dawning. So mode it be. Very, very beautiful invocation and meditation from the higher being known as Orin, O-R-I-N, and you can find us at Orin Daben. Dot com O R I N is in Nancy, D is in David, A B E N is in Nancy, or in So we give thanks to those dear ones. And so we've got just a few basic announcements before we get started. As always, Ram and Tara do always wish to call in $300 a week to cover their hosting fees at BBS Radio. That's really important because. They can't get this information out to you other than through these radio stations. They reach thousands. They do reach people through their website, rainbowroundtable.net. But to speak words of truth with the voice sends a light out into the world. And this is very, very important. So if you can, if you would like to contribute, you would just go to bbsradio.com station two. You can look for listing a night at the roundtable. That's the Thursday show. You can look for Hard News on Friday. It's there on the right where they list all the shows. Hard News on Friday. Or this Saturday program, The True History. And you would just click onto the program listing, and that will bring you up to the show. And You can access Ram and Tara's account at BBS that way. You just click on the Donate button on the left. You can make a donation using your credit or debit card or PayPal. And if you want, you can go to rainbowroundtable.net where they have their news updates. We just posted a new one today, which is rather amazing, I think. And at rainbowroundtable.net, you would just go to the, the donate page. You'll see it up there in the menu. If you prefer, you can just use Rama's PayPal email address, which is Quran. K-O-R-A-N, pardon, 9999, at hotmail.com. So you would just sign into your PayPal account and click on to send money. And for the email, put in Quran999 at hotmail.com. Put in the amount you'd like to send. And then on the next page, once it gives you a chance, choose send to friends or send to friends and family. I think it might say sending to a friend. I think it might say that at this point. I never remember. 
You can email Rama if you'd like to let him know you're sending a contribution at Quran999 at Comcast.net. Of course, some people prefer to send in a check. Totally great. You would send that to Ram D. Berkowitz. And the P.O. Box is 280. P.O. Box 280. Santa Cruz, New Mexico. 87567. And you can also contribute through freemart.com. And for that, you would go to shop freemart.com forward slash Taram, T-A-R-R-A-M. So it's their two names combined. They have wonderful holistic health products there that you might be interested in looking into. So joining Freemart is a great idea. You automatically become a member for free. It doesn't cost a thing to join. And you automatically then become an affiliate, which is great because all of the profits from any sales go to the affiliates. They don't go to the CEO. So it's a very newer kind of situation. And you might also want to look into newgencoin.com and the information there is connected to Freemart, created by the same people. So, okay, wonderful. Um, I should have said, actually, you know, um, Ram and Tara are still asking, uh, calling forth, support for gasoline, food for their furry family members, the Peshats, <laughs> the cats, and for themselves. Uh, so food, gasoline, basics. Uh, Rama's cell phone bill is 125 He has to speak on a special phone that won't get um, listened to by just anybody, shall we say, and um, that's vital. So he can do his job and get us these news updates, as well as contribute his own energies in his Earth mission. So that comes to about 675 So you might be thinking, oh, gosh, I've only got 8 or $10 to send in or only $5. Totally fine. Completely fine. As I was saying yesterday, if 100 people did that, fantastic. <laughs> Everything taken care of in one fell swoop. And we support one another this way. And then, of course, with BBS, they would require $300 for the weekly uh, hosting fee. So um, really, you know, Rama's uh, boss has been very clear. He can't draw a salary anywhere. This work has to be supported by the light community. And what that does is create a beautiful network of light, all of us working cooperatively to support those who are right on the front lines and also to contribute our heart-based energies. Um, money is shifting, I feel, shifting energetically. It's no longer solely in the hands of those who are, frankly, crooks. Um, and so you and I are becoming more empowered on that front. So whatever we give our money to, we give our life energy to and also our light. And so thank you so much, everyone, for the beautiful contributions that they've already been receiving and for whatever is sent in today. So, all right, I'll uh, hand that multicolored feather, quixicotal feathered um, fairy dust talking stick over to our friends. Uh, Raman Tara, and we'll hopefully hear some more exciting news. So here comes the talking stick on its way. Sailing right over to you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. Caroline. <laughs> Caroline. <laughs> That's so yeah. funny. Um, <laughs> please forgive me, Caroline. Um, <laughs> Um, 
I was just going to say we are really uh, amazingly uh, fortunate to be living in an age where you can transfer information that's delivered on these electronic airways in a pretty much like a split second onto the internet and it goes across the planet. And I, as I was, uh, honoring that because Dr. Cornell West, whom Rama got to hear on public radio international today, uh, he was talking about Juneteenth. And he started off saying that uh, it took two years after the Declaration of the Emancipation Proclamation, oh. which was in 1863. It took until two, two more years until 1865 for the Western, Western states or the Western territories to even get the message that it had happened. Yes. And... <laughs> And he was bringing it into the present context, saying, why are we still giving, you know, millions and billions of dollars away to the empire so they can kill us? That's simple. You know? Yeah, we said some big figures about that regarding this last two, three years. Think about who you're putting in your ballot and who you are voting for. Because these people, blaze the violet fire, won't say anything. You know, I mean, learning the ways of the force, Archbishop Desmond Tutu said, praise them, love them. Praise <laughs> them, respect them, thank them, love them. Right, have compassion for them, and I won't say anything ill. But Dr. West was calling them out, calling them white colonists who invaded this Turtle Island, North and South America, and they need to be held accountable. This is and not over, their land. over about 500 years, they murdered over 200 million Native Americans just on the turf of what we call the United States. He spoke about the mound builders in Poverty Point in the South and the people that the mound builders are connected with the fairy folk and the hobbits and the dwarves and the elves and these stories go about all over the planet because these are our relatives <laughs> and they don't want to talk about this in regular school uh, you know they um, whip out the Thorazine or the whatever they give you these days because you're tripping and saying that you're talking to elves and fairies. <laughs> I'm just saying all the legends and stories are real. And what is being fed to our kids right now is BS. All the schools in this country. And it is about the doctrine that has to do with the old timeline of keeping people... Doctrine of discovery from the Vatican. <clears throat> The old timeline of the slave consciousness. And, you know, I just gotta say, Dr. West gives great hope to the people with what he speaks of. He's mm -hmm. like a preacher, kinda like Reverend Al Sharpton, but 
he knows how to come in a loving way that's humorous. And sometimes that doesn't come across with these talking heads that, you know, are told what to say by the corporate um, fingers of Sauron, so to speak. But that's basically what I heard today is Dr. Cornell West. I didn't talk to anyone today. It's been just the energies are flying by. Time is upticked some more. Yeah. Yeah, we have all noticed that the time has been speeding up. I'm just saying I noticed that it doubled. Just it seems like overnight. The speed-up process. Yeah, and I think it has to do with the anomalies I keep talking about where space and time and different realms are overlapping, intersecting with this. And they call it the Great Convergence. And what that has to do with, with all when all the nine worlds line up, all the nine realms, uh, folks show up out of the nine realms, and it is about what the return of Quetzalcoatl, the return of the other ancient masters, teachers. Um, I was hearing on Singing Wire today also, they were talking about this great return the age of the sixth sun, where there has to be this great purification, and then um, the great masters, teachers, the Kachinas return with the wisdom. And I know that they have different um, legends and traditions I don't know the languages, and, but they have different kachinas that represent spiritual teachers and masters that come from all the planets in our solar system. And um, the Hopis know about them, the um, Zuni people, the Taos Pueblo people, but they don't share this with the rest of the world. And, you know, I don't know what to say about that. It's about how we learn each other's cultures from the great Akash, the Akashic Records. I passed the talking stick. Hmm. Um, I was just going to read the subtitle up there. It says, Senators... Oops. <laughs> um, I'm Tara. Yeah. I'm Tara. Hi, sorry, it's Caroline again. Um... I don't know if you wanted to repeat the most recent uh, news update. It's also on the website at rainbowroundtable.net under news updates. And it's the one that was just put out today. I was wondering if you wanted to repeat what Rama heard from. He got a text, I guess it was, from Natasha about Sergei Lavrov giving an interview. And that was pretty dang interesting information. If you wanted to repeat that today. Uh, yes. Uh, 
I got a text from Natasha yesterday, and Natasha talked about how uh, foreign uh, the foreign minister Sergey Lavrov spoke of Russia. Of Russia spoke exclusively in an interview on BBC News how what's going on in Ukraine is a special military operation by Russia to remove the Khazarian Nazis. You are not going to hear that from any news network, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, terrestrial radio TV stations. They just won't go there. The FCC is still controlled by a guy named Aji Pai, who is tied in with the 13 families who answer to the Fallen angels. This is the biggest story ever. And what Natasha shared with me is Zelensky over there and the U.S. are pumping so many weapons. It's like insane. And I heard this today. And we're uh, paying for it. We're paying for it. I heard this today on BBC News of all places. I don't think it was said on regular uh you know, U.S. news, but there was a a gun buyback in Florida, and they were offering two hundred to five hundred dollars for the guns. They're going to turn around and send the guns to Ukraine for Mister Zelensky to kill Russians. What's wrong with this picture, folks? Well, that's not the that's not the most difficult subject. I the most difficult subject is Zelensky is killing his own Ukrainian people. And, saying, and the Russians are not doing that. What they're right. doing is what Rama just said. And and in addition to that, there when those weapons come in, as soon as they can get their hands on them, they're blowing up the weapons so they can't be used for Zelensky to kill his own people with. So the heroes, if you want to make one out of this story, are the Russians that are in there uh, preventing the Western Empire with Zelensky as the key, you know, the president of Ukraine from doing what they're doing. Because in this story, they're siding with the the uh, the Nazis that are in there. We are in a very, very most unique stuff. time to be on the planet. And like the, the saying goes, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And, you know, I have to just send more love and use the force and place a violet fire. Again, just to make the story simple, the elitist oligarchical hierarchy that overlords it over all the rest of the elites and all the rest of the uh, hierarchy below them are fighting each other. And ultimately, this story that more and more keeps coming to the surface is about Iraq, Iraq, uh, the fallen angels, the Nephilim, and it directly relates with what's going on with how our history and her story have been convoluted to hide the truth from the people, like Matthias 
talks about all the time. And it is a trip. Oh, I heard something that's not so good news. Two or three Sikhs today were in, uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan. I think there's a Sikh, um, temple or compound there near Kabul and they were killed and they're saying that it was done by ISIL. <gasps> That's yeah. our people. It's the black ops once again. Embrace the violent fire, put these people in the circle of support. Oh, please. That's horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a little bit hairy, though, for them to show up in Afghanistan like that. I don't know what to say. I just heard it on the radio. It's a trip. I understand, but what I'm saying is that it's not really safe to just come from someplace else and go there and think that everything's honky-dory. Yeah. Do you know if they were natives of Afghanistan? I think that it, they might have been. I don't know enough about it. I, I haven't had time to I've go never and heard look at if the there's story. a Sikh uh, establishment in Afghanistan. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's news to me. So then you don't know. I don't know. But Pakistan is right next door. And there's definitely a Sikh temple there. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'll just say the energies are totally amping up. And the best thing we could do. Well, let's start. Thank you, Caroline, for having us look at that. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Happy to. You got any more wise inquiries from you or that collective? Um, from wise inquiries from the collective? Yeah. I can ask them if they've got anything they would like you to, to speak on. Um, they understand probably as much or more than Rama does. Yeah. <laughs> some, of them, some of the people he talks to are in the collective. Um, Okay. The global circles of plasmatic light that you saw the sun sending out, um, Rama, um, last Friday when you were sitting in the plasma field and um, it said you focus on the energies coming in from the sun and then you saw the sun on on a holographic image up in the air. You saw these global circles of plasmatic light. And they went out across the solar system and headed into deep space. And, I mean, um, what do you think that they're offering us? I, I don't think that, that it's only a matter of, um, of course, it is a huge thing for people's consciousness to lift to a higher vibration. But um, I feel like they're shifting the events on our timeline. Is that possible? Yes, and I think that... Those golden circles are encoded with tons of information like a, you know... Uh, a new blueprint for a new It's kind of like one of those little hard drives you stick into a, um, you know, USB port. Yeah, this, a little stick, yeah. Yeah, and I think that those circles going out across the, you know, solar system are like... 
Um, uh, <laughs> one of those little hard drives. Memory sticks? Yeah, memory stick. And mm-hmm. it's sharing the wisdom from the sun as it interacts with the rest of what we understand is the the cosmic rays, the dust, the particles, the comets, the asteroids. I know that they all have a principle in the um, quantum physics of how they interact with us and the other celestial bodies. Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't know enough about what they do, but I know it's about... I think that there's something to it that they're tripping our memories that haven't been educated, I mean, you know, taught to us in school that were intentionally kept from us to learn about. And I think that's overriding that, uh, you might say, dark agenda that's wanting to keep us dumb, dumb, and dumber. Yeah. And it's not working. No. Does that make any sense, Caroline? Yeah, I follow. I I completely agree. I feel like, you know, this light and affecting all the different uh, star, star systems and planets, etc. I feel like it's now in a whole new conversation with our Earth and with our consciousness. And, you know, maybe people who are more evolved, other, other species in the universe are very aware of that conversation going on and uh, of the connection. And they're able to draw whatever's needed, whether to lift their consciousness or for healing or for a resolution to a conflict or whatever, they're able to draw that from this plasmatic light and or the wisdom of one planetary soul or another. And we're starting to tap into that now. We just don't realize it for the most part. Yeah, I think you're conscious. Right. I'm just, we're going to play a couple of things today that are just going to, do some more of that tripping light, you might yeah. say, to a, a, a level of, oh, I, aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, they have gotten us squabbling over things that are so irrelevant, it's pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not to mention the color of somebody's skin, because nobody is their bodies. Nobody. Uh, you know what else I'm wondering about, Rama, has King of Swords or anybody commented to you about how they're trying to wreck the economy and making everyday commodities, gasoline, food, etc., um, so expensive and also these private equity firms buying up residential homes and knocking people out of the what was it, a property ladder? Did, have, has anyone commented to you about that? No, they haven't. But what I know about this is is that the, the, the system that is currently in existence with Wall Street is not based in ethics. And 
No, and the access to how to make money from that entity is left to very elite group of people. And those very elite group of people... Who already have more money than they don't know where to put... They have lost their soul matrix, and they are literally just machines in the matrix. And how do you add... Well, we send them more love, too. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Even the machines need love. (laughs) That's how Neo made it through the matrix. (laughs) But I can just say, there is something that has to do with the crypto coin and what... Um, John Austin is doing with the new gen coin. We got to just kind of change that attitude because the new gen coin is in a class of its own. Yeah. It's not, it it hasn't even been put on the exchange yet. It's going to be though at the end of this month or the beginning of next month. Yet the way that they configured it and the backup they've got, they don't know any other coin that's got that, because that, they're building 75, uh, well, they're, they're buying 75 farms across all of the southern part of Canada, which is the ideal, the ideal climate for growing hemp. Yes. And hemp is going to completely replace cotton across the planet. And it's a very vital thing because we have a major water shortage on the planet because of the abuse and misuse of, especially... And they have genetically altered the cotton because it's not really cotton. It's kind of Monsanto cotton, which is not really what you want to put on your body. I don't know how they... (laughs) Well, I'm not sure what you're talking about other than that. I think they genetically modified the cotton plant. So when they grow... Cotton plants. Well, is it toxic to your I skin? don't know even how to answer that. No. What I'm, I what I'm, it's, it's not I, as natural. Um, uh, that's why people now are looking for the label that says organic cotton. Mm-hmm. Right. Even at that, no matter whether it's organic or synthetic, it takes it ten times more water to grow cotton than it does to grow hemp. Oh. Oh, and that's a big deal mm-hmm. because right now it's they use so much water to frack for oil. It's obscene. I don't know the numbers, but it's obscene. And then it can never be used again for drinking or anything. And they just bury it back under the ground. And it's absolutely, completely poisonous. And that's that brought me to mind because... Uh, Last night on the conference call, Randy was talking about these, how many cows, 2,000 cows that were killed in Kansas. Yeah. And he described that they, uh, there was a riverbed that has been dry for years and years and years. And um, they filled the whole place with water, but it was poisonous water which killed the cows. And I was saying, this sounds like an experiment that they're going to do with other places. And that's how the evil is. But um, I'm just saying, it's time for them to go. And Mother keeps saying this is a nonviolent process. And so 
the energy of love and the way that we remain in unconditional divine neutrality with that process of sending love to those that are pretty much lost on their way is the way that this works. It's, it's you either surrender or mother helps you out. <laughs> it takes you another place. Uh, so Caroline and Rama, uh, Padme, you want to join this conversation? I see you're online too, Padme. <laughs> Greetings. Thank you for the start of a lovely show. Uh, Caroline, that was a fantastic opening. Thank you so kindly. And, of course. Uh, thank you both. It really was. It was, uh, in every way. Uh, and, uh, and make, and the way you worded all the, please don't forget to donate because they have requirements and responsibilities. So thank you. And, uh, I do buy, I was gonna just, say Rama is correct on the cotton thing. It is not cotton or whatever they're using. It, uh, I've gotten into several different pieces from different uh, things in the last two years, and it has a... Um, it smells like the petroleum-based chemical laundry detergent that's out there, all of it. It's, and it, there's, it's not really cotton anymore, and the way they're washing it is it has a distinct... Um, uh, I would say petroleum-based detergent in it. So from the start, it's coated. Um, so anyway, I just want to say that, and thank you. I'll be staying tuned in for a lovely afternoon and evening. So blessings and lots of love. Thank you, Commander. Thank you. Thank you. May the force be with you. Thank you. And you as well. <laughs> okay, are we... Ready to move to the next project here, everybody, Caroline, Tara, Rama? Yes. <laughs> yes, sure. Okay. Introduce this, Rama. Okay, this is Dr. Richard Wolf talking about the economic, political, and social crisis of the United States. And, you know, he may not exactly say what I'm saying about the... Uh, Life forms on Wall Street, but it gets pretty close. He's a faction three white knight. Yeah. That means he's equal to all the 44 people that Rum has a phone number to for the faction three white knights team. And so, um, he's very wise. So here we go. It starts out a little loud. This is 53 minutes, everybody. Settle in. (laughs) I am going to talk about. Whoops. (laughs) <laughs> you got to turn the sound up. That's all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. There we go. I am going to talk about the economic and political and social crisis of the United States at this time. And I'm going to do it borrowing from a wonderful Christian philosopher of a long time ago, a German named Hegel. And uh, his greatest student, by the way, was Karl Marx. And my work is influenced by both of those uh, enormously productive thinkers. Hegel's contribution was to teach us that all things that we can think about all things. Okay, we have to stop it because emergency. Randy, Captain Randy, you're online too. 
Greetings, Tar and Ram and the rest of the crew. Greetings. Did you hear about did you hear about the staff of Stephen Colbert was arrested last night in the Capitol? No. Do you know anything about that? No. Yes. Just a second. I'll see if I can find it and, and, and read it to you. Oh my god. Holy cow, what did he do? <laughs> Wow. I was just going to say that uh, I know that... The television production team that was in Washington to to record a segment for the Late Show with Stephen Colbert was detained Thursday night in a House representative's building, according to spokesman for the show. Seven people were charged after disturbances reported Thursday night. The Longworth House office building, the U.S. Capitol Police, said Friday in a statement. They gave no names or affiliations, and the police public information office declined to give details beyond what is in the statement. According to the statement, officers saw seven people in a six-floor hallway at the time when the building was closed to visitors. The people were part of a group that had been directed by police to leave the building earlier in the day, the statement said. They were charged with unlawful entry, according to the police statement. A statement from CBS said, Triumph the Insult Comic Dog was on site at the Capitol Wednesday and Thursday with a production team to record interviews for a comedy segment on behalf of the late show with Stephen Colbert. The spokesman said the group's interviews were authorized and had been arranged through aides to the members of Congress interviews. After leaving an office on the day's last interview, the spokesperson said the production team stayed to film stand-ups and other final comedy elements in the halls when they were detained by officers of the Capitol Police. So officers of the Capitol Police, you're talking about being in Washington, D.C., that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wherever that, in the House of Representatives building on Capitol Hill. And is that normal for Stephen Colbert's staff to be in the halls of? I don't know. Yeah, I haven't heard about this, Randy. By the sounds of it, they had they had permission and stuff. I'll send this article to Penny so she can put it in the newsletter. Okay. Okay, and Penny, send it. And to the me. thing with the other thing with uh, with these these cattle is there are strange pictures shown of the cattle upside down on their backs. That's because the farmer had to take them and put them like that so they could incinerate them. No. In Britain, I got a I got a message last night that the farmers are getting paid up to three thousand dollars per head of cattle to destroy them. Why? In Britain. Uh, because uh, of, of all this, the new viruses are now spreading to the, the monkeypox is now spreading to the animals. Oh, Give me a break. no. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. I've got very good, a really nice sea sword resort beach on Mars. You can send a down payment money right away. Okay, Commander. <laughs> if, if, if you believe that story, okay. 
Have a good day. It's been a great show so far. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. I would just highly recommend while they're planning on paying people to kill cows uh, and that inference is the monkey pots is getting into the cow. Uh, I would just refrain from eating that stuff for a moment in time, folks. Yeah. If you're still, if you if you are prone to eating meat, um, it's time to give the cows a break. Well, it's not just that; it's not exactly a healthy thing that's no, going it's on. It's, uh, I mean, and I mean, Stephen Colbert is a very wizard-like character where he implicates people while he's making them laugh. He's implicating higher powers. Yeah, whatever may have happened there, I will ask some questions. What can I say? We yes, let it go well, back. When you get it, you can send it to the king, and then we'll get a report. Okay, let's continue here. Our captain, uh, uh, Richard Wolf. Richard Wolf. Here we go. That are in the world are, as he put it in a perpetual state of contradiction and change. We know that from popular wisdom, which says every good thing has a bad side, every bad thing has a good side, every blessing is also wrapped in a curse, and vice versa. Hegel made this comment in a general philosophic way. His student, Karl Marx, applied it to the economic system of his time, capitalism, which has survived until it's also the economic system of our time. And he said that it has its good parts, but it also has its bad parts. And that the dynamic of change of capitalism is a struggle, if you like, a contest, a shifting balance between the positive and the negatives as they change each other and as they are changed by the larger context of nature, of history, and of all the cultural phenomena of our lives. Please keep this balance of the positive and the negative in your mind. Because I'm going to try to explain in the time that we have what the problems of U.S. capitalism are, and they are daunting. And I'm also going to conclude by talking about a way out, a way forward, building on certain positivities of this capitalist system that give us a chance to get out of the dilemmas that are crowding in on us. So let me begin. I believe we are in a period of time which can best be captured by the following somewhat scary understanding. The American period of empire, which is now roughly a 100 years old, we became the dominant economic power in the world as a result of World War I. In that war, the dominant capitalist country of the previous 
two centuries, namely Great Britain, was finally destroyed. The only other contender for dominant economic power at that time, 100 years ago, was Germany. And what basically happened was that the German and British empires destroyed one another in that great conflagration, World War One, which also took down virtually every other aspiring would-be economic empire, the Austro-Hungarian, the French, and so forth. What emerged was a century of U.S. economic dominance. It was a century in which American capitalism grew spectacularly, consolidated its global position after World War II, literally by doing something no empire had done before. Even the British Empire, with its far-flung colonial system, of which the United States had been a part, even the British Empire could not and did not equal what the United States was able to accomplish between 1921 and now. The dollar became the world currency that everybody basically used. I'm assuming most of you know that even to this day, most of the central banks that govern the financial world around the world keep a disproportionate portion of their reserves what they have to back their currencies in holdings of U.S. dollars. No other country comes close in the last hundred years to the economic, political, military, and cultural dominance the United States achieved. Our culture, based on advertising, became dominant around the world. Our culture based on movies, radio, television, book publishing, and I could go on, became dominant globally. And the bases, the military bases, thousands of them scattered across all continents had never been seen in the history of the world before. A heady time and not fundamentally threatened by anyone. I know this goes against the grain of what many have been taught, but it is typical of empires to downplay at the same time that they celebrate their empire. There's that Hegelian contradiction. On the one hand, you flaunt your power and your Okay, I guess we just gotta say, Carrollton, you're on line one. This is, uh. You know, I was trying to catch you before you started the, uh, you know, the, the, the segment there. I didn't want to interrupt with that. I could, I could, I can wait if you want. No, no, go ahead, cause we're, it's, it's in the moment here, Commander. Go ahead. In the moment. Well, um, just follow up. I looked that up. When Randy brought that up, yeah, so apparently uh the Colbert crew was um 
you know, they were shooting a segment and they, you know, uh, and they had and conducting inter- interviews at the Capitol and it was all, you know, prearranged and approved. But then they hung around a little late. And um, I guess there's the question is whether they were authorized to still be there after they were supposed to be done. And I guess the Capitol Police, especially given, given the, the heightened uh, situation there after January 6th, they said, no, you are, you're not supposed to be here. So apparently um, it was enough of a, you know, one of two things happened because uh, Fox News jumped all over it, of course, um, and tried to link Adam Schiff to the 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 breach of security so to speak right you know they're always trying to villainize him so um the that's the question that they're going to have to ferret out uh was a cbs you know big time corporate media type with uh good old stephen colbert still in the mix was was that crew authorized to be there when the Capitol Police told them time was up, you know. I don't, so that's what they got to figure out. Huh. That's very interesting. I just this. Yeah. But the, so, and then the question is, you know, what did our, our did did some Republican? You, you know how that's going to work, right? Uh-huh. Did Republicans? Uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, election deniers, did they, uh, contact their sources in the Capitol Police to lean on this crew? Or is it really just a case of, hey, we gotta take every security breach seriously and you guys have secu- you guys have press passes and everything, but we didn't say you could be there this long. That that story has to get sorted out. But Fox News went berserk, you know, um, vilifying uh, Adam Schiff and, and the Democrats on allowing a security breach to try to make it look like the security breach that Loudermilk and those guys allowed, you know, saying, yeah, here's where you can here's where you can break in. Here's where you can cut in. And, you know, here's where you can hide out and everything they did January 5th and 6th. Right. I'm just thinking. They're trying to equate it. They're trying to say it's the same thing. It's a battle battle between the Republicans and the Democrats. And, I mean, except for, you know, the progressives, the squad and in the Democratic Party, those others in the Democratic Party and the Republicans have so many dirty pasts to them. Yeah, the bodies go to the sky and beyond the planet. And not only that, they're engaged in all kinds of sexual perversion. Uh, I'm not kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, yep. you know, if if they want to go after somebody, then they got to expect to be gone after, you know. So that's, that's right. And Steve Colbert. Oh, yeah, that's what's going on there. Pick on Steve Colbert. I mean, I'm so grateful. So today is Saturday, so we're not going to hear what he's got to say about this, you know, on his show until Monday, I guess. Monday, Tuesday. Oh, boy, I hope he comes up with something clever. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, and that's the thing. That's the only challenge with a show like that, you know, because I can see him. You know, obviously they're going to do because it it was a comedic skit. They're going to do it, right? But you're going to have to use a lot of discernment to determine 
what part of this he's serious about and what part he's kidding about, you know? So uh, uh, he, I think he's going to have to really, really make it clear when he comes on, saying, hey, here's what the situation is, and make sure it's not a joke. Yeah. You know? In other words, he's going to have to get serious about his funny show. Right, right. Now, on a, uh, back on that other subject um, about uh, Mr. Austin's uh, uh, cryptocurrency, um, might not be anything for us to answer on this show, but what I'm going to be listening for is, I mean, I like the connection with hemp and I like what you're saying about, uh, you know, the importance of hemp, um, in, a, in, 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 you know, to kind of replace cotton, um, <clears throat> cause hemp's been a great fiber for centuries, of course, but he's going to have to, um, have some sort, something really, um, data driven and somehow spiritual at the same time to explain why he's he's developing cryptocurrency that's supposed to be so different and so far out of, you know, the current matrix, but then he's going to put it right in the matrix on a stock exchange. Come on. It has to, by the rules, it has to go on the exchange. has to. Yeah, and, but who's, and- whose rules count? I mean, when... When when are when are the old rules gonna get burned? I mean, what's up? When the Sarah's enacted into law, Carlson. You see what I'm saying? So I don't know. I'll be listening for that, but I I don't, I don't want to beat it up because I don't have all the answers. But that just seems contradictory a little bit, you know? No, I I I, I I'm just saying what I am feeling, and also what we're observing is that there's some weird stuff going on here. Where they are in Desperateville, uh, in terms of the you got to you got to remember who owns the stock exchange. Yeah, who owns it? Who owns it? You know, if if if, if uh, uh, it's a guy here here in Georgia. Remember Kelly? Remember Kelly Leffler was a senator for a hot second. U.S. senator is hit is hit her husband. Yeah, they oh, own uh, yeah. that nice long blonde girl, young woman. Yeah, exactly. I mean. They're not gonna. They're they're not gonna let. One would think, anyway. They're not gonna just let. Uh, you know, a stock like that. Um, flourish on a stock exchange. So I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, this is a thought out loud, Carlton, because uh, there was a story we covered in the last couple of weeks where the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, uh, you might say pretty much started the full takedown of the Vatican because the Vatican owns them, owes them, I don't know how much, billions of trillions. In other words, they did, they got, they got after him and I don't really know the details of that story. Maybe you can find it, Carlton. Or Rama, do you know the details of that story? But the Vatican's mm. going down now. Yes, it is. And there is no politician that doesn't have to answer to the Vatican. So here's the Russian Orthodox Church taking that Vatican down to which every politician has to answer to, which means that's a domino effect. So the political structure of the old order, that's, I mean, we're going to go listen to Mr. Wolf because he's going to tell us 
what's going on in the political structure, in the economic structure, in the social structure of the United States. And it's called capitalism, and a capitalism is defunct. It's not a part of this. And that's what the King of Swords was saying. Back to you, Carlton, on on John Austin's system. He said it's not in based in that system, even though it's, you know, required to go on what's there for the now. In other words, I was always yeah. told... I was always told to take the existing structures and give them a new use. That's what John Austin's doing. So the Russian Orthodox Church is going after the Vatican for money? Yes, Mama. Do you remember the story? Yeah, the um, Vatican owes the Russian Orthodox Church a ton of money. Could be trillions. Yeah. Yeah, But you know why? I don't know enough about it to say. I know you know how to dig for stories, Carlton, but Rama can go and talk to his people too, but probably not till. I'll look, yeah, I'll look for that one because that seems like it's not, that seems like uh, a part of the puzzle that we're trying to fit together so we understand, you know, the, this whole long story because that sounds very Kazarian and it sounds like it ties right into the war going on right now. Exactly. And, you know, that goes back, you know, Putin is sitting in an underground base underneath Mongolia and they've got a lookalike out there and the oligarchs of Russia, uh, oligarchs, I don't know if it's say if it's out, uh, but in particular, I could say that Rama, the articles of our oligarchs of Russia and the oligarchs of the United States are really going for the throat. Mm-hmm. They are going after each other big time. And Putin making this move, again, if you were listening a little bit earlier, he's making this move not after Ukraine, after the Nazis that moved out of Germany and made their home in southern Ukraine. Yeah. And now those Nazis are doing what they're doing and Russia stepping in and says, no, you're not. We don't need a world war three right now. You know, that kind of thing. And in the meantime, Joe Biden dead for almost three years now being (laughs) used by the oligarchs of the West is ordering up more and more fancy weaponry that is so lethal. You might as well nuke them. In other words, it's that evil. And and he is not, even though he's not alive, I'm going to just say that he's been programmed for something like 47 years in politics. And he's demonstrated in the past, it's just like, it's so weird because he's been racist his whole time. And now they're saying he's such a nice guy and they're putting all kinds of black people in the, uh, and I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying that there is something going on where the intervention of Faction 3 White Knights in combination with the Galactics is at work here. Does that help any, Carl? Sure needs to be because uh, the more we talk, the more it just gets amazing. Because if you're, if you're, because I, I, I did hear that report at the end of this week that now, now, uh, they're, they're looking at another billion dollars in weaponry. To yep. supply to Ukraine, um, it's, it's that's really, a proxy war. It's it is, and it's it's Russia versus the United States. That's the eagle and the bear. And there was a prophecy. It says 
when the eagle and the bear go up against the dragon. That's Russia and the United States pairing up against China. Well, it's part of revelations. Yeah. So we're right here. We're That's right here. That's a proxy here. war. I mean. Yes, and and in real terms, when we're listening to more deeper um, alternative talk radios, they're saying China's way ahead of the United States economically already, but they don't want to admit it. And that, and we help them do that because we're exporting all the jobs to China for dirt cheap, you know, slave labor so that we can get those things that, that we want over here from over there. And again, I don't know the whole story except that I know that President Xi, President Obama, and President Putin are working with galactics and they are working for the light in spite of the depiction of the oligarchical depiction on this, this ground floor third dimensional media reporting. The, the Chinese are working what, with. What, and, and are we, are you also going to be addressing, uh, this story yesterday with, uh, the vac- uh, COVID vaccine being approved for uh, for babies now and, and uh, kids. Six months to Starting at six genocide. months. Is, uh, it's called word. genocide. That's the one word. I have word one word, is. Carlton. It's called genocide. But see, Caroline's collective said that because it's so evil, that the galactics are pretty much, because there's enough of us, even if it's a small group, it's still enough of us that are following a higher awareness that they are required to intervene but they cannot do that unless we continue to exercise our free will to call them in and that's why we're here thank you carlton yeah thank you i'll um i'll be listening in always good let's see what this wise elder faction three white knight uh, professor wolf is going to continue to say rama should I back it up? Thank you. I'll uh, I'll I'll, I'll let you guys take it from here. Thank you. Appreciate so much. That was wonderful. Let's let's back it up so that we can have this be cohesive. Like all the way to the beginning. Yeah, let's start over. Okay. Yeah, we'll all understand better. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Here we go. Wow. Takes a moment. <clears throat> I, I am going to talk about the, the economic and political and social crisis of the United States at this time. And I'm going to do it borrowing from a wonderful Christian philosopher of a long time ago a German named Hegel. And uh, his greatest student, by the way, was Karl Marx. And my work is influenced by both of those uh, enormously productive thinkers. Hegel's contribution was to teach us that all things that we can think about, all things that are in the world, are, as he put it, in a perpetual state of contradiction and change. 
We know that from popular wisdom, which says every good thing has a bad side, every bad thing has a good side, every blessing is also enwrapped in a curse, and vice versa. Hegel made this comment in a general philosophic way. His student, Karl Marx, applied it to the economic system of his time, capitalism, which has survived until it's also the economic system of our time. And he said that it has its good parts, but it also has its bad parts. And that the dynamic of change of capitalism is a struggle, if you like, a contest, a shifting balance between the positive and the negatives as they change each other and as they are changed by the larger context of nature, of history, and of all the cultural phenomena of our lives. Please keep this balance of the positive and the negative in your mind, because I'm going to try to explain in the time that we have what the problems of U.S. capitalism are and they are daunting. And I'm also going to conclude by talking about a way out, a way forward, building on certain positivities of this capitalist system that give us a chance to get out of the dilemmas that are crowding in on us. So let me begin. I believe we are in a period of time which can best be captured by the following somewhat scary understanding. The American period of empire, which is now roughly a hundred years old, we became the dominant economic power in the world as a result of World War I. In that war, the dominant capitalist country of the previous two centuries, namely Great Britain, was finally destroyed. The only other contender for dominant economic power at that time, 100 years ago, was Germany. And what basically happened was that the German and British empires destroyed one another in that great conflagration, World War I, which also took down virtually every other aspiring would-be economic empire, the Austro-Hungarian, the French, and so forth. What emerged was a century of U.S. economic dominance, it was a century in which American capitalism grew spectacularly, consolidated its global position after World War II, literally by doing something no empire had done before. Even the British Empire, with its far-flung colonial system, of which the United States had been a part, even the British Empire could not and did not equal what the United States was able to accomplish 
between 1921 and now. The dollar became the world currency that everybody basically used. I'm assuming most of you know that even to this day, most of the central banks that govern the financial world around the world keep a disproportionate portion of their reserves, what they have to back their currencies in holdings of U.S. dollars. No other country comes close in the last hundred years to the economic, political, military, and cultural dominance the United States achieved. Our culture, based on advertising, became dominant around the world. Our culture, based on movies, radio, television, book publishing, and I could go on, became dominant globally. And the bases, the military bases, thousands of them scattered across all continents had never been seen in the history of the world before. A heady time and not fundamentally threatened by anyone. I know this goes against the grain of what many have been taught, but it is typical of empires to downplay at the same time that they celebrate their empire. There's that Hegelian contradiction. On the one hand, you flaunt your power and your wealth. On the other hand, you hide it. You kind of don't want some of the seedier parts to get out there, and so you hide it. Let me give you just one example. At the end of World War One, the Russian Empire was also destroyed alongside the Austrian, the French, and the Germans and the British. But the collapse of the Russian Empire took a peculiar, unusual form. In the collapse of that empire, a small, radical, political movement known as the Russian Social Democratic Workers' Party was able to move quickly to take political power in the collapsing empire. An empire collapsing because the Russians were the first country to withdraw from World War I because they had lost it. The collapse of Russia, the collapse of its empire, the loss it suffered in World War I gave this socialist party Russian Democratic Socialist Workers' Party, a chance to seize power, which it did. And it proclaimed against capitalism. But there was something ludicrous in all of this because the capitalism of the rest of the world, the United States leading, but also Britain, France, Germany, and so on, made the small anti-capitalism that succeeded in Russia look ridiculously puny and weak. 
We should remember that Russia in 1917, when the revolution there occurred, was the poorest, most backward part of Europe, a place in which the vast majority of people were illiterate and were agricultural peasants. But the United States was sufficiently frightened by the very tiny, ludicrous Russian Revolution that together with the British and the French and the Japanese sent troops, landed in Russia to overthrow the new socialist government. 10,000 American troops were sent to Russia to overthrow their government. Nothing comparable ever happened in reverse. No Russian troops ever arrived in the United States to overthrow anything. It might make you wonder about the rationale for much of the second half of the 20th century of viewing the Soviet Union as the threat to the United States when the only credible basis for who threatens whom, runs exactly the other way. But so it is with empires. They hide the parts of themselves that are not so positive while they trumpet and celebrate those that are. So let's quickly review. The United States became, in the last hundred years, the richest country, basically, in the world, the dominant economic power. To give you an example, even in the 1970s, when this whole situation peaked, the United States was able to maintain a global ring of bases while being, at the same time, more capable of giving its working class a high standard of living than any other country in the world, and certainly any major country. So successful, so robust had been its capitalism's growth, aided by the weakness, of course, of all the potential competitors who not only destroyed each other in World War I, but basically a few years later did it again in World War II. So there were no effective competitors no minor matter, as we will see when I conclude today, because today we do have a competitor and a very powerful one. But we had none for the 20th century, and we took full advantage. We became very rich and very powerful, able to distribute our culture and our social values globally, sometimes peacefully and sometimes with an endless series of foreign military interventions, especially in Latin America, but globally. And we are still trying to do that. We did it 20 years ago in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the difference between those interventions and some of the earlier ones in the 20th century 
has to be faced. These most recent ones are failures. We went into Afghanistan and the Taliban, our ostensible enemy, is stronger today than it was when the United States intervened. And the opposition to the United States in Iraq is also now stronger than what it was when the United States arrived. Whatever else these interventions accomplish, they are a sign that the rest of the world has not missed, even if Americans can't quite face it, that the empire is over. And I need you at least to begin to face that if you haven't already. Because a society on the downside of empire is a very different place from the society on the upswing towards its empire peak. If you want to understand our future, look at the last two years of the United Kingdom because its decline is the image of where we are headed. Britain is now a small, cold, wet, offshore island of Europe. It is unable, even to this day, to face the reality that what happens in London is a minor detail in world history rather than being the center of it. And the odd peculiarities of British history over the last century are full of insights into what we are going through now. But more than foreign, I want us to concentrate on the United States. And what are the signs of a declining empire we need to think about? And of course, there are many, and I only have time to focus on two or three. But they need to be understood in this context. I'll start with COVID, this viral pandemic we are going through. The United States has 4% of the world's population. But we account for 20% of the world's deaths from COVID. Don't forget that statistic. It screams its message if you're only able to hear it. We are a very wealthy country, among the wealthiest in the world. We have a highly developed medical care system. Medical schools, clinics, hospitals, you name it. We, we are the home of major pharmaceutical and, and medical device makers. We have an elaborate health insurance industry. We have what it takes to face and deal with 
a virus. Countries much less wealthy and much less well served by a medical system. And let me mention a few to you. Taiwan, Australia, New Zealand, Vietnam, Cuba, I could go on, were able to achieve tiny fractions of the cases we have, tiny fractions of the deaths we have suffered. And that's the case whether you look at the country as a whole or you work it all out on a per-person basis. They've outperformed us. The People's Republic of China, with a population four times that of the United States, has a tiny fraction of the number of cases and deaths. What in the world is going on? That's a level of failure that is catastrophic, not just in the suffering of all the families touched by this virus, but for all of the rest of us as well as we confront what is going on here. How do we account for this? And however much you might like to blame this or that politician, and I include here Donald Trump, you could not possibly explain this failure on one or another individual or one or another political party. Let me give you a Another example, one that's in the news right now and will continue to be at least for the next several weeks. The United States ranks very low on the quality of our so-called infrastructure, our roads, our highways, our bridges, our rail system, our you name it, all of the things that support our society on a literal minute-by-minute basis. We as a nation have let the care of the infrastructure, which always has to be maintained because it's always wearing out. An infrastructure, as Hegel would have enjoyed telling us, is both a producer of good results in sustaining our society and a deteriorating entity that undermines it. It is, as Hegel liked to say, in contradiction, or experiencing or expressing its own dialectic. The language doesn't matter. The idea is simple. Something about American capitalism fails to attend to the infrastructure, allows it to fall apart. This morning, a major headline across this country was about a wastewater treatment facility in the state of Florida collapsing, risking flooding rural countrysides and housing with polluted water that includes radioactive. What is going on here? Mm. 
If you read more about it, you discover that Florida has had 27, count them, of these kinds of collapses of wastewater in recent times. Mm. Well, we know the answer, and I'm going to give it to you quickly. It's not profitable to prepare for a virus, you see. A company that makes masks or gloves or ventilators or hospital beds does not want to produce these things, then stockpile them in warehouses around the country, maintain them, (laughs) repair them, clean them, Mm. secure them for an indefinite amount of time until the next virus comes along. That's not profitable. That's too risky. So the private companies that could have produced the tests and masks and everything else we need didn't do so. They found more profitable investments elsewhere. And that's how our system of capitalism works. So they invested elsewhere. And when the virus came, we couldn't handle it. Wow. And why don't we have an infrastructure that's decent? Because once again, we manage it in a way that is fundamentally a failure. Here's what we do. We say it's the government's job to maintain roads, highways, bridges, etc. And the government is given that task. Okay, but this takes a lot of money. So the government has to get a lot of money to perform its task. Where does it get the money? It gets the money by taxing corporations, individuals, and guess what? In our culture, corporations and individuals don't want to pay taxes. Hmm. The mass of people basically can't because their incomes aren't enough. And the corporations don't want to, even though they could. And the rich don't want to, even though they could. And so they use their wealth to make sure that the politicians don't tax them. Well, if you can't tax the mass of people and you won't tax the corporations and the rich, you won't have the money to sustain the infrastructure. And since the collapsing infrastructure conveniently collapses slowly, each politician can avoid it until he or she moves up the political ladder leading the declining infrastructure to whoever comes next. And we are now stuck with an infrastructure that hobbles American capitalism when compared to capitalisms that have behaved differently. Mm-hmm. And now let me, let me give you the third example. We have allowed our capitalist system to re-establish a level of inequality that is literally mind-blowing. We are returning to levels of inequality last seen in ancient Egypt 
or the Middle Ages. Let me pick Jeffrey Bezos, mm. even though there's nothing particular about him, but he's a good example. His personal assets now are about $200 billion. Mm. That's right. We give to one individual an amount of money that is more than the total income of many countries in the world, encompassing many millions of people. Mr. Bezos is one of about 600 of America's richest, the 600 whose personal wealth is a billion dollars or more. Together, these people increased their wealth over the last 12 months by more than $1 trillion. Let me hammer this home. Over the last year, roughly 60, 60, 60 million Americans, more than one-third of the labor force, had to go and get unemployment insurance. Some of those millions have been unemployed for the entire year. Some only a few weeks. But we know that when you are unemployed, you quickly use up whatever savings you have, and the American working class doesn't have many savings. You suffer all kinds of mental and physical impairments. You lose contact with your fellow workers, your skills, You become a burden on your family. That's why rates of alcoholism, divorce, child abuse all go up during unemployment. The social costs beyond measure. 60 million, more than a third of the workforce, means that every family, with a very few exceptions, had either mama or papa or cousin or grandma or you name it, out of work, leaning on the rest of the family to help get through this. That catastrophe for the mass of the American people stands in contrast to the growing wealth of over a trillion dollars by the people who were already the richest people in the country. That's a system that is failing. Well, you might say, yes, we've had those in the past. Yes, we have. But in the last hundred years of America's ascendancy, before it peaked, we congratulated ourselves on having, quote, a vast middle class, having, quote, a system that's like a rising tide that lifts all boats, having a commitment to equality, having a commitment to everybody being able to anticipate and work to achieve the American dream. All that is over. It's important that we face this reality. 
We don't have to worry, as the Biden administration does, about how and where to pay for the infrastructure program, which, by the way, is pegged at $2 trillion. More than half of it could be immediately paid for if we simply taxed the wealth increase over the last 12 months of the already 600 billionaires in America who would remain, if we levied such a tax, the richest people in America and the world, only we wouldn't have to worry about fixing our infrastructure. But in our system, what I just said seems now to be unthinkable. Well, maybe if you understood that this grotesque inequality and the failure around COVID and the failure of our infrastructure management are all signs of something Mm -hmm. that is declining. Mm -hmm. It is the American empire. Now let me turn before I tell you what I think is the way out to one more dimension. There is now a real competitor the way there wasn't in the 20th century. And you all know who that competitor is. It's the People's Republic of China. China. They have achieved an absolutely extraordinary economic development. As extraordinary in its way as the achievement of economic development was in the United States, which in turn was an advance on the achievement of global superiority that the British Empire had acquired before. The rise and fall of empires is not new. It's a very old, often repeated part of America, of world history. There was never any reason to doubt that the American empire would be born, would grow, would evolve, and would decline. We are now declining. These are the signs. But there is a capitalism, and I'm going to explain what I mean by that, a capitalism that is competing with us now. Mm. It is, in a sense where the dynamic of capitalism has moved in the last 40 years. That dynamic, which was once located in the British economic system and the British Empire, and then moved to the American economic system and the American Empire, has now moved again, as its movements have always moved it again. Only this time, it moved to China. That's where it has established itself. And it has grown over the last four decades much faster than the British Empire ever did and much faster than the American Empire 
ever did. Let me give you just a couple of statistics. Bear with me, I'm an economist. We do this to show you what I mean. Over the last 25, 30 years, the United Nations and many other institutions keep track of the growing economic output of goods and services in each country. The shorthand way of describing that is the GDP, the gross domestic product of each country. It's measured for the United States, for China, and for all other countries. Over the last 25 years, the average rate of growth of the GDP in the United States was between 2 and 3% per year. Over the same period of time, the average rate of growth of the GDP of the People's Republic of China was 6 to 9%. In other words, for 30 years, China has grown much, much faster than the United States. Mm -hmm. There is no way to pretend that that didn't happen, Mm -hmm. even though most leading Republican and Democratic politicians do their level best not to acknowledge or face or discuss or analyze what I just said. Mm -hmm. To show you what it means, over the last 20 years, the average real income of the worker in China has quadrupled. That means in the memory of the working class in China, they had never seen or heard in the history of China for centuries of a growth in their standard of living comparable to what they have now achieved. Mm-hmm. Over the same 30 years, the real wage, the real standard of living of American workers has gone exactly nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's stagnant. Mm-hmm. Their incomes go off the charts. The American working class goes nowhere. If you adjust the increase in money wages Americans have gotten for the prices they have to pay, they're no better off now than they were 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And you all kind of know that because the only way that the American working class has been able to continue to consume at the level they have is because they have found another way to pay for it. Their wages couldn't. You know what they did? They went into debt, mortgage debt, car payment debt, credit card debt, and now the remarkable one, student debt. Vast indebtedness, hobbling every family 10 different ways. That's the price paid. When an economy goes down, when an empire is in decline, Mm -hmm. these are the signs. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me then conclude and tell you how I think 
we might escape the risks, the pitfalls, the dangers of an economy and an empire in decline. There is an aspect to all of this that is crucial to think about. We allow in our society a tiny minority of people to make most of the crucial economic decisions that are now playing themselves out in the unsolved problems accumulating for American capitalism. The COVID problem, the infrastructure problem, the inequality problem, but you know what else? The racial divisions in this country, the political polarization, all of it. Who are these tiny people? Not some conspiracy. We don't need that. We know where the decisions are made. Here's the answer, and here's the way out. We organize our enterprises in a very particular way. (coughs) And I'm talking about our factories, our offices, our stores, and indeed the institutions that model themselves on the enterprises, like the hospitals, like the schools, and so on. Each organization, each enterprise has this same basic organization. At the top is a tiny group of people, the owner of the enterprise. If it's a corporation and they do most of the enterprise work in the economy of the United States, if it's a corporation, this tiny group is called the board of directors, usually 10, 20 people. That's it. Elected, by the way, by the owners. And who are the owners? The shareholders. And what do we know about shareholders? The 10% richest shareholders in this country own 80% of all the shares. So it's a tiny minority, the owners, if you like, the board of directors they create, the top executives they call in to run the business, This is a tiny group of people, 10, 20, 30, 40, that's it, who make all the decisions. Those decisions impact all of the employees who, it is important to understand, are excluded from those decisions. They have to live with the result of those decisions, but they are excluded from participating in making them. So, for example, when hundreds of American companies decided over the last 40 years to close or shrink operations in the United States while moving or opening them in the People's Republic of China, this was a job for a Chinese worker and it was a lost job for an American worker, wasn't it? The workers didn't make those decisions. They are required to live with them, but they are excluded inside every enterprise from making them. 
when an enterprise decides to replace workers with machines, who makes that decision? The owner, the director, the tiny minority. When I told you the story about the profit-maximizing decisions that led the companies in America not to produce the masks, the, the testing equipment, the hospital beds to fight COVID. Those decisions were made by a tiny group of people. And here's the best example. If you allow a tiny group of people at the top of every factory store or office to make all the key decisions, you're saying that the profits, the net revenue generated in every enterprise flows into the hands of those who make the decisions at the top. And is it really surprising that if you organize your enterprises that way, the people who have the profits into their hands at the top distribute them, here we go now, to themselves. <laughs> Hello, is this a surprise? <laughs> that the bulk of the profits get handed out as dividends to shareholders or handed out as whopping salaries to CEOs? How could you possibly find this surprising? Or to say the same thing in a different way, how do you imagine this problem is going to be solved here comes the punchline. If you do not change the organization of enterprises. Well, some of you, and I am not going to conclude, some of you may imagine that this problem can be solved by appealing to our political leaders. You know, the people who sit at the top of the pyramid of the two-party monopoly that controls American politics. But if you think that, you really are being unrealistically naive. The few at the top of every enterprise long ago understood that they are in danger. The wealth they have accumulated, the power that they wield, their exclusion of the mass of people over whom they wield power from any participation, which, by the way, is the definition of the absence of democracy. Those people knew they were at risk because we do have a universal suffrage commitment in our society. We all vote, and the overwhelming majority of us are employees. So there's always the danger, if we vote, that we'll vote in somebody who would undo what the economic capitalist system we have keeps doing. They know it. It's we who have been slow to figure it out. So they made sure to buy the political system, to make sure that whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you're not going to face anything like what I've been talking about for the last 45 minutes. That it's not going to be on the agenda. 
So to look to them to come up with a program is, in my humble opinion, hopeless and pointless. They cannot, they will not, they never have, and they're not about to now. All Mr. Biden's talk about infrastructure boils down to this. He's going to hand out, if he gets his way, $2 trillion to countless companies and government officials. The government officials will then take the money and hand it out to companies who will be hired to do various things, like rebuild roads and highways. But they will do it in the way they normally do, giving themselves the lion's share of the money. Mm-hmm dictating how, when, and where it's done, using good part of the money to automate so they're more profitable in the future when this program is over. <clears throat> they will do as they always have done. Reproduce a system that they sit at the top of is their number one commitment. That's all profit maximization has ever meant. So if you want to solve the problem, if you want the way down of a declining economy not to be handled as it has been by offloading the pain and the difficulty of empire decline onto the mass of the people so that the super rich at the top can indulge their fantasies that their dominant global position isn't over, then there is a way to do this. You have to change the organization of enterprises. As your wonderful rediscovered 1921 declaration that you have now uh, on that beautiful frame that Dean Stevens opened with and is showing us again, you understood, people have always understood somewhere beneath the layers of ideological indoctrination They've always understood that there is an alternative. And that alternative can best be summarized this way. Democratize the enterprise. Finally bring democracy to the workplace where it should have been all along. And here's what I mean, so there's no mistake. The enterprise of the workplace becomes a place where every man and every woman has a vote, an equal vote, one vote per person. And together, collectively and democratically, we'll decide what the company or enterprise produces in the way of goods or services, what technology it uses, where it conducts its business, And here comes the big one. How to utilize the profits that everybody who works there has contributed to producing. Here's what I can guarantee you. If these decisions were made democratically by everyone, you would never give billions of dollars to a handful of people while everybody else cannot afford to send their kid to college. Not going to happen. Here's another decision that wouldn't have happened. 
you wouldn't have sent all your factories to China. You wouldn't have done that. Mm-mm. Here's another example. If there's a new technology that is terribly bad for your air or your water or your ears, you would have voted not to use that technology. Why? Because you don't live in a gated community 50 miles away. You don't live in an office that can be soundproof. You're a worker, and therefore the technology's costs are borne by you. And if you made the decision, you would balance profits, yeah, you want those, against your sanity and your health. Because, yeah, you want those. If workers collectively and democratically owned and operated the enterprises, they wouldn't be profit maximizers. Because profit maximizing is running an enterprise to maximize something that goes to a tiny group of people. A cooperative enterprise maximizes a whole range of things that reflect what's valuable and important for all of the people there. The passion Americans sometimes bring to democratic values in politics have been peculiarly unapplied to economics with the kinds of disastrous results I have listed for you today and that you know. Cooperation is not just a nice, warm, cuddly, good thing to do. Cooperation is what can save us from the collapse of our system that we are now entering onto. The aggressor in the United States-China dispute is the United States. We're not happy, we say, with their lack of freedom in Hong Kong. Really? I'm not going to defend anything that they do. But the notion that the United States, which is now for 20 years destroying Afghanistan, Iraq, and countless others, is hardly in a position to question our treatment of our African-American brothers and sisters is not getting us sanctioned by other countries, but we're sanctioning the Chinese because they treat their Muslim minority. This is the country that banned Muslims from coming here, that has a problem with physically assaulting Muslims and now Asia. What is going on here? The United States is disputing China's rights in a place called the South China Sea. Uh, you know why it's called that? Because it's over there. <laughs> They're not in the Caribbean disputing our position there. What's going on here are bizarre, and they're more signs, as I told you, of a declining empire flailing around desperate to hold on to what it no longer is. We need the transition to a democratically organized enterprise, not only because it's democratic, but because it's the one way forward that can 
allow us to do what needs to be done for our public health, for our egalitarian values. Otherwise, the prospect is for more in the future. And that prospect alone should persuade us. Thank you so much for your invitation. I hope I have not stretched your interests or your credulity, but these are very, very important issues close to the hearts of all of us, I think, if we only dare to think about them and to talk about them. Thank you again. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we chose to play this first because, as he said, we face them and then we can move forward. Otherwise, stagnation is the day of the, the order of the day, as he said. So we're going to do something here that's a shift, but not so much. It's called Ancient Civilizations, Multiple Dimensions, Aliens, and Time with 19 Keys and Billy Carson. 19 Mm -hmm. Keys presents high-level conversations. To bring you into the high frequency of talk to elevate your mindset and value. Billy Carson, featured guest, bio, featured guest, bio. A former Goldman Sachs. Whoops. Billy Carson is the founder and CEO of Forbidden Knowledge. And there's a number four at the beginning and then a capital B and that word bidden. And then with no space knowledge, capital K, N-O-W-L-E-D-G-D, Inc., separate word. And the best-selling author of Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. Isn't Katumi the author of that, those? Katumi Quasicuaro, yeah. Hermes. Yes, and... Uh, Hermes Trice Majestic, he was a being in, in, incarnated in Egypt. Yeah. About 6,000 years ago, eh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and woke doesn't mean broke. That's the other book that our brother Billy Carson wrote. Mr. Carson is also the founder and CEO of Forbidden Knowledge TV, a new conscious streaming TV network. He's also the co-host of Biohack Your Best Life and is an expert host on Deep Space, a new original streaming series by Gaia. This series explores the secret space program revealing extraordinary technologies and their potential origins. Mr. Carson also serves as an expert host on Gaia's original series, Ancient Civilizations. Rama watches those things ten times over. Oh, actually, Ancient Aliens. Oh. Yeah, that's different. Excuse me. 
Oh, that's a Gaia series. Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. In which a team of renowned scholars deciphers the riddles of our origins and pieces together our forgotten history documented in monuments and texts around the world. This episode, this episode goes high level into the conversation of our understanding of time versus ancient civilizations, internal versus artificial intelligence, alien life forms and understanding the current human being, and much more. Again, um, future guests, I think that's good. Mm. Okay, let's start. We won't complete this before it's time to take our break, but we'll get most of it. Let's do it, Emma. This is an hour and 51 minutes, everybody. What we tend to not understand is that time really doesn't exist. Clocks exist. Mm. Time doesn't exist. Right. And like you said, we've been given this functional arrow of time, which puts us in one specific direction so that we can organize our thoughts and our days and our years and weeks and what we're going to do and what we're going to meet up with somebody and everything else. So we have this ability to coordinate and collaborate with each other like how we're here today at this specific time. Mm-hmm. However, if you understand that time is also an illusion, it's something that you can use as a tool, mm-hmm. but if you also understand that it's an illusion, then you can actually master time and you can you can maximize what you're doing on this planet. Peace family, welcome back to another high level conversation. Today we have a powerful presentation, a very powerful energy, spirit, man, guide, scholar, polymath, intellectual, executive, actor, producer, author, you understand me, TV host, academia, um, a man really whom those who have seen need no introduction, you understand me, a very extraterrestrial intellect. You understand me? A person that can dive in multi-dimensional areas. You understand me? And um, a person that I don't have to hold back with whatsoever. You understand me? This is a man who has, you know, secured funding to build underground cities in Georgia. You understand me? A person who is a two-time best-selling author. You understand me? Of what doesn't mean broke and of the Emerald Tablets and also the founder of Forbidden Knowledge. You may have seen him on a travel channel. You may have seen him on a history channel. You understand me? You may have seen him in another dimension when you just happen to be popping some shrooms or something and traveling through somewhere. Billy Carson was right there floating next to you, giving you some God. You understand me? This is a powerful brother. Not only has he found things here on Earth, but he's actually found things out in space. You understand me? And we're going to dive deep into exactly what that means. So today... I want to introduce you to none other than the most powerful, prolific brother known as Mr. Billy Carson. Hey, thank you, man. Appreciate Welcome. you having me out. Absolutely. Thank you for the great introduction. Absolutely, man. Uh, yeah. You know, I make sure I have very um, intelligent people, you understand me, um, who require a great introduction, yeah. you understand me. For those, of course, like I said, who know you, you don't require any introduction, you understand me, you are a man of a great platform. You understand me? That that stands on his own merit based on the knowledge that you possess, research, investigate, and deliver to the masses. Thanks, man. 
Uh, today, man, I want to have a roundabout conversation about multitude of different subjects here, high-level conversations. I like to have an actual cipher, you understand yeah. me, where right. we build and we collide and create new universes, you understand me, a university of thoughts. And um, first thing I wanted to talk about was time itself, yeah. you know, um, and the ideas of time. There's a, a lot of people that trapped into increments of time that they have to work in you understand me from a nine to five position and they have to live within windows of hours and dissect their days based on that. Yeah. You understand me? And the unfortunate reality of it is, is that most people will never have a true understanding of life because they're living on borrowed time. Yeah. You understand me? And so I'm always working to help present um, perspective and observation where people can understand the laws of time a little more. You understand right. me? Yeah. Yeah. Especially as we enter into fourth and fifth dimensional spaces here, you understand me, on this planet Earth, you understand me, or the universe, as we will. You know, human beings, you know, uh, are very interesting, you know, beings. Yeah. You understand me? Like, just the idea that we allow someone else to decide what time is for us is a very interesting thing. Yeah. Right? From Julius Caesar to the Roman Pope with his papal bulls deciding, you know, what is a 365 calendar? What is a... Uh, uh, Talking about uh, seven day weeks and uh, sixty seconds and sixty minutes, and we say, okay, let's yeah. go along with it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and we don't realize that it speeds up. You understand me? The process from being born to when you leave this place. Yeah, you know, um, and then we already have expectations on what life is going to be because. There's other people that tell us what it is, when we're going to die, when we get old, when we're mm-hmm. going to feel a certain way. So it sets up the curation for us to die a certain way and at a certain speed. Can for I want to hear what your interpretation of what time yes. is first. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a this is a, a very deep, deep question. I've talked about this so many times in in different uh, so many uh, times lectures and <laughs> workshops. You know, because for people in the third dimension, we're in the third dimension. What we tend to not understand is that time really doesn't exist. Clocks exist. Mm. Time doesn't exist. Right. And like you said, we've been given this functional arrow of time, which puts us in one specific direction so that we can organize our thoughts and our days and our years and weeks and what we're going to do and what we're going to meet up with somebody and everything else. So we have this ability to coordinate and collaborate with each other, like how we're here today at this specific time. Mm-hmm. However, if you understand that time is also an illusion, it's something that you can use as a tool, mm-hmm. but if you also understand that it's an illusion, then you can actually master time and you can, you can maximize what you're doing on this planet. Because if you go any high, in, in all the higher dimensions, you know, we're in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, so all the way up. For the layman that don't understand what being in the third dimension means, can you give us a breakdown? Okay, sure. So if you draw a line on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. that's the first dimension. If you then connect those lines and, and uh, create a house on a piece of paper, that's a two-dimensional structure. Or you can move it into a computer. Anything you see in a computer that looks 3D is actually 2D. Right? Mm-hmm. So, And because we're in the third, we can see down into 2D. We can see all the way down, obviously, into 1D. And we can manipulate those dimensions from our higher selves. Now, if you... If, now, there are beings in fourth, fifth, and sixth dimensions. There's people above us. Now, because of that, they see us 
and they recognize the past, present, and future operating all at the same time. Everything's happening at once. Right. There is no separation between the past, present, and the future. The arrow doesn't exist. Because they're higher than us, they can look down into the third, and they can see into what we're doing. So... So who are hopeful for hopeful? Hey, 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 we got to unpack a little bit. We got to unpack. Okay. It's high level, but I want to make sure that the people can follow along with you. So, you know, talking about third dimension, right? You know, it's a, uh, amps are not third dimensional things, right? Because mm-hmm. they can't see up, right? They're not, uh, horizontal. You understand me? Uh, they exit the plane where they're looking for, right? So when, you're moving about the rest of the world that is higher up to them. They have no access to that, no perspective on that whatsoever. You understand me? For them, everything is straight and in front of them. For human beings, we have the ability to look upward, to look inward, to look outward, to look around, right? So, therefore, we're connected into different angles, different perspectives, and different dimensions. You understand me? And then what I wanted to get those with next, though, so let's say we got the third dimension, Right? Now, talking about the fourth dimension, right? What is the fourth dimension? The fourth dimension is something called a tesseract. Mm-hmm. And if you go into the ancient text, it's Metatron's cube. Meta, M-E-T-A. Meta, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, meta. Metaverse, right? They got that from Metatron's cube. Uh, it's a fourth dimensional mm-hmm. substructure. Now, this fourth dimension is really something called a quasi-crystal. And this quasi-crystal in the fourth dimension, it casts a shadow. And the shadow that it casts it creates the realm that we're living in here. We're living in a shadow of a higher dimension. That shadow creates a third dimension. It actually creates a fractal of it, creates this fractal holographic matrix that we're actually maneuvering in in the third dimension right now. So would the the fourth dimension be considered a dimension of time? Uh, You can address a fourth dimension of time, like Albert Einstein was saying, if you're just looking at a third plus a fourth being the arrow. Mm -hmm. But when you actually move up into another dimension, we now know know in quantum physics that there is actually a fourth dimension. So all dimensions are in 90-degree angles of each other. And according to uh, quantum theory right now, we're really anticipating that there's at least 11 dimensions, otherwise the universe would collapse. So there really is truly a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, all the way up. Not just the arrow of time. That's just something extra. Mm-hmm. They try to make it make sense back then by saying the fourth dimension is time, but time is actually not a dimension at all. Mm. So now that's that's a very interesting because it's a lot that I'm sure that everybody's like, all right. I thought I was smart, <laughs> and then I tried to keep up, and then I got left behind. Right. You understand me? And what I want, I want to bring people up to speed. You understand me? Um, and the ideas in correlation to the analogy of how we're moving as a collective human species, specifically with technology, right? Because I think it can be um, connected to, you know, uh, cellular technology, right? Going from 3G to 4G. And, you know, going from 3G to 4G to 5G, which allows us to be able to do different things that we normally weren't able to do that weren't possible, right? You know, let's say you got 3G phones, it's it's helping you make better, faster, Greetings, everyone. We have a storm coming in, and the wind is wild. Let's just call that it doesn't get crazy so we can continue. So let's just continue. Ram thinks he's where we were. Yeah. We're just going to push the button. Here we go. Through uh, quantum theory right now, 
we're really anticipating that there's at least 11 dimensions, otherwise the universe would collapse. So there really is truly a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, all the way up. Not just the arrow of time. That's just something extra. They try to make it make sense back then by saying the fourth dimension is time, but time is actually not a dimension at all. Mm. So now that's that's a very interesting because it's a lot that I'm sure that everybody's like, all right, I thought I was smart. <laughs> and then I tried to keep up, and then I got left behind. Right. You understand me? And what I want, I want to bring people up to speed. You understand me? Um, and our ideas in correlation to the analogy of how we're moving as a collective human species, specifically with technology, right? Because I think it can be um, connected to, you know, uh, cellular technology, right? Going from 3G to 4G. <clears throat> and, you know, going from 3G to 4G to 5G, which allows us to be able to do different things that we normally weren't able to do that weren't possible, right? You know, let's say you got 3G phones, it's, it's hell, you make better, faster, Calls, you understand me? Connected. Then you get the 4G and you're talking about now applications and streaming, right? And Wi-Fi, right? Being able to connect within systems and the internet of things. And then 5G allowing completely new systems of possibility. And this is where I think a lot of people missed the point in 2020 when everybody was going through the craze of where the 5G was killing them. And it was more so what was 5G going to do? Right? So the NFTs and the Web3 Right. And you're talking about, you know, um, AR, VR, spatial reality, all these different things are not possible unless you have 5G being in connection. So it was representing a new world being produced our. And it wasn't just an accident that NFTs came after the pandemic and this technology came yeah. after. There was something happening at that same point in time that for me it was entering into a new phase of the world, a new dimension, a new speed. Right. And that speed, you know, can be known as time, if you will. And a lot of people without that ability to process at a high level. Right. Like you got bandwidth, you got landline speed, you got Wi-Fi speed, you got 5G speed, you get left behind. Yeah. So everything seems that it's moving fast, but that's only because you're not moving as fast. Right. Everything stands still when you're moving at the same speed. Yeah. You understand me? So what I've always tried to do is keep people up to speed where we at in the right. dimension that we're currently in or a little bit above so you can be ahead of your time as a visionary. Because yeah. the fastest speed is the mind. You understand me? Being able to travel in your thoughts. Yeah. Right? That can travel you, that can take you into time, that can take you ahead of time if you will. Oh yeah. But the ideas of time itself, I love the, the concept that it being an illusion because you know, even the era where time is connected to language. Yeah. Right? That I wrote in my book about how when we speak in the English language, you know, it's a very uh, future tense reference, right? So we're always referencing the future as we speak. I will be there. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And we have so many different phrases within the language. We're always pushing ourselves, not connecting to the present, yeah. but at a later point in day and time. Right. You understand me? And I think that learning to be present connects us to the power that we have in control over. Yeah. And then once you have that power, then you know how to create seeds that can control the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. But um, you said something about beings, yeah. right? Now, we always look at ourselves as uh, 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 people, but then when we talk about people, we're talking about human beings, yeah. right? The being part is not something that the average person understands, yeah. right? And then when you say that there are other beings, who are these other beings? 
I believe personally, just based off of my research, and I've gone through now over a thousand scriptures, texts, papyruses, uh, cuneiform tablets from all over the world. They all have a very similar story. Mm-hmm. And all these, all these, uh, ancient civilizations talk about beings, not just beings who came here from other planets, people that look like us and we look like them. We're, in other words, not identical, but very similar. In other words, a bilateral bipedal hominid of some type that can maneuver around that has appendages that can manipulate the environment because without that, you can't move out into space and other places. And they also talk about multidimensional. You get into like the non-commodity, stuff like that. You're talking about multidimensional beings. And so in physics, in quantum physics in particular, they started theorizing on these dimensions and were able to even analyze and discover some that they actually do exist. And on top of that, they realized that the dimensions are stacked so packed so tight on top of one another that if you can phase shift your atomic structure, your subatomic frequency, you can walk right into another dimension. And so they started postulating what if beings from higher dimensions are some of these apparitions and these paranormal phenomena that we're seeing, are they able to maybe take a glimpse or a peek? Are they phasing through uh, into our into our uh, universe? And so from higher dimensions. And so they started really theorizing it. It seems to be, and based on my research, that there's people living everywhere. Not just, and I'm talking about little green men with antenna. I think that there's people living all throughout this universe in the third dimension. And I think there's people living all throughout even higher multiple dimensions. Maybe at a certain level, a certain height in those dimensions. Maybe they don't have a real corporeal body. Right. Not physical. Not physical, you know what I'm saying? But I believe that the consciousness is there. Now that that part is interesting. The non-physical aspect, because I, I understand that and I can believe in that idea and that concept. It's like, well, people think, I think of angels as angles. Yeah. Right? Right. Uh, because, you know, angels are supposed to exist in between dimensions. Yeah. You understand me? And angles, you understand me, are dimensions. That's right? right. And so it's like perspective is your angle in which you see things and yeah. do things. And oftentimes angels come and gives us new perspective, new mm-hmm. thoughts. You understand me? Yeah. Arriving from a different, completely dimension of thought that we couldn't arrive at ourselves. Correct. You know, but at the same time, when you're talking about non-corporeal bodies or non-physical bodies, you understand me? I like that concept because when you're talking about time, talking about light, talking about all of these different ways in which light or energy can exist within and right. consciousness, right? Uh, the awareness of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, output. You understand mathematical output, right? Do you believe that the universe is mathematical? Oh, absolutely. The, un- the, the language of God is mathematics mm. because mathematics can literally explain everything that we experience and everything also that exists. Even the fact that we're, we're existing in a light matrix can be proven through mathematics. So we're living in a matrix uh, that's basically written on written on mathematics called adinkra codes. Right. And these adinkra codes go all the way back to the Dogons. Dogon tribes out of Mali, Africa. Yeah. They actually originated these codes, and they were given these codes by the Nomo, and they learned them. They drew them out as art forms. But now, and they put them on clothing and blankets and everything else. Mm. So the Dogon tribe, very interesting tribe, you know, that was able to discover... You know, uh, systems before telescopes and things of that nature. Yeah. So how did they arrive to be able to? Because I know a lot of people. I, I posted about this not too long ago. People want to understand how the yeah. hell did the Dogon tribe arrive to? <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, I. You know, I, I just subscribe to you know us being, you know, gods, melanated right. beings on this planet Earth. We connected in a way that we just don't understand anymore. Mm-hmm. You understand me? And being multidimensional. 
I think about physics in that aspect where you're talking about things being entangled. You're not Will and Jada entanglements, you understand me? <laughs> but quantum entanglements. Right, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, 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 once you understand that, being multidimensional to me is easily understood from the fact that you can break us down to atoms, right? And then yeah. cells, and then we get into our skin, we see our physical. Yeah. But from an atomic level, those are different laws. Yeah. Right? And we're made up of atoms. So that an aspect of our existence is obeying different laws of the universe. Yeah. And then our cells are obeying different laws, yeah. gravity and magnetism, right, and flow. But then we as human beings are obeying different laws, right, of gravity and magnetism in the universe. And then we start to, we forget about the universal laws of our multidimensional self yeah. because we only know man's law. Exactly. You understand me? So I think being multidimensional is easily understood as, as above, so below. You understand me? But um, the idea of the Dogon people being able to chart systems, how were they able to figure that out, you understand me, before the Europeans had an idea yeah. of what was out there? Right. Well, to be honest with you, uh, if you go all the way back to the ancient Dogon history, before they got to Mali, they were in the land of Kem. They were the original inhabitants of the land of Kem before it was called Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Kem meaning the land of blacks? The land of blacks, correct. Exactly, land of blacks. Uh, Kim was black, it's all black. Mm-hmm. That's in the tablets. So Kim, so you got there's so much jewels in here. But so in Kim, you understand me? That's Africa. Yeah, right. I know everybody called the Middle East as if the, <laughs> you know it's Africa. <laughs> it's the part. The Middle East is the most funniest made up concept, magical idea on the planet. I know because it's like you have it in Africa, but no, this is like the Middle East Africa. It doesn't right. count for Sub-Saharan yeah, Africa, yeah. Northern Africa, right. East Africa. Like, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's Africa, right? It's Africa. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, uh, for those who don't Cairo know, is in Africa. Cairo's in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> I know. People still get it wrong to this day. That's crazy. It's surprising. Right. But so they, according to their uh, their records and their handed down verbal history, their records are uh, etched into caves and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, they, the, the Nomo came here from Sirius B. Mm. Okay, so there's a, a, there's a trinary star system that we know of called Sirius, the Sirius star system, A, mm-hmm. B, and C. Yeah. B is a failed star, in other words, it ran out of fuel, turned into a white dwarf. Mm-hmm. These beings were orbiting a, a planet that orbited that star, according to the Dogon, not me. Came here, they're called the Nomo, the Dogon called them the Nomo, taught them all about the star system, the orbital pattern, our entire solar system, the names, the shapes, the sizes, the colors of all the planets in our solar system, all the planetary alignments. Um, and they even knew that that white dwarf star was so gravitationally heavy that one spoonful couldn't be lifted by over one million men. Mm. They even knew that. We learned that in quantum mechanics and quantum physics right. in the 1970s, 1980s. We, we, you know, we hypothesized it. And obviously, we couldn't even see that star until the 1980s, uh, 1970s. Sorry. So when did they... When did they uh, record it? Thousands of years ago. Thousands, Thousands. of years ago. <laughs> like, we're talking about over six, 7,000 years. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, they had depictions of them and everything else, and they taught them how to make That's these Dogon masks, but they also gave them the Adinkra codes. Now, these Adinkra codes look like designs on clothing and patterns. When you turn these uh, designs into three-dimensional structures, they become something called error correcting codes. Mm. And Professor uh, James S. Gates, a black professor, who used to be the um, the science advisor for Obama when he was in office. Uh, he's now the professor, I believe, at the University of Maryland in uh, supersymmetry and theoretical physics. He discovered these, he rediscovered them, obviously, and he took turned them into three-dimensional objects 
And then from there, he found the error correcting codes. He was analyzing and accessing information about the ether of space time. And he discovered that the entire ether, in other words, everything this suit there we're operating in without the, throughout the entire universe is running on a specific code. It's called an Adinko code. It's called error correcting codes. The same exact kind of codes that run search engines and web browsers. That's what's running the universe. Oh, listen now. <laughs> At certain points in time, an interview, the glasses got to come off. <laughs> this is one of those points in time when we're talking about indica codes and going into multidimensional aspects yeah. of things. You know, this episode of all your business was a 2% cash back in the first $50,000 spent. 1% after that. Mmm. This episode is brought to you by Goldwater. <laughs> but, you know, being connected to the stars. Thank you, and universe. Being connected to the universe is a very interesting <laughs> aspect of thinking. You know, uh, I grew up, you know, in the Nation of Islam. Okay. And um, in the Nation of Islam, uh, there is a lot of, you know, astrolog- or astronomical teachings, mm. you know, about astronomy and sizes of the planets and this that was one of the first things we had to learn. Wow. Right? Where the, the distance between the planets, the the speed of light, the speed right. of sound, right? Um wow. you know, uh, uh uh the total square mileage of the water, earth, land, right. mountains, rivers, lakes, wow. right? Everything. So, you know, deep into the teachings of Umbalaj Muhammad is astronomy. Yeah. Right? He wasn't really into astrology because he said it was too much guesswork. But astronomy he was into because it was mathematical. Yeah. And you're talking about, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70s, for a black man to be teaching astronomy, especially the poor black people in America, it was <laughs> it was <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was an interesting indication of, you know, um where he got his knowledge. Yeah. Because he had a third grade education, but he was teaching about astronomy. Yeah. Right? And he yeah. would dare the scholars of the world to prove him wrong. Uh, of course, I know. Did, right? Because he was talking about Pluto back in those days before they would recognize Pluto, yeah. right? And um, I used to always think about why. And one of the last books that he wrote was called The Theology of Time. Oh, wow. And Theology of Time was, it's, it's not a book for the beginner, initiate. You understand me? It's, yeah. it's definitely more novice when you get into your understanding. Yeah. And then that's when he proposed and he talked about alien life on Mars. Right, he talked about the different planets who can and who can't go there, yeah. what they were doing and building. Like he has very detailed composition of thought on uh, 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 extraterrestrial life. Yeah. You understand me and the origins of the planet itself and the universe itself. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's very interesting because we often believe that our connection to, you know, the way that the Dogons were able to chart the stars is lost. Yeah. Right. You know, but that knowledge has always been within our DNA and always been passed down within us. There's just right. certain keepers of that knowledge. Exactly. Right? And those keepers of the knowledge are not often listened to because, especially today, we have a very static, distracted, low-level way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have to think about the mind. And it's not even to say that they were the most intelligent people on the planet. Yeah. But connected, you understand yeah, me, as yeah. being different. Like that's a different type of intelligence. Yeah. Because we only measure academia or scholarship intelligence that you get from universities. But we don't measure the intelligence you get from the universe. Yeah, yeah. You understand me? I want to talk about, you know, uh, I don't want to leave time in the star system just yet. But I do want to talk about 
um, your relationship with astronomy mm-hmm. and whether you believe astrology to be a true science or not. Well, I'm actually an amateur astronomer. Okay. I've been doing that for a long time. Yes, sir. I have a, a real nice telescope. I have a Celestron uh, S, uh, uh, SLR, and it's a real nice telescope. You can actually see the rings of Saturn. You can see Jupiter. You can see Mars. Yeah. I took a famous picture that's been circulating for years about of Mars during the summer. You take a picture of Mars during the summer, it actually has green, it has blues. Mm. It's not a red planet. You mm. can see that the ice caps are small, which means they've melted. There's a lot of liquid water on the planet. And a lot of those greens, I believe, is vegetation. Mm. You know, uh, and now all the science data is coming back out from NASA. Now all of a sudden, fresh releases are coming out. The soil on Mars is better for growing crops than on Earth. Now they're saying this: oh, there's billions of tons of liquid water on Mars now. Yeah, you know, what I believe that. And uh, they're also talking about the fact that there's an atmosphere that is equivalent to being like 18,000 feet above sea level. But that's like going to Peru. I'm going to Peru in a few weeks, right? So same, same thing. You got to acclimate to that height, to that low, that low oxygen, but you can still breathe as long as you stay close to the ground. Once you go higher up, it's going to be very dangerous. But if you're within like 10 feet of the ground, you can actually breathe. You just need to acclimate. So all of a sudden, all this is coming out because why? They get ready to, you know, to to, to, to uh, build an infrastructure up there, in my opinion, and do a breakaway civilization. That's Omar. what Elon Musk and all that's all Mars is all is all about. So I got really into it. Now one of the reasons why I built the underground shelter that you mentioned called Fort Terranova, that was back in 2012, was because I was analyzing the precession of the equinoxes, the movement of the stars across the sky, the constellations across the sky. I noticed that they were speeding up. Based on my calculations, it was moving, instead of 27,000 years for one cycle, it was actually averaging around 25,000. I'm like, are the books wrong? Are these are these great astronomers wrong? Or what's going on? And the more I dug into it, the more I looked into it, I realized the only thing that can explain this is if our sun is orbiting something. It would need breakaway speed. And it would, you know, it would speed up and it would slow down, speed up and slow down. So I started digging into that. I found out that they had something they were calling nemesis out there. Something that they couldn't uh, exactly say what it was, but they were saying there was a huge object out there orbiting our sun and our sun was orbiting it. And they found it about three or four years ago. They labeled it planet nine, but really, really is a brown dwarf star. Mm-hmm. They found a brown door orbiting our sun. So we live in a binary solar system. We don't have one sun. We actually have two. One's a brown door, which you can only see with uh, two mass infrared mode on your, um, on your telescope. You have to have a digital scope to see that because it's so dim, you can't see with the naked eye. Is the sun black or white? The sun is white. It's bright white. So it's not black, actually. If you actually were able to go out and look at the sun above the um the atmosphere, you'll find that it's, it's actually bright white light. When it hits our atmosphere, it scatters. And when the light breaks down, we see more of the, the yellows because the blues are, are kept up there. So uh, the sun actually is bright white. Well, I saw him say that the sun is black, but it's the you know charge of light that gives it the appearance of white. Well, it's a nuclear explosion. Now, what's interesting about the sun is that a lot of the light doesn't even get to the surface for like 100, 200,000 years. So it could be both, a little bit of both. It could be that it is a dark sun, but the light is what we can see. For example, the, the, the sun is eight light minutes away from Earth. So if the sun went dark right now, we'd have daylight for eight minutes. Uh-huh. Now the light... And that's 90 million miles away. 90 million miles away, right. And the light, and the, the light that's formed on the inside from the collision of the atoms uh, on the inside, the nuclei, 
when they when they're colliding and, and splitting, that light it doesn't go straight from the center core right out to the outside of the sun. It actually meanders through the inside of the sun for thousands and thousands of years before it releases itself and leaves the corona. Then it takes eight minutes to get to Earth. So the light that we're experiencing right now is hundreds of thousands of years old before it even got to us. Mm-hmm. I'm saying before it left our sun. So light is very interesting. You understand me? I want to talk about light and water for a second. Look like we might get to the whole elemental period by the time we do this conversation. So, you know, I remember before I got on a journey of, you know, teaching in the financial literacy and liberation aspect, you know, my deeper studies was into quantum physics and science and psychology and, you know, a multitude of different things that I believe would help guide enlightenment. You understand me? Yeah. And so studying light, I started studying the fourth phase of water, right? Uh, where in between, you know, for those who don't know, you know, water has four different phases. Some people say five, but we go into the four. You understand me? Solid, liquid, gas. You understand me? And I used to think about that because I say the only difference between the water and the structure is the proton arrangement, not the proton count. Right. So it's not something new that's happening to the water that is entered into it that changes its state. It's the arrangement, yeah. you understand me, of its energy. And so when I thought about that, and then, of course, you know, light is energy. So we can say that it's light that changes. And then water is, has the most different states out of any other elements. And so I liken that to consciousness, right? Yeah. That our consciousness can be in rigid states, it can be in flow states, right? Yeah. Um, and But what changes? Your consciousness going from a lower consciousness to a higher consciousness yeah. is enlightenment, yeah. right? It, you know, when we read, right, I always say we re-add, right? You're re-adding knowledge that is already in us because we're not actually, nothing physical is going in there. Nothing is going to tinkering and changing with your brain. It's literally electricity changing the arrangement, yeah. you understand me, and the structure of your state of consciousness. Yeah. And you can see a symbol, right, and gain enlightenment, yeah. right? Yeah. And it can cause an inner knowing yeah. that can have your mind, you know, uh, uh, um, raising its vibration, mm-hmm. right? Stay sleek in comfortable shapewear fabric. Depend. The only thing stronger than us is you. Done. <laughs> and, you know, that's not something that we often think about. I know a lot of people will be like, oh, this conversation ain't going to high level for real, right? <laughs> uh, but I say the fourth phase of water on purpose because, you know, everything around us emits energy. Every single thing. We walk into a room, we say, damn, the vibe is off. Right. We don't realize we're speaking in scientific terms. Yeah. You understand it's me? science. Yeah, it's true science. The vibe is off, but you have an intuitive connection on what that vibe is. Yeah. Right? That there's friction in the air, that the ions... You understand me are positive or negative charge yeah. when you go into different environments. Yeah. And so if we understood that, then number one, we will create a more conscious sensitivity to the environments that we go to. Yeah. But we are in environments that are often very austere to, you know, our uh, uh, embodiment, our aura. You understand yeah. me and who we are, because, you know, for those who don't know, we admit an aura from a heart. Yeah. You understand me? And when that is pierced, that's when we start to get sick. And we are in environments we're not supposed to be in that are in friction to whatever our vibration is. That's when we feel off, right? And there's only certain people, and I'm going to mention Lucifer, I kind of said, somebody asked me once, they said, how are you able to go into all of these different type of environments? You understand me? And not be changed by them or not feel sick by them. Sometimes you're around all these different type of people. And he said, I bring my own atmosphere. That's right. You understand me? Like, I bring my own yeah. atmosphere. 
I know exactly. I know exactly what it means. Yeah. I walk into a place and I put a bubble around myself. Yeah. I just literally put an energy bubble. I just see it coming out of my head and wrap myself. Mm. And I walk through. I got my energy bubble. Yeah. No, that's super key. I mean, so even so, when we go to water, right? We seventy to ninety percent water. Some people say I'm basically almost hundred percent because even those things can be made up of water. Yeah. But when we're talking about water and the effect that light has on water, right? Because you know, water is charged by light, yeah. and water has memory in it. That's right. You understand me? I think it was Dr. John Pollock that was giving a breakdown on the four phases of water, and it was one of the same doctors who discovered, I believe, HIV back in the day, who was trying to figure out ways to utilize uh, uh, um, sound waves to create medicine. Yeah. You understand yeah. me? And basically that every disease has a frequency and yeah. if he can counteract that disease with a dominant frequency of the cure, then he can cure yeah. that person right. because water traps frequency in this protons. Yeah. You understand me? So that if our environment is a certain vibration, then we take on that vibration of that environment. Yep, yeah, absolutely. It's the same study about rice and water. When you speak yeah. over certain things, you're trapping that, right? So that's why nobody who's angry should ever serve you food. Exactly. Or they dislike. You make a waiter mad. Don't eat the food from there anymore. No. Got to keep them happy and pleasant. Otherwise, they can give you food poisoning just based on their negative energy. Right. Right? right. But I bring that up to bring this. Uh, you know, as human beings, the things that we should know the most about, we know the least about. Yeah. And that's being a human being. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, water and light. Right? We are light beings and we are water beings. Yeah. You understand me? Holy. So... I studied that to understand the effects that the environment has on myself. Yeah. That's knowledge of self, to yeah. knowledge of cells. You gotta do that. So, you know, what is it about light itself as uh, a messenger of information that is important that we observe from the things that we eat besides the breakdowns, okay? Yeah. <laughs> right? Where we go to, but at the same time being a, a, a way for our brains to be able to travel. Yeah. Right? Like, and then can you correlate it to biophotons? You understand me? Um, you know, when I be thinking, I just be having thoughts that they jump over. That's, that's why I had to call this show a conversation. Um, so as light beings, what does that mean? Well, one thing people don't understand is that we are all made of actual light. Well, everything in the third dimension is made of light. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we are light and light is us. We know that the illusion of this avatar body and this chair I'm sitting on and the table that you're sitting at, the illusion of it's there, what that, what that, what, what is this? This is slow down light waves. Mm -hmm. When you slow light down and the consciousness interacts with it, it collapses into what we call solid matter. Mm. So solid matter is actually an illusion. Right. For example, the only thing stopping my hand from going through this chair is the repulsion of the electromagnetic frequencies. I don't actually touch the chairs. We right. don't touch anything. Yeah. And so if I could phase shift the atomic frequency of my hand to match the same frequency of the atoms in this chair, I'd pass my hand right through it mm. because atoms are 99.999% empty space. Right, like point liquid into liquid. Exactly, you know. That's why when galaxies merge together, like we're merging with a, gal a galaxy right now called Sagittarius, mm. you don't see any real collisions happening or anything around. That's my Sagittarius. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, galaxies are mostly empty space, just like atoms. Everything's a fractal. So... We are light beings, and also, because of that, we are fractal. We have consciousness, which is also light. And what is a fractal? A fractal is when you take, for example, if you look at a, um, uh, a hologram, 
and you go to one part of the hologram, one tiny piece, and look at it, you'll see the entire image in that smallest piece. Mm, okay, the only thing yeah. you lose is a little bit of resolution. Mm. Okay. And so it's important for people to understand that this entire realm is a fractal of a whole. In other words, as above, so below. So if you look at an atom, it gives you the whole thing. It gives you the whole thing, absolutely. So human beings, would you consider a fractal of the universe? We're a fractal of the universe. And our consciousness, even though it's one consciousness, it's also a fractal of the main master of consciousness. And it's really incredible that every thought that you think in your skull, it leaves your skull as a form of a light wave. Uh, every time you think. Yeah, man. Every light wave, every time you think. We know this because we can put a cap on your head in a laboratory Put a little electrodes on its sensors until you think about something, and it's going to show up on the computer screen. Mm-hmm. Because the computer is reading the light waves coming out of your skull. We can't see those waves because we can only see 1% of the light spectrum as human beings. Right. We're limited. We don't see gamma rays. We don't see right. ultraviolet. What and, affects us the most. Yeah, exactly. Those yeah. are things that are all around us that are really in, uh, uh, you know, interacting with us all the time in our brains. Right. And, and that's what I was getting to with the water because... The ultraviolet radiation is what causes that fourth phase to flow, like mm-hmm. blood flow within our bodies and things right. of that nature by creating a separation between positive and negative charge. And in between that small space right there is where it creates that charge and flow. And it was doing a uh, study where they tried to take two uh, products, put one on the other end to create energy. Yeah. Right. But uh, go ahead. Yeah. So that's what it is. So, you know, we, we have this power to of thought which you're talking about having the ability to even travel through light, leaving your mind and traveling through light. Every, you can actually connect to other realms, other dimensions through conscious thought. Quantum entangling your light waves with other light waves that exist in the universe, not only in the third dimension, but even multiple dimensions. Right. So like quantum entanglement, for yeah. those who don't understand, are two basically atoms that are entangled with one another, even if they are at vast distances. Right. Right. And Einstein called it, you know, spooky. Right, because he didn't understand what was going on. Right, right. But we understand. He said a spooky action at a distance. Yeah. And you can entangle atoms, you can entangle photons, mm-hmm. which are lights. Right? So and you think that's what happens when people fall in love, they consider to be soulmates? I think it happens. Well, your mind can entangle with somebody on the other side of the universe. Mm. A lot of the times, you know, you can say, oh, I came up with this great idea. Right. But you really did. You right. just downloaded that idea because you entangled with the information. Entangled. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> all information actually exists. And now, like, big-time mainstream quantum physicists and theoretical physicists are admitting that this is true now. Yeah. Like, it's not woo-woo science no more. This is like you're getting taught in university. When I was at MIT studying applied neuroscience, uh, one of the things we learned about was this exact thing. The fact that not only can you walk in a room, like you were saying earlier, and you can uh, sense the vibe and you can actually transmit negative or positive energy mm-hmm. to somebody. Somebody's at a, at a low frequency and you walk in positive and high, high frequency enough, your light being can actually raise their energy level. Right, right. And if you're not high enough and they're, and they're low, they right. can actually drop your energy level. Right. Depends on how strong you are consciously. Uh, and then also we talked about the fact that we can entangle with information throughout the entire multiverse. Mm. So information could even come from the universe own mind. If you're able to discern the information, you can actually then, if you can put the action behind it, it could be one of the greatest inventions. It could be Web3. It could be, you know what I'm saying, whatever. Whatever yeah. you got going on now. NFTs or whatever. All this stuff comes from other places. Um, so, biophotons is what I wanted to get to. Um, 
Because biophotons to me is very interesting because I think it's like taking the concept of science, physics, and being able to apply it. You understand me in a real world sense and connect, you know, um, yourself and your will, right? You know, um, it was Dr. Wesley. He has the Book of God. He has a, a very, very dope book, very amazing book. I, I, everybody should study it. Um, but he gives a breakdown about photons, and this is one of my first introductions to it. When um, he was talking about a study that was done at this university, you know, to study uh, biophoton levels, which is basically, for those who don't know, is light within the human body. Right. And so one of the things that they studied was the fact that during the time that a patient was sick, you understand me, the light that they emitted glowed bright, right? And, of course, that was because the body was working to heal itself. Yeah. And the thought process was that if you go back to ancient human being origins, that those human beings were just light beings, complete light beings. And as, you know, as I'm positing this thought right now, as melanin, you understand me, overtook those bodies. Uh, and you're talking about, you know, that very dark melanin. And then you have light, you know, piercing out of that, which used to be where hair follicles are. You understand me? Then you're talking about a blue aura, a blue hue, right? And so in ancient texts where you see a lot of the blue representation of gods or beings, there were the representation of the original man and woman as light beings. Yeah. Now, the way that I connected to science more so was the idea that, you know, our mind has light within it, right? And it communicates directly with the light outside. And that yeah. This is scientifically proven that we can think things and bend the will of reality around us. Like right. The matrix played with our concepts and ideas. The spoon doesn't exist idea. Right. But more so is, you know, each one of us have different levels of consciousness and conscious power. Yeah. And the ability to bend and, and change reality around us, which is also a very masculine trait because testosterone increases that biophotonic energy. You understand me? Within the body. So depleted testosterone depletes willpower as well. So it's saying that, for me, I always say that one act of masculinity is willpower. The ability to take thoughts outside your mind and produce them into reality. So if you have a people who are not able to produce their thoughts, Mm -hmm. then those people are lost without that will, right? Without that power, without that godliness. And so that's something that I think about often as I see our brothers and sisters hoping and wishing yeah. and, and trying to bring things forth, but they just can't because that light inside them is dead. Yeah. Plus, a lot of the male in, in this society right now are being emasculated. Oh, yeah. Sterilized. And so, you know, and a lot of it's, it's chemical-based. Yes. It's the food. Chemical it's castration. The, uh, chemical castration, man. It's, it's all these microplastics. That are, uh, you know, we're, we're inhaling them, we're eating mm. them, it's in the food, it's in everything. They did a test on those microplastics. They were converting frogs, in male frogs, into women. Right, right, right. You know, through, I mean, this is just crazy stuff. So That's a hell of a leap. It's a big leap. <laughs> 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 oh, <laughs> but it's so true, you know, and so uh, it's it's taking away, uh, the, the, the testosterone levels in men are the lowest it's been since they've been recording. Right. And so to that effect, what you're saying is the the levels are dropping and the ability for people to make 
men to make a lot of logical decisions right. is also dropping. Right. You see men now operating more off of um, emotion versus logic. Right. That balance of logic versus emotion isn't there anymore. Right. Uh, a lot of times, there's a lot more men that are more emotional than women. Yes. So their their plan is working out, you know, yeah. and, and the plan for them really is to not let us discover our light body. Mm-hmm. Now, let us discover our life consciousness and the power that we really truly have inside of us to change and bend and mold this matrix to our will and overcome and supersede where, 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 where they are. Right. What they want us to do is just continue to stay in these small little pockets, fighting each other over scraps and not really ever getting to the higher levels and realizing that we're supposed to be able to bring our heaven right here to this earth right, right. now. And see, that, that that reminds me of when you talk about the beings that can see and they look down, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you imagine somebody in a, a tower looking down on the people yeah. playing the game of the rat race, but yeah. they can see dimensions. They can see where the people are headed. They can see all different angles, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And those are the people the what considered to be the 1%. You understand me? And then, of course, that can be translated into multi-different, yeah. you know, uh, uh, names and forms and species and things of that nature. But the ruling class, if yeah. you will, you understand me? Uh, the manipulating class, mm-hmm. those who practice trickology and deceit on the yeah. rest of the population to not know their power. Right. Like the greatest trick of the devil is to get you to not know that you are God. That's it. You understand me? Because the moment that you have self-realization of your power, number one, you stop looking at them to help manage you discover it. Exactly. Because if we go to chattel slavery times, and I like to say chattel slavery just mm-hmm. because it's such a different form than the rest of the slavery. Yeah. But channel slavery is all about breaking that knowledge of self and that knowing of who you are. Because how can you make a slave unless he is completely dependent upon your will? In the test, testosterone-filled masculine slaves were the hardest ones to break, the ones that have their own faith and belief systems, Mm -hmm. because they weren't going to relinquish that power to someone else. No, they fought, and there were insurrections all throughout times because that willpower was fighting another will. You understand me? It, it, you know, uh, and so now what we got is more so Chris Rock, where you don't fight the wheel no more. You just let it slap you around. You understand me? I just had to drop another one. <laughs> I can't help myself. I can't help myself. <laughs> but the lack of... <laughs> I love with jokes, y'all. I love with jokes. I love with comedy. But no, for real though, because... You know, here we are in present day. When we talk about chemical castration, man, this is very important. Like, we went through so many different phases of fighting those beings. You understand me? Who bring in drugs, who bring in guns, who bring in propaganda, you know, who bring in, you know, uh, uh, MK Ultra. You understand me? And toxins toxins, poisons on the air to every single thing. It's not black people. No, definitely not. We ain't got that type of we ain't got that type of control. No. Unfortunately, yeah. that's the issue. Right. So you know, like you can take that back. To, it's, it's unfortunate that you know the greatest minds are producing destructive things. Their greatest minds are producing destructive things. Yeah. You know, and now what we are in this phase of reality is figuring out who we are. Because that's still always the biggest key to all of this. Yeah. Because the hardest thing is to teach another black man or woman. Who you are. Right. Let me teach you whether you want to call yourself black, original, you understand me, more Hebrew, Israelite, yeah. you know, alien, whatever you want to call yourself. You can describe yourself as an Anunnakian. Yeah. But understanding at the core, you understand me, that being of godliness that you possess. Right. And that that is unstoppable. 
once you truly recognize who you yeah, are. Yeah. Not just from literature, mm-hmm. not just through paperwork. I'm talking about through spirit, things that can't be taught that have to be known deep yeah. within. You have to you have to walk in your own power. When I walk places, when I go places, I expect the, the universe to unfold for me. I expect, Absolutely. I expect things to open up for me and things to just happen for me when I walk into places. I can just be going to the grocery store. I'm walking in power. People, if they can jump inside of my body and feel what I'm feeling, they'd be like, God damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy really, you know what yeah. I'm saying? I'm walking, everywhere I go, I'm walking in pure power. I, I, I act like I'm commanding and wielding the universe to my will. And that's something that scares us. The reason why is because we've been programmed to think if you do that, that's of the devil and that's mm-hmm. evil. And you, you gotta beg somebody else to give you this power. You can't just walk in this kind of power. But the same power that created everything we see in this entire universe, in this multiverse, is the same power that's inside my body. That's a fact. Yeah. You know, I want to talk about something because when we talk about power, culture is probably, our culture specifically, which is getting to our spirit, powers this world. We are the battery. Yeah. You know, I mean, melanin is a battery itself. Yeah. Right? And when we talk about that, I was studying, you know, years ago, the Kardashev scale. Okay. Right? When we're talking about type zero to yeah. one, three, four civilizations. And when I was studying back then, I would relate everything I learned in physics and science to black culture and how it could be an analogy to where we can utilize to liberate ourselves. So, Grow your business with two times membership rewards points on your first $50,000 spent. One point per dollar after that. <laughs> so for those who don't know, this Carter's scale is a model of you know, how civilizations can grow, if you will, right, right into a uh, uh, more efficient system and models and more mm-hmm. control, right? Yeah. So we are currently, well, I believe, you know, like 0.5, yeah, but yeah. type 0 civilization, yeah, right? Type 0. We're crawling, though. We're trying to crawl. We're trying. The yeah. concepts are getting out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It but, is. you know, the politics are in the way, to be honest. That's what happened. The poly tricks. Yeah, the poly tricks. <laughs> so type 0 is saying that we get our energy from dead coal and plants. Yeah. You understand me? That, you know, uh, our energy systems, number one, are inefficient. Mm-hmm. You understand me? And that's why we steady have these energy wars. Yeah. You understand me? That yeah. we are dependent upon these resources. Yeah. That we don't have the ability to reproduce ourselves. Mm-hmm. You understand me? Yeah. And or have control over supply. And so, you know, that's why human beings are always at risk for extinction Ideally, it's because we don't control external things outside. You understand? We can't control a meteor hitting this planet. We can't control the sun exploding. We can't control any of those things. So that's why man now just wants to jump to another planet. Mm -hmm. You understand me? Because he don't believe that he will be able to gain control before it's too late. Right? Right. But a type one is more so talking about the ability to control weather, control earth, control the sun. Or at least in a sense, being able to, to absorb all energy from the sun and utilize that to power the world yeah. that is today. And then you have the analogy of type one type systems, right? Uh, type one language would be, will be considered like English. English, you know, there are languages that's going to stinks every day. Yeah. You understand me? And English is rapidly fast growing all across the planet Earth to become a type one language where everybody on the planet speaks English. Yeah. So that is a method, you understand me, uh, uh, of energy transfer, communication and translation that all being this planet Earth will be in understanding. Yeah. Then when we're talking about systems like music, mm-hmm. hip hop 
is a I consider hip hop a basically a type one system when you're talking about music. Yeah. Because hip hop produced things, number one, and tones and frequencies and rhythms that are known all across the planet Earth. Yeah, it's not now. Right. And then you have other beings, the Beyonce's of the world, the Kanye's of the world, who are known by people all throughout the entire planet Earth. Yeah. You understand me? From a one world system, yeah. these are very identifiable symbols, mm-hmm. right? Because they're not, you don't know the person. Yeah. So the person is, the brand is a symbol, mm-hmm. which is a representation of a, a energy. You understand me? That has a translation that creates feeling, right, from each person that knows it in their perspective and their connection to it. But as I say all of that, I say all that to say hip-hop culture is the most powerful energy that exists on this planet Earth. You understand me? Because it can move reality in ways that we don't even understand yet. Because it's a one-world communication system to all melanated people across the planet Earth. That we can literally put everybody on the same vibration and frequency, you understand me, by exporting culture throughout the diaspora. Yeah. And if we understood how powerful that concept was, we have the ability to leap past and make quantum leaps over everybody with this system that we created called hip hop. And this is why we have so many culture watches, because culture watches understand this express way throughout the world. Oh, yeah. If I connect to a rapper, if I'm a white guy, and if I'm a smart white guy, I need to, and if I can afford it, I need to get close to the rappers. Yeah. The rappers don't realize they have more leverage than I do. They're the big yeah. influence of the world. Big yes. world. I've never seen a rapper understood their value so much when they stand next to a white guy and give them their presence. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're giving them an in culture and you're giving them an audience where you're spreading their message yeah. and connecting them to hip hop. Right. And it's wildly known that there are a lot of culture vultures. We just don't speak on it. Yeah. You understand me? Because people are, you know, favored for this, favored for that. But once you really understand it, there was a, I'm not going to name a name at this point, um, famous, he might be a billionaire, yeah. maybe a couple hundred million or whatever. Um, but I was speaking in the same arena he was speaking in. He was speaking right after me. Yeah. You know, and I kept trying to rub shoulders. I'm giving them a cold shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I don't want no pictures, no nothing. Right. Because what I realized that he would get more value if I took a picture with him than he would get from me. Right. Because now he's connected to top thought leader in the culture. He seems down. You yeah. understand me? He seems connected. Yeah. History will look at that picture and say we had a relationship. Yeah. You understand me? How could he be other than, you know, in the way we trying to depict his morality if he was connected to 19 Keys at that time? Yeah. So why wouldn't I utilize that as leverage? Why would I just allow somebody to absorb my value, connect to my culture, but we don't think about time, we don't think about our true power at all. Energy vampires. Yeah, energy vampires. Yeah. And we utilize our dead leaders as our coal and our energy. You understand me? Yeah. So we're not operating in the present system controlling our weather, controlling our culture, controlling our time, controlling our language, our mind, our music. Yeah. So for me, it's about taking, you know, melanated people from a type zero civilization to a type one civilization. And then, you know, type two and three, the old civilization, you're talking about controlling planets. Oh, yeah. yeah. All kind of stuff. We don't even need to go there yet. We're far off. But it's an interesting model and it's an interesting idea when you're talking about measuring progress of a people mm-hmm. that have been trapped under another people's thumb. Yeah. You understand me? And working to increase the aggregate efficiency of our output 
Yeah. What we put out based on the energy that we get back. Yeah. And how do we increase that as a people, right. you know, for a revolution? Yeah. Right? But I want to talk to you about something else because I was talking about AI. Now, I look at, uh, we know we are in a time of declining population. Yeah. Right? Uh, specifically in America anyway. You understand me? When Elon Musk said that, you know, we need population growth and Bill Gates said we need population decline. Yeah. What I realized they were talking about two different places. Elon Musk was talking about America, Bill Gates was talking about Africa. Yep. So Bill Gates was saying that they're going to have another 2 billion people by 2050. <laughs> uh, we need population decline over there. Yeah. Elon Musk said, well, listen, we already have fewer uh, births than we do deaths. Mm-hmm. You understand me? So therefore, we're on a decline. Yeah. We need more birth, right? So he's trying to get out of here. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. trying to go. He's trying to get out. He's about to party too crowded. You feel me? He grew up in South Africa, so he know what it's like where it's seven percent of them over there. You know. So it, it, it's interesting because I look at those who are in power. Of course, power wants to maintain power. Yeah. Right. So it only makes sense that the people that are in power wants to continue to see power, and they don't want to concede power to anybody else. So when you're talking about playing God, that's what they want to do. You can't have the population size. We have to figure out another way to maintain control. Yeah. And AI to me is one of those ways to be able to maintain control. Mm-hmm. You won't have the brain trust anywhere because people outside are no longer just coming in and saying, well, we'll give our brain to America, spark invention and innovation. Yeah. There's decreasing innovation and invention in this country. Yeah. So not only you got AI in the form of artificial intelligence, and I'm 19 keys, so I break things down into one nine, but A is numerical uh, uh, one and I is numerical nine. And that 19 is representation of Male, female, math, uh, uh, conscious, subconscious, mm-hmm. you understand me? Uh, uh, God itself. Because yeah. everything is between that one through nine. Yeah. Collapse back into a one. When we talk about artificial intelligence, it's more so not even just AI, artificial intelligence, artificial insemination, artificial ingredients as well, yeah. right? And these are all the ways that I see that those who are in power are working to maintain power, utilizing mm-hmm. AI. Can you speak upon the future of AI and where we headed. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> the AI is uh, it's dangerous. Mm. If you look into the ancient Sumerian tablets, you'll discover in the epic of Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh, who was considered to be half human, half god. They call him a demigod. His father was uh, Enki, and he had a human mother, according to the tablets. Yeah. Uh, and they want to send and Lil, who was, who was his uncle, sent him on a journey, a hero's journey. This is the original story of Noah's Ark, by the mm-hmm. way. This is where the Bible got it from. I so Sumerian, for those who don't know, the, yeah. the Anunnaki, uh, first civilization. First civilization, uh, the cradle of civilization. They call it the cradle of civilization, coming out of Mesopotamia. What did they invent? Uh, roads, city, uh, great city, great streets, uh, bicameral Congress. Uh, plumbing systems, mm. I mean, you name it, everything you could think of, schooling and uh, chemistry and mathematics, and they even had a metric system mm. back then. Talking about, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago, yeah. metric And so they literally, the whole modern society we have today came out of Sumer. There's a tablet that where Enlil is speaking, and he's showing his sister this crystal tablet, by the way, is what it's called. And he's showing her his plans for all time on this planet. He said, these plans time. I have here, these plans are going to last for all time. And that's where we still, we're still in today. we still got the same poly trickster program he put in back then. They had their own numerical kingship the way they ran their, their selves. But they gave humans 
the uh, the political system. That's a very and they also installed idea. inflation at that same exact time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that's a very, 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 very interesting idea. <coughs> uh, that So in that system, right, I know that children who are born, you know, same time you're born in any time, you succumb to a dominant paradigm. The dominant frequency wins, yes. right? And so do you believe that based on, you know, the Anunnaki or Enlil having this crystal tablet, you understand me, where he wrote down his uh, his plans for time dominance, yeah. you understand me, so that he can conquer ages of time. Do you think that it's possible to go against that plan, you understand me, and create our own will for the planet? Yeah, it can. The program that he put in was so good, you know, we're born, we're given a name, a race, and a religion, and we're basically, we, we grow up defending that whole identity. It's a fake identity. It's not really us. We've kind of forgotten and relinquished who we really are and given it up to this system, this this um, this institutionalized system that we put in place thousands of years ago. But if we really come together, that's the biggest part we got to do. We got to come together and stop all this divide and conquer. Uh, you know, you're this religion, I'm this thing, or you're this light skin, and I'm this dark skin. All this stuff, we got to, you know, black people, black men want to fight black men all the time. We want to attack each other socially now on social media because you're doing too good and I'm not doing as good as you. We've got to drop all of that. We've yeah. got to stop all of that. we got to synchronize. We've got to realize that we're better together than apart. Not tearing each other down, fighting each other, slapping each other. All this kind of crazy stuff. Yeah. we got to come together and we got to realize, man, how can I bring a piece of the puzzle? How can you bring a piece of the puzzle? You know what I'm saying? Just sitting here talking to you, you've got pieces of the puzzle that I don't have, and i got pieces of the puzzle that you don't have. We can start yes. building a whole, whole puzzle. We can put a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. And you add more people, and that's, you know, that picture, that painting is amazing. Yeah. We can make a mosaic. Yeah. And so, um, until we get to that point, though, we're always going to be bickering and fighting and arguing over resources and pocket watching and hating and worrying about this and worrying about that, because that's the program they instilled into us. We gotta now override this DNA and this RNA programming code. We gotta say, you know what? We gotta, we gotta talk to ourselves. You know what? I'm being a hater right now. I'm being a troll right now. I'm, I'm, I'm pocket watching right now. I'm being jealous right now. Why am I doing that? And analyze inside of ourselves. Why am I doing this? Why do I feel like this? And work on our internal self and learn how to not be that way. Learn how to Give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Learn how to try to work somebody. Learn how to ask better questions so you can understand better instead of getting angry. And, uh, you know, learn how to control your emotional state. And when we can do that and we can link up and we can make big power moves together, that's when the world's going to change. That's very powerful. You understand me? And, of course, it's something that, you know, we've known but not been able to do. Yeah. So we talk about DNA, right? Because really in order to... Uh, give a breakdown on, you know, the Anunnaki and the Sumerians. We need to dedicate an entire, oh yes, oh right, breakdown for that story, and, and we can, you know, say that for another day in time. But I want to go and talk about DNA and the ability to upgrade our DNA. Yeah. You know, one of the ways that I upgrade my DNA is through travel. You understand me, and through meditation and eating and environment, things of that nature. But can you talk about DNA? and our ability to upgrade our DNA and yeah. some of the methods that we can utilize practically? First of all, people have to understand that DNA is a storage medium. It actually stores data and information. So when we say things like your program code and you're operating off your code, it's actually a true scientific statement. One gram of DNA can hold 433 petabytes of data. 
This one scientist, George Church, replicated his ebook 80 billion times and downloaded it onto one gram of DNA, which is mm. one drop on the tip of your finger. 80 billion times. 80 billion. What he did was he realized that DNA stored information. He was like, wow, our body is full of data. The whole human body is full of data. Billions and billions and billions of petabytes of data. data. And what he said was he realized you could take a data from a server, a computer, I mean, and convert it from zeros and ones into A's, T's, and G's, which is what your DNA reads. And then you can actually download the data into the DNA and store data in a volume instead of storing it linearly, linear, linear, like time, one arrow. Well, when you can store it in a volume, you can store much more information. So then he replicated it 80 billion times, and then he transferred from DNA, from A's, T's, and G's, back into zeros and ones and uploaded it back into a computer. So he recognized that DNA is also a server. He's like, man, this is incredible. Uh So we have this ability in us to move data and information. Now, because of uh, something called epigenetic memories, we know that 15, 20 generations before us, that programming code was downloaded into our body. So you're born with this hard-coded information already in your body. Most of it is only, though, this is the sad part, is only uh, trauma that came from previous generations. All the slave beatings and whoopings and the separation of loved ones and the buck fighting, all that stuff, it's in your body. Mm. That's why when black people start feeling like I'm depressed, I got PTSD, but they don't know why. I'm feeling, uh, you know, I'm feeling down or ill or angry or whatever. A lot of it is it's the epigenetics. So to overcome this, what scientists realize, you can actually start to re-encode that DNA by doing simple things. Simple. One thing is, write down 10 positive affirmations about yourself and then speak those out loud three times a day, out loud, mm. for 21 days, and your DNA begins to change or rewrite itself. You begin to start to believe those cymatic frequencies coming out of your mouth, that your body is actually listening to the information. Like you said before, the body is mostly water. The water has memory. Mm. The water in your body speaks conscious energy. So when you are releasing that conscious energy into the atmosphere, your body is then absorbing it back into the water, and then the light force energy is rewriting your DNA. And so we can actually rewrite our DNA. We can change what we think and see and feel about ourselves just by speaking out loud, like you said, meditation, and I love travel. That's all I do is travel nonstop. That's going to enlighten and open up broad all your horizons. It's going to make you see things from other perspectives and understand it's going to raise your consciousness traveling I tell people all the time, leave your zip code. You got to. No, that's a fact because you got to think about the making of a slave. If I want to make somebody a slave, I don't want them to see the world. Right. You understand? I need them to only see from my perspective. Yeah. You understand me? Because therefore, they're going to have my same biases engineered within them. Mm-hmm. And I can control the radius of where yeah. they go. Yeah. You may think that, oh, if you walk over here, you might die. Somebody's going to attack <laughs> you. But if you actually travel there, there's no way a person can make up that lie that causes you to haunt yourself within fear, yeah. right? And most people, God is fear. Mm-hmm. You understand me? Everything that they fear creates the radius, the circumference, the diameter of their thinking, their movement, yep. right? Their entire being. And so breaking away from, you know, those connections of fear allows you to be restored into who you really are, to yep. walk around as a child. A child doesn't know fear. Yeah. A child is programmed into fear. A child is programmed into civilization. Yeah. You understand me coming under jurisdiction and code to operate in a manner of behavior that allows them to, you know, be so-called the uh, a free within a world of this social contract that we have. But the reality of it is, is that for us to be able to develop, 
and to grow into who we are and to be able to transition out of these thought forms that control this world. You understand me? Um, and, and to break these cabals of power, it has to start with this realization that becomes a field. Or you talked about unity. You know, like Muhammad say, our unity is more powerful than an atomic bomb. But then when you think about what is an atomic bomb, you understand me? The breaking of those atoms, yeah. you understand me? And, you know, when we build, you know, the guys always talk about, you know, we, we cracking atoms. Yeah. You understand yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. We create new worlds. Mm -hmm. But it, we think about all of that energy coming together because, you know, human being energies are jewels. Yeah. You understand me? And if we were able to bring that electricity together, it literally would be an atomic bomb. Oh, yeah. And that sort of energy has the ability to create atomic shift on this planet. Yeah. You understand me? That can create new paradigm shifts on this planet Earth. So anytime anything is observed uh, through the collective, a shift happens at that moment. Yeah. There's no collective observations or world events that don't change the world. Yeah. Because once the whole entire world gains a collective perspective on something, it creates a new dimension, a new angle, a new inventions, innovations, realities. Everything starts to happen from that moment. And we've been through many of them in our lifetime already. It's just in the last 10 years. Yeah. We, we'd have been through recessions, paradigm shifts, different new presidents. We'd have been through 9-11. We'd have been through so many different things. Yeah. Today, during the timing of this filming, there's a terrorist attack that happened. And April happens to be one of the most observant uh, months of white terrorist attacks, right? From Timothy McVeigh, from the Oklahoma bombings to yeah. the uh, 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 Columbine, oh, Columbine, right? right. Wow. And it's a few other ones. April is one of those, you know, it's the fourth month. So a lot of things that happen on the fourth. Yeah. And once we understand that we, we living in this world of a four corner contract, you understand me yeah. that, you know, paperwork rules this world and lifts us off of being attached to the land itself. Yeah. That when we walk around, we don't look down at our feet and say we own the land. We have right. dominion over the land. Yeah. We think that we are always on someone else's land. We're yeah. always under someone else's control. And that mental observation depletes the soul of being able to have a real connection with the earth itself. Yeah, it does. When you look around, you there's somebody has sky rights and land rights. Yeah. Not ownership, but rights. Right. Right? And once we realize we live in we living in someone else's plans, as you say. Mm -hmm. Whether you believe it's the Anunnaki, whether you believe it's the one percent, whether you believe it's these families or control, you have to know that we're living in somebody else's time system mm -hmm. and it works very well. Oh, very well. Very well. They mastered this stuff. Way too well, Man. matter of fact. You know, and we are controlled by invisible forces. Yeah. And if you don't think you do, you stop at a stop sign. You you stop when there's a street light. You understand me? And you don't cross that line because something may happen to you. An invisible force, no police around, no people. Yeah, yeah. But you still listen. Yeah. You understand me? That is, I mean, you're talking about some people, it may not be cars from miles. Yeah. And they will still follow that system, yeah. right? I want you to touch on the ideas of systems. You know, because institutions is what I focus on, like the reality of we building institutions are only things that can dominate existing systems. Right. But what is the energy form of a system to where it actually has real power and control over human forms? Yeah. Well, the, the way that they built all these institutionalized systems that we have that are controlling mankind, they're all predicated on fear. 
you'll find that fear is the biggest thing. For example, you go to school. If you don't get good grades, you're going to get in trouble. You know, you won't yeah. pass the next grade. If you act up in school, you might get, you know, stay in line or whatever. You might get spanked with the ruler or the paddle or whatever. You know, obviously on the street is follow these exact rules or you're going to go to prison. You know, so they have all these systems in place. And these systems that they put in place, when they when they have these little fear factors built into them, even religion has a lot of fear factors put into it. Absolutely. People fall in line because why? Fear, the body pays attention to fear first. The mind is always, okay, there's fear. I got to stop this fear. I got to do whatever it takes to not allow this, whatever this fear is, to happen. I don't want it to happen to me. So the body goes into fight or flight mode, and then it's just, it starts focusing on the fear. Once the body does that, these people who rule, the ruling elite, they know that we got them with the fear. Now we can manipulate them to do whatever we want. So they always do the same thing. They create the problem, okay? They wait for the reaction, and then, then they provide the solution mm-hmm. to that problem. So they're actually manipulating all sides of it based on fear. Mm-hmm. The fear is a key thing in all these institutions that has us locked in because people, when they, fear hits them, they don't recognize that fear is not real. False evidence appearing real is what fear is, right? The acronym. And, but for them, it's as real as it can be. But in true reality, fear is a choice. Yeah, fear comes from ignorance. Yeah. You know, once you know something, there's nothing to fear because you have all the data. You, you know exactly how to move, what not to do, exactly yeah. what it is, what's not. You know, and once you come to that realization, it gives you so much power over all. Yeah. Right. And so becoming fearless, mm-hmm. you understand me, is key. Yeah. Our bodies all automatically store systems to tell us fight or flight. Yeah. That in moments, the situation is giving us a signal that you are in danger. Yeah. So this danger needs to teach you to make a decision. Exactly. Either this tiger that's coming right now, <laughs> you understand me, you go stand very still and hope that it doesn't attack you, mm-hmm. or are you going to run? Right. Or are you going to fight? Yeah. You understand me? Because they're fright, flight, and fight. Mm-hmm. You understand me? And I think that that's one, and the fight is the decision that you have. Yeah. That even if this tiger is so close, there's, I can't run. I can't stand still now. Not yeah. here. I have to figure out a way where I'd rather go down fight. Yeah. And I think that that's the part of human decision making that is never deposited as an idea of this is an option. Yeah. That you can always choose to fight. Yeah. Every moment in every situation, right. even if the certainty is death. Yeah. You understand me? Because at least you would die being alive. Exactly. You understand me? Exactly. But to freeze and or just to run, because there's times where, you know, flight is the most, you know, intelligent option right. that you have. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Right. <laughs> this is very interesting. Okay, we're going to take a little break. And we're going to take a look at those stars. And we're going to, uh, that the, the, the wind calmed down a bit, so thank goodness. So, we're getting some appearances of it's going to rain, but it's not doing it yet, but let's well, call it's it. coming a little. Where? The sun. My rock is a bit wet. It is? Yeah. Did you really look? Yeah. Yay. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll take a little break, and we'll be back, be back with a look at the stars and talk to our brother Richard and Tanya Gabrielle and Kay Pacha, etc. 
and we're going to probably get some words of wisdom from our brother Richard because uh, Tanya's only got four minutes to talk to us. So she's probably got something really good to say, and that's all she needs to say. So see you very soon, everybody. Aloha. How's the talking stick to you, Richard? It says microphone on. Oh, we hear you. We hear you. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. It is the 18th of June. And the sun has just set over here on the East Coast. And today, right now, it is in conjunct Pluto over there at 29 Capricorn. And the sun's at 28 Gemini. So that's one of the reasons it's been a weird, the day has felt weird. And let's see here. Then we got, this is a, this is a, a very difficult chart. More difficult than we than we've seen uh in recent months. Alright. So from that sun and in, in conjunct Pluto, it is also trying Saturn and Moon over there in late Aquarius. For Saturn at 26, Moon is at 2 Pisces right now. So Moon was conjunct Neptune all day today. It's another reason it felt weird. All right. Now, Pluto, besides in conjunct the Sun, it also trines Mercury at 5 Gemini and Venus at 26 Taurus. And Pluto also squares Mars, and that sextiles Neptune. So Pluto's interacting with five planets. The Sun is interacting with five planets. Besides, besides trining uh, Venus and Moon, it is also squaring Neptune at 26 Pisces, and still squaring Jupiter at seven Aries. All right, that Chiron is conjunct Mars at 17 and 19. They're in the middle Aries. And what else we got here? Oh, that uh, Saturn and Moon, uh, they're squaring Venus. And Saturn is still squaring Mercury, but not for long. That's just about done with, because uh, Saturn's at 26, Mercury's at 5, so another couple of degrees, we won't call that a square no more. But Venus is coming up to square Saturn for a few days. And Uranus, uh, 18, still squaring Saturn. And that's the layout. That's the layout. And the energy, one of the possible energy pictures that we could describe the current situation onto Earth 
All right, let's go listen to Kaipacha and uh, our other lady friend there. Tanya, you might as yeah. well do. You might as well just do those back to back. Yes, and then you can have the floor after that, Rick Richard. Yeah. All right. Talk to you All soon. Right. Here we go. with the weekly paleo report for june 15th of 2022 astrology for the soul believe it or not what i talk about in these uh, paleo reports uh, is actually an astrological interpretation of the energies that are going on at the time of the report however there are so many energies going on especially this week that I'm not always referencing the planets and the signs and the aspects and the houses, uh, so especially for those who are not familiar with astrology, I don't want to get anybody confused, but let's just look at some of these aspects. It's so powerful. The, the moon is in uh, Capricorn now. We had that beautiful full moon. The strawberry full moon is what the native indigenous uh, American uh, uh, natives have to called that moon of June. After that, she's gone now into Capricorn, and she will be moving through Capricorn. She'll be conjuncting uh, with Pluto tomorrow, Thursday, before she goes into Aquarius. So she's waning now, right? After the full, you know, that's a kind of a peak. It's kind of a culmination. I'm sure you, uh, you probably felt it. You know, it's a super sensitive time. And then it begins to wane, 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 moving the life force into consciousness. So we're, uh, you know, this, the, the next two weeks here of the, of the waning moon is about, uh, expanding our consciousness. And of course, Aquarius is going to do just that. <laughs> She's going to bump into Saturn while she moves through Aquarius, right? And then, uh, square the moon's nodes, of course. We'll talk more about that. And, oh my God, I'm going to fall. And, uh, yeah, and they go into Pisces. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus. These freaking rocks, you know, that's the thing. You've got to pay attention these days <laughs> to where you are and what you're doing. And not get lost in these intellectual <laughs> mind games. <laughs> Speaking of the moon in Aquarius and astrology, right? Oh, my God. Anyway. Where was I? I mean, that's, that's just the moon, man. Venus. Let's just look at Venus now. Venus is moving through Taurus. She is coming into an exact conjunction with the north node of the moon tomorrow. Super powerful time. This whole week of Venus conjunct the north node in her home sign of Taurus. I'm going to be talking about that. <laughs> And then she, of course, moves on to square Saturn because Saturn is square the nodes. And we know that Saturn's going retrograde. The nodes are going retrograde. This has been going on for a while, and it will continue to go on for a while. Blockages, stops, hindrances, 
karma, you name it. Whoosh! We're going to be talking about that. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the interesting thing is that Saturn and Neptune are so close to each other that they are, in by degree, right, by degree, it's like, okay, well, she squares Saturn and sextiles Neptune the next day. Okay, and the sun is going to square Neptune, but trying Saturn. Okay, uh, you know, that is also coming up, you know, practically on the same day. It is just uh, absolutely amazing. That is tomorrow. Sun trines uh, Saturn and squares Neptune. And then goes on to inconjunct Pluto by Sunday before he moves into Cancer. Yes, indeed. The summer solstice in the northern hemisphere. Sun goes into Cancer on Tuesday. Ah, yeah, baby. Beautiful, beautiful time. The longest day of the year up here in the northern hemisphere, the shortest day of the year down south. Yeah. And so we've got these, these movements of the sun shifting signs. We've got Venus conjuncting the north node. And what else? Mars. Mars moving through his own home sign of Aries bumps smack dab right in the middle around 15 degrees conjuncts Chiron, the wounded masculine. So we've got some very, very powerful, uh, that's happening like right now as I speak. Mars is conjunct Chiron. Yeah. So we've got a lot of things going on, a lot of energy, and I'll try to make sense of it all. Well, uh, it's never perfect, and then uh, it always is perfect. The perfect background, the perfect lighting, the perfect this, the perfect that. We can get so caught up in all of the complexities of modern life. <laughs> Whoa, Nelly. So, what a, you know. I would just want to really look at this Venus conjunct the North Node in Taurus with Mars conjuncting Chiron in Aries at the same time. There, there are no accidents we know with astrology. We also know that the soul always creates exactly what it needs to grow and evolve. I've been preparing for uh, this weekend, I'm going to be doing the Astrology of Sexuality up in Lake Tahoe. I'm going to be doing it again in a few weeks in Ibiza, Spain. Um, that will be posted shortly. Maybe I'll put a link down below for that workshop. Yeah, I'm mean, heading over to Spain next month and then onward to Turkey and Greece. But yeah, so you know, I'm I'm looking at all this stuff and and, and really going and. De- Delving deeply into the nature of sexuality, nature into the, of, you know, of the masculine and the feminine and the yin and the yang, because this is really what this North Node in Taurus is all about. Taurus is coming down to self-sufficiency, the survival of our physical body. Our soul, Venus, is the relationship of our soul and how it connects to our physical body. It is the nature of the feminine. So I'm going and I'm reviewing some of Jeffrey Wolf Green's material. He's my teacher of evolutionary astrology. And he's going back and back and back through 
the ancient days of the matriarchy, the ancient days when there was peace and harmony and we lived in balance and in alignment with natural law. Natural law. There's a many, many natural laws. There's the law of one, that everything is connected. There's the law of three, of Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, that the, you know all of creation goes through you know, this trinity. There's the, the law of karma. There's, there are so many natural laws. And living in harmony with these natural laws, which are of Gaia, and, and, and we pick up in our physical body. We, our, our somatic wisdom, Sophia, yes, wisdom is anthroposophia, you know, is, you know, the, it's even a feminine, <laughs> feminine energy of, uh, that, you know, that translates into wisdom teachings. And it's the wisdom of man and, you know, the wisdom of humanity. Anyway. He talks about this myth of Adam and Eve. Many of you may be familiar with this myth, and it really kind of threw everything wacko. Mm. And it was kind of really brought in the patriarchy. Because what it had was it had the feminine tempting the masculine with the apple. Yes, and the Adam's apple still stuck in there. <laughs> the guys can get it, right? And, you know, and and what did this do? This this created an inequality. This created a separation because then the, it made the man more spiritual, more light above the feminine that was tempting him and drawing him down. And then he fell and he partook. Okay, of, you know, the apple that was offered to him by the woman, right? You know, and, and it created this whole dynamic that is still going on. <laughs> and so it's, you know, it had the effect, right, then of, you know, uh, suppressing and dominating and, you know, bringing the feminine energy of the goddess of Gaia down beneath that of the man. And this brought in what? Shame. Remember, they covered themselves. They, Adam and Eve left the garden and they covered up their genitals, right? You know, with the big leaves. They became ashamed of their bodies, ashamed of their sexuality, ashamed of their, you know, physical human nature. And this is still going on today. And when shame and guilt are brought into the picture, there is not, there is this. You know, this, these feelings of shame and guilt lead to a sense of I am not worthy, I am not enough, I am not beautiful, I am not a son and daughter of creator or source, that I am lacking, that I don't deserve to have abundance, that I don't deserve to have pleasure and joy in this world. And, and it's created this whole domino effect that's been going on for 6,500 years. I mean, we're going back to like, you know, Lilith and Inanna. This is Gilgamesh. This is Cuneiform. This is, I'm going back to Turkey, all right, you know, to Gobekli Tepe, you know, next month. I'll try to do a, a Pele report from there. But, you know, these, these are the ancient, ancient, ancient days, the fall of the matriarchy. And we were there. This is what's important. 
during these times where things are going up and things are going down and there's inflation and there's poverty and the stock market is crazy and the crypto is crazy and, you know, the LGBTQ plus is, you know, going on. There's all this kind of energy, political and, you know, financial and everything is in flux. Everything is in flux. And it's easy. And what this is, is this is Saturn moving through Aquarius. And it's going to be there until next March, two and a half years, almost three years in Aquarius. And Saturn is restructuring and reforming society. And it is, and and you can even look back three months ago when Venus was conjunct Saturn, that kind of started it. But now Venus has moved, okay, three quarters of the way around. It's a 90 degree square. Okay, this is a time to embody Okay, a new structure, a new form. Saturn also rules guilt and shame and judgment from external authorities. And so we can get a lot of this kind of coming through the media, kind of, you know, the cancel culture and the pointing fingers and the blaming the left or the right or the blue or the red or the men or the women or blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, there's all this kind of stuff going on. But Venus now is connecting to this north node of the moon in Taurus. And this is a coming home, like I spoke of in last week's report, this coming home to our physical body. This coming home to a sense of comfort and joy in nature. And that's where the, you know, that's where the mantra for this week comes from. I come to the mountains, forests and streams to connect with my heart and soul. The evolutionary intention of Taurus. Okay. This goal of Taurus is to fully appreciate and embrace the beauty of this physical world. Now, at the same time, it's squaring to Saturn. And and this can lead to, you know, the, the, the astrologer, the, the book def- definition can be depression. Because Saturn is reflection. So it's time to reflect very deeply upon what creates our security. Is it money? That makes us secure. No. Is it a intimate partnership that makes us secure? Is it a job that makes us secure? This Taurus is around becoming self-sufficient. And it is no accident now that the sun comes around through Gemini. Okay. And Neptune creates a 270 degree square to the sun. And that sun creates, again, this trine to Saturn. And and this brings me into, you know, like this is a time of finding our security in our infinite nature, in our infinite spiritual reincarnating soul that has been through the rise and fall of India and the rise and fall of Rome and the rise and fall of England and we'll go through the rise and the fall of the United States and we are we are beyond all this 
They called it Maya for a very good reason. <laughs> and if we attach, this is the south node of the moon in Scorpio, emotionally attaching to something outside of ourselves for our security, we can experience this loss, abandonment, neglect, you know, where things don't go our way because they're they're not meant to. Our evolutionary journey is becoming more self-aware of how powerful we are. And where does that power come from? It comes from our connection. It comes from us being a ray of light from the source of all light. It comes from each one of us. Yeah, being a thread in the tapestry of life. It comes from our eternal, infinite self. This is Neptune in Pisces. And yes, this square to the sun is saying we need to break out of, okay, you know, what is going on, okay, in the chitter chatter of the media, in the chitter chatter of, you know, our addictions to, okay, you know, the, the drama and the intensity and the ups and downs and who's winning and who's losing and who's got more and who's got less and who's on top and who's on bottom. There is all of this drama going on right now. I mean, I, I feel kind of sucked into it. <laughs> I'm an astrologer, right? I mean, the, the job, my job, okay, astrology is built on observation and correlation. So I, you know, I, I'm always, you know, needing to stay up with, you know, everything that's going on and correlate it with what's going on with the planet and the stars. And this is what astrology is all about. It makes sense. <laughs> out of this freaking madness, man. Oh. <laughs> Oh my God! And so, what I want to get into, okay, just a little more, and and I, I'm I am going to zoom uh, this uh, Sunday uh, to the New Paradigm School of Astrology. I don't know if you know about the school. If you're in the school, awesome! It's twenty two bucks a month. I mean, you, and you get a whole library of videos as well as chat groups and all kinds of as much more astrology than you can digest. <laughs> You can join the school and, and, and check out, yeah, Sunday's, uh, Sunday's event, you know, through Zoom. But, um, somebody in the comments last week asked if I would put it up on YouTube. I don't know that I'm going to put it up on YouTube. I'm going to, um, I mean, I got to always see what comes through and what I say and, you know, uh, what it feels like <laughs> before I go throwing it out there to the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But what I wanted to get into is just, you know, how this whole Adam and Eve and how this advent of religion and socio-cultural religious conditioning of patriarchal, hierarchical, male-dominated, his, his story over thousands of years has seeped into the genetic stream and it's seeped into the, you know, the collective unconscious and, you know, it's all just kind of like, you know, sewage bubbling up. <laughs> this is, you know, just like, oh my God. You know, it's time to look at all of this and get rid of it. Good idea. Get rid of it. 
because we know that there's a couple responses to guilt and shame. One is masochism and the other is sadism. Yeah, because, you know, uh, the masochist feels guilty and ashamed and whips themselves and beats themselves up and tries to be better and tries to learn and listen and, you know, you know, and just, you know, has a self-image in the toilet. (laughs) And the sadist feels that guilt and it feels that shame and it gets pissed off. Who, who, who do they think they are to call me this or to keep me down or to not, you know, and so we get this dynamic. It's sadomasochism. It goes back and forth and back and forth and it has to do with the Pisces Virgo axis. It has to do with Neptune and Mercury and we're going to just let, you know, and so here we have this Neptune square the sun in the sign of Gemini ruled by Mercury. So, you know, we can spin out Okay, very much with our anger and and we can spin out with our guilt and our shame and we can go down or we can go up. But what we're really being called to do with the North Node in Taurus and the Pluto polarity point in Cancer is to come home to ourselves, to come home to simplicity and to realize that we are eternal souls and we are visiting We're traveling through this time-space dimension. We borrowed these bodies. I like that song by the Allman Brothers, You Can't Lose What You Never Had. None of this is ours. The idea of ownership. Okay, even the Native Americans, you know, uh, you know, did not have, they didn't own Gaia. They thought the idea of actually owning pieces or chunks of land was like insane. We don't own this planet. And we don't own, we are, we're guests. Gaia is a wonderful hostess for us passing through the school of planet Earth. This brings us into a state of appreciation. This brings us into a state of gratitude. And this reminds me of the song for today. And I know it's a little cheesy, <laughs> but it is, it was written by a slave trader. Yeah. This guy that grew up and he, he was a captain on his boat and he used to bring slaves over from Africa to North America. John Newton. Oh yeah. And he lived a wretched life. And he was full of guilt and shame. Especially because I think he was brought up by uh, his his father was a minister or something. So he had these uh, roots in England where he had a bunch of, you know, Adam and Eve stuff going on where the men are supposed to be good (laughs) or closer to God (laughs) or some kind of... Yes. Anyway, <laughs> he, he, he ends up, you know, taking a, you know, a boatload of slaves across the ocean and he runs into a storm and his ship almost goes down. And he's woken up in the middle of the night and he has to, you know, come up and he's like, oh my God. And, he, and he's, he's steering, you know, and here then he just like, you know, he prays. He prays to God, goddess. To him, it was God. 
for grace, amazing grace. It is by grace that we will be led home. It is by grace. It is by magic. It is by Neptune and Pisces. It is by not all of our efforts and our will. This is the healing of Mars Chiron in Aries. The healing of this masculine is it's not my will. It's thy will. There's only one will, and that will is to love, accept, and recognize, recognize and appreciate the law of one, the connection of all that is with everything else that is. Coming into that space is Venus, conjunct the North Node. And that is the healing energy of Chiron in Aries. We've got a lot of healing to do. We've got a lot of shedding to do. We've got a lot of letting go to do of this temporal world. And whether it's your money or your job or your family or your house, stay in this place of the eternal. Don't lose ourselves in the temporal. So repeat this mantra over and over again. I have since it came to me this morning. <laughs> Just walking down here, man. I can't wait to jump in that water. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. I come to mountains, forests, and streams to connect with my heart and soul. Sitting in silence under the sun, I know all I need to know. I've been like, I always freak out with like when I'm giving a talk or I'm giving a workshop or I'm, you know, doing a retreat or something like that. It's like, oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? You know, and I've got to do it. i got to prepare for the Bailey Report and I get all that. I got to study and I got to learn and I got to know everything. And it was just like, it was like last night. It was just like, bam, stop it. Stop it. Let it all go. It's scary to let go. It's scary to sit. Turn off the phone and turn off the computer and turn off the this and the turn off the that and come out to the rock and sit on the rock with nothing. Nothing. And tap into everything. It's amazing how nourishing how strengthening, how empowering, having nothing, being nothing, seeking nothing, wanting nothing, surrendering all of the desires. This is Saturn. This is, this is self-control. This is, you know, Saturn is that self-discipline and the sign of Aquarius of non-attachment. Stepping in, stepping out of attachment, not going down with the Titanic. Just ohm. The other song that I've got for today, it's a beautiful one. And if you think you got it bad, check out this video. I'm going to put a link for it in the notes under the Paley Report in, uh, on, on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, it's a uh, cough bureau. Cough Bureau, African song. Check it out. One more time, then. 
Ready? And I come to the mountains, forests, and streams to connect with my heart and soul. Sitting in silence under the sun, I know all I need to know. It's all inside. Go there. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Okay, I'll give just one shot here. I call this spirit.
my goodness. How do you solve a mom? That was interesting. Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrometrologist. Welcome to your weekly astronomy forecast for June 13th through 19th. Now, this is the forecast where we look at selected highlights in the astrology and numerology for the coming week, beginning with our first highlight on June 14th, which is the Sagittarius full moon. And it happens at 23 degrees, which reduces to 5, 2 plus 3 is 5, on June 14th. 1 plus 4 equals 5, so a triple 5 code is activated in the numerology, which is all about freedom and liberation, adventure, taking a risk. So enjoy that energy. Now, in the stars, we have the moon and sun square teeth, T-squaring Neptune. Neptune is a planet of great sensitivity and dreams and intuition and your imagination. So this T-square is going to ask you to explore everything that has to do with any dreams you have and discarding the ones that are creating a veil and ones that are truly positive and helpful. So your extrasensory perception is a lot stronger with Neptune. You just have to be aware that you may not see things clearly. So there's an important aspect to this where you need more rest. You want to use the enhanced creative energy to, you know, apply it with your imagination, but not to make some big decisions about your life because this is very mystical energy. The moon and sun are sextile and trying to Saturn respectively, and that allows you to make those inspirations from the Neptune transit real. So it's a good day to spend some time alone and make an emotional commitment to whatever your responsibilities or duties are. And also to know that your feelings are understood at a level that brings a lot of clarity with this connection. There's a few more transits as well. There's, there's Mars conjunct Chiron, which is exact. Mercury trine Pluto and Mercury sextile Jupiter. And Mercury is important during this full moon because Mercury rules Gemini where the sun is opposite the moon in Sagittarius. So for the full forecast, go to my website, tanyagabrielle.com and watch the star codes podcast on the Sagittarius full moon. The next highlight happens on June 15th. And on this day, Mars conjuncts Chiron. And this is really about courage and accomplishment and your inner sacred warrior. Guard against being bullheaded, though, because with Mars energy, there sometimes is my way or the highway energy. So this is really a powerful moment to accept your inner sacred warrior and be conscious of it and have the capacity to direct your energy with great conviction, with great confidence. And finally, on the 18th of June, we have Venus square to Saturn. That really means you want to spend some time by yourself. This is a Saturday, so alone time and uh, just acknowledging any resistance that you may have, any criticism that you want to clear, anything you want to clear, really. It's a good time to to release that and focus on being grateful for what appears kind and affectionate. Because with Venus, Venus always brings harmony and beauty. 
and they do wonders to help you feel that sense of inner peace. You don't want to waste your precious resources. So when there's a square from Venus to Saturn, you may overspend or spend on some trivial matters. So just be aware of that as well. Have a beautiful week. And remember, you can access the deep down forecast for every day in June, plus a PDF handout, Merlin's incredible message for June. Click on the link below for a free excerpt for the June edition of the Premium Wealth Forecast. I know you'll enjoy that. So have a beautiful week and I'll see you next week. Talking stick back to you, Richard. Thank you, thank you. So, Tar gave me a quick call uh, this afternoon and said there would be some extra time here, and I uh, might want to think about bringing something to share to you. And and uh, so last week I finished this book called. The initiation, the raise and the initiations. All right, this is Alice Bailey publication of the writings of the master DK, who's my oh my deep work. Huh? <laughs> I said deep work. Yeah, deep work, deep knowledge. DK, deep knowledge. So anyway, <coughs> um, I'm 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 I I finished this probably last weekend, but I got a section here, and i give you a choice, Rama. <laughs> and I'm going to read, I'll read, uh, check this, check this, uh, this is called the, the effect of, the energy of, harmony through conflict upon humanity. Hmm. The array, the the fourth ray. There's seven rays, right? Will, love, intelligence. Then you got harmony through conflict is the fourth. Then you have science, idealism, and control. That's five, six, seven. The fourth ray is particularly an influence upon the human kingdom because the human kingdom is the fourth kingdom in nature. So there's a particular, that's what he's talking about, the effect of this ray upon humanity. Or, that's on page 611, or we could go over to page 620 where his section is the effect of the ray of harmony through conflict in the modern world of nations. So you got a section on all humanity and you got a section on the modern world of nations. Which one would you like to go with first? Uh, the one about the nations. Okay. That's the one that, that's when I, I was reading this and I said, 
Tara's, Tara's going to love this. <laughs> All right, here's what he says. As we approach what some may regard as a highly controversial subject, I would remind you that we must attempt to see the picture whole in some such manner as the agents of the divine will see it. <coughs> Embracing the past of the nations involved, a past which is seldom good. Seeing the effects of that past as they worked out in the present, and as they are in are the inevitable result of the law of cause and effect, and attempting also to foresee the future in terms of lessons learned and new habits of a better nature established. In parenthesis here, written in 1948. All right, so we're going to get a little bit of history in here. I would, I would remind you also that the governing principle of this ray is conditioning all the nations and has done so with increasing potency since the year 1850. Just in the same manner as this principle of conflict controls the battle, battling life of the aspirant, and of the world aspirant, the entire human family. Now, that word aspirant, uh, as an individual, it's a person who's on the spiritual path, and then the world aspirant is all humanity trying to evolve together, right? the entire human family. So it must inevitably control the life of nations to a greater or lesser degree. According to their materialistic or their spiritual status, according to the type of energy which may be expressing itself through them, these nations, and according to the age of the nation under consideration, from certain angles, the nation, from certain angles, the youngest of the nations are Germany and Italy. Mm-hmm. For they only arrived at nationhood in the 19th century. The oldest nation with the clearest unified record is Japan. Oh. The United States of America is always regarded as a young nation. But from the angle of a unified central government, the two Axis powers are still younger. And this has had a definite bearing on their activities. That's Germany and Italy. In the world at this time, the two aspects of the fourth ray, the aspect or principle of conflict and the aspect or principle of harmony, are struggling to bring about the liberation into equilibrium of mankind. Until quite lately the principle of conflict has grown increasingly in power. Yet as a result of this conflict, a definite trend toward harmony 
can be seen emerging in human thinking. The concept of harmony through the establishing of right human relations is slowly coming into recognition. The activities of mankind, and particularly of governments, have been ignobly selfish and controlled by the concepts of fighting, aggression, and competition for untold millennia. <laughs> the territories of the planet have changed hands many times, and Earth has been the playground of a long succession of conquerors. The heroes of the race perpetuated histories, stone and human thinking, have been the warriors and the conquest, and the conquest has been an ideal. The World War, 1914 to 1945, marked a culminating point in the work of the principle of conflict. And, as I have shown, the results of this work are today inaugurating a new era of harmony and cooperation because the trend of human thinking is towards the cessation of conflict. Amen. This is an event of major importance and should be regarded as indicating a turning point in human affairs. This trend is impulsed by a weariness of fighting, by a changing rating as to the values in human accomplishment, and by a recognition that true greatness is not expressed through such activities as those of Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Napoleon, or Hitler, but by those who see life, humanity, and the world as one united whole, interrelated, cooperative, and harmonized. Those who struggle for this world unity and who educate the race in the principles of harmony and of right human relations will someday be recognized as the true heroes. The factor that must and will relate the principle of conflict to the expression of harmony and bring about the new world order the new civilization and culture is the trend and the voice of public opinion and the opportunity offered to people everywhere to bring about social security and right human relations. That's the trend as of 1948. It is not the government of any nation which will bring this about but the innate rightness of the people themselves when they have been educated to see the issues clearly, yeah. the relationships which should be established, 
and the immense subjective unity of mankind. This will not come about without an intensive period of planned education and a truly free press and radio, both free to speak the exact truth and to present the facts as they occur without being controlled or influenced by governmental interference, comma, pressure groups, comma, religious organizations, or by any dictating parties or dictators. The sin of the Roman Catholic Church is its effort to dictate to people what they should think, theologically and politically, what they should do, read, and wear. This, to a still greater extent, is the crime of Russia. The mass of the people in the strictly Catholic countries are not as free in their thinking as are those living in the Protestant lands. The Russian people know no freedom and have no opportunity to form their own point of view. Commercial interests and expediency impose restrictions in other countries. By means of these sources of control, the growth of true understanding is prevented, distorted, or stunted. <sighs> Curiously enough, the intention of the dictating agents in both the Catholic Church and in Russia is basically good. They believe that the uneducated masses are not fitted to decide for themselves what they should hear, think, or decide. They must therefore be protected, in the one case, by decrees and prohibitions from the Vatican via the organized priesthood as to right attitude and right action to be followed without questioning. And in the other, by withholding the truth as to events and happenings. But men are awakening everywhere, and given some sound leadership, which at present is not to be found in any country in the world, they can be trusted to swing the tide into a great harmonizing and unifying moment, movement. When I, when I read that, when I read that statement, I said, well, let's see, okay, it's 70 years since he wrote this. How, how, how much better is it, right, now than it was, you know, was what he was looking back, back in 1948, right? So, mm -hmm. so, as we study the effect of the principle of conflict as the instigator of eventual harmony in relation to the nations, let us remember that the widespread extent of the conflict is indicative of climax, that the points of crisis, in, in quotation marks, which express the conflict are today well known 
to all men that a point of tension has now been reached of which the United Nations is a symbol which will eventually prove to be the agent that will bring about a point of emergence in quotation marks points of tension, points of crises, and points of emergence. I would ask you to keep these three phrases phrases descriptive of the working of the ray of harmony through conflict, constantly in mind, in relation to developments in your own life, in the life of your nation, or of any nation, and in the life of humanity as a whole. They embody the technique whereby the spiritual hierarchy of our planet brings good out of evil without originating the evil or infringing the free will of mankind. There are certain nations which are necessarily more responsive to the energy of this fourth ray than some of the others because it is either the energy which is conditioning their personality activities or that which conditions their soul expression. Forget not that nations are like individuals, expressive of soul and body. The nations responsive to this ray energy are India, whose personality or material ray is that of harmony through conflict. This could be seen in full expression in that unhappy country during the years 1947 and 48. India is old and crystallized in her separativeness, in her myriads of diversified sects and religious groups, in her manifold languages, and in her ancient antagonisms. It will be long before there is any basic synthesis or harmony. There lies her problem, and unfortunately, she lacks pure, disinterested leadership, as is the case elsewhere in the world. Party politics and religious Cleavages condition her many peoples. The soul energy of India is that of the will to power or government, but that spiritual energy will not come into true activity until she has resolved her many differences and has returned to the old ways of spiritual understanding and of enlightened wisdom which distinguish her many centuries ago. India has nearly lost the light, but when she has passed through the coming points of crisis and has achieved a point of united tension, then she will find the door or point of emergence into light. The ray governing the soul expression of the German race is that of harmony through conflict. But her materialistic personality, focused in the emotional nature and not yet under control of the soul, 
is conditioned by the first ray of power. Germany as a nation is too young, immature, and negative to realize the true uses of power. She lacks the wisdom to use power, and her sense of inferiority, based on youth, leads her to misuse it when she has it. The German race is very old, (coughs) and the German leaders during the past 100 years have confused racial issues and national ambitions. Races are basically subjective, and nations are basically objective. Their leaders have permitted the ideal of power, which is a great spiritual responsibility, to lead them to make the Germanic race synchronize with the German nation. It was this immaturity and this misguided and almost childish ambition which set the principle of conflict operating violently through the World War, 1914 to 1945, in order to to bring an end bring to an end the increasing nationalism of Germany and of all the nations. Great Britain is at the point of emergence from the nationalistic thought form. The United States and Russia are arriving. The first at the point of tension where the concept is concerned and the other at the point of crisis. Germany's point of crisis and tension led to the explosion of the World War. Nevertheless, after due process of pain, of re-education, and of training in right human relations, the German people will discover their soul, and then the soul-infused personality of the German people will demonstrate in a unique manner, the significance of harmony. The basic subjective synthesis of the German race must not be confused with the separate nation of the German people. And the underlying emotional and sentimental unity must not be confounded with territorial unity. There is a racial and subjective unity between the British Commonwealth of Nations and the United States of America. But this, in turn, must not be confused with the outer national groupings and aims. Italy also is influenced by the ray of harmony through conflict because her personality or material expression is conditioned by this ray. During the World War, Italy had a king, a dictator, and a pope. And this produced a vortex of conflict in the highly intelligent Italian people. The dictator is no longer there. The monarchy has also disappeared. And only the continuing voice of the Vatican is left, but curiously enough, receives less attention in Italy than in other Catholic countries. 
conflict during the centuries has done much for the Italian people, and their highly extroverted psychology has produced in them a balance which may prove most promising in the future. The conflict of thought through which they have passed during the past 100 years has worked well for them. Torn as they are by party politics and revolt against ecclesiasticism and lacking leadership, they are nevertheless well on the way to the resolution of their problem. Okay, my clock says ten zero zero, so that's a good place to stop. Let's see oh. here. Uh, let me uh, turn a page. Okay, let's see here. Germany that has was, a huh? That was fantastic. Thank you, Richard. We got to do more of that. Okay, let me make a little dot here where I stop just because I can. And can you repeat the name of the book for all of us? Sure. The name of the book is The Rays and the Initiations, Volume 5, A Treatise on the Seven Rays. Alice A. Bailey, she was the secretary. First printing, 1960. So it took them a while from her taking dictation and she and her husband getting it published. I mean, the sucker is, you know, like all his work, it's 700 plus pages. With a full index, by the way, these, the, the people that put these books together do an excellent job. Okay, Richard. So I when just... you get, yeah, well, see, and then and then he got, he's got, uh, it's got the usual uh, extract from a statement by the Tibetan. It's got the great invocation, and the first part of this book is fourteen rules for group initiation. He talks a lot, a lot about the, the new group of world servers, you know. And that's, you know, groups like ours and groups like all the hundreds of activists, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Part two is the rays and the initiations. He talks about the path of ascension, you know. And then section two is about the person, the aspirant, and the major initiations. And I was reading from that section. Mm-hmm. And that section starts on page 620. Now, all of this stuff that we, he's talking about there, you know, got the microcosm and the, ma- and the macrocosm, right? And the microcosm is the individual human. And the macrocosm is the, all the nations of the world in this, in this sort of thing. He's got a, he's got a, he's, at the very end, he's got a summation and a forecast. He talks about the, 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 he talks about the 
the higher initiations that are available to the masters, you know, after you get through the fifth, the, the fifth initiation, then then you're like D, DK here. He, he's he's a master at the at the at the level five skill set, right? Mm-hmm. So then after that, you know, this this part was really good. The significance of the initiations and. Uh, you know, like the first, the first five are the are the key ones. You know, so um, uh, blessings be to everyone on this call, and we'll speak with you next week. To be continued, Richard. Thank you so much. Yeah, all right. Bye bye. Serendipity. <laughs> okay. Oh my goodness, that was perfect. Mm. All right, Rama. Mm. What's the number? Time to uh, seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three. Just a second. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> everybody kind of knows it. No. Isn't it over here somewhere? Yeah, three, five, three, six, eight, three. Found. Okay. Seven, two, zeros, seven, five, six. Seven, two, zero, seven, one, six, seven, three, zero, one. Oh, seven, one, six, seven, three, zero, one. And then the pin again? Three, five, three, eight, six, three, pound. Okay. All right, everybody. We're going to take a little journey to conference with one another. Join us. If you haven't done this lately, come join us. And at the top of the next next hour, we'll be right back here at BBS Radio Station 2. The best radio there is. And that's unequivocal. <laughs> All right. All right. Namaste, everyone. See you on the conference. Aloha. Rama's welcoming us, bringing us up to... Speed for summer solstice. Yes. Yeah. So we go back to this. 18, 19, 20. That's next Tuesday. Yeah. Wow. Yes, let's go back to our brothers here. This is uh, Billy Carson once again. Yeah, I don't know. I can't figure out what the name of the interviewer is. I would like to know if anybody figures it out. Send it to us. Yeah, it doesn't say. Okay, here we go. Here we go. For fighting. There's something so powerful and majestic about that because that's the human spirit 
colliding with whatever force that is in front of it. Yeah. When you see two boxers fight, those are spirits going at it. Right. And whoever has the most will will win. Mm -hmm. You understand me? Not even sometimes we have the most skill or better technique. Yeah. Sometimes it's all about who got that greatest spirit. Yeah. Because the fight is often won before you get into the ring. That's right. <laughs> There's one spirit that's already decided whether it's deep into their consciousness, mm -hmm. subconscious, where they don't even know it yet. Yeah. They've already decided that they're losing. Yeah. You understand me? And sometimes you can try to overcome it with confidence, mm -hmm. right? What you know about yourself and yeah. my training, my skill, your overcome it with your ego. You understand yeah. me? Well, I can do this even if I can't do this. <laughs> you understand me? Yeah. Then yeah. there's mathematics. Mm -hmm. Mathematics of this person's skill, level, confidence, will, all of this is higher than your frequency. Yeah. And when these collide, this one is going to win. Yeah. And that's why I like the idea of mathematics because mathematics really sets us upon understanding reality mm -hmm. in a very practical and logical capacity. Yeah. There's spiritual intuition and spiritual intelligence, yes. Yeah. 100%. And I think that wholly on this planet Earth, men and women are disconnected between the feminine energy that exists. Mm -hmm. Men are completely disconnected nowadays from the masculine energy, but the yeah. feminine energy because <laughs> we talk about a woman's movement, but there's not a lot of feminine energy involved in the movements. And the feminine energy, you know, Mother Tonetta talked about it. She talked about the nine planets, right? And the feminine, okay. and the connection with, you know, the astronomy and the feminine energy, and why that nine, you know, circulates that one. Well, I told you, get to the one nine. Yeah. You always find the one nine. Oh, <laughs> but we talk about them, them, that nine circulating that one, that consciousness circulating subconsciousness and. And uh, 1995, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan opened up the Million Man March speech with the secrets of the number 19. And he talked about the idea that when that one is next to the nine, it represents something to be uncovered. Wow. You understand me? Um, and then he went on to break down that the monuments that was there representing the 16 and the third president is 19. And he said that this monument up here is 555 feet high. You put a one next to that represents 1555 when black people came over here. Yeah. And he said that on these shores and these steps, you understand me, were a trade of black bodies representing some of the Masonic secrets of how they first produced this country. Yeah. You understand me? And he was given that breakdown in front of, of course, almost two million black men, future president, future yeah. billionaires of the planet Earth, everybody. Yeah. That was a world-shifting event, but when I listened to that, I thought about the fact that, you know, the body itself, our bodies, you know, our, you know atoms, I call it, uh, Allah, the original man, A-T-O-M, you understand right. you? I say A-G-T-C, Allah, God, the creator. Yeah. You understand me? But at the end of the day, our bodies, our, our carbon bodies, our melanin bodies, we are electric, you know, frequencies, you understand me? We are the most powerful electric conduits. You understand me? Just based on our physicality. And I think what happens with society, number one, jealousy. But two is the lack of appreciation of our parts we're supposed to play on this planet. Right. You understand me? That, yeah, we're going to always be dark, melanated, beautiful, shiny, sheen beings. You understand me? Yeah. But when you allow things like the hermetic prophecies that talked about, you know, uh, 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 you know, when human beings developed, so-called developed intelligence, those were white human beings, and that being spread across the ecosystem of the planet Earth, yeah. 
creating a white supremacy. And then the other day, people were like, well, man, we was charting star systems and speaking in geometry and using mathematical language. You understand me? Before we ever seen a light-skinned person on this planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. But you can't, if you want to do anything for race relations, you cannot forget about the story of time. Yeah. And I ain't gonna ever call it history. History is just a lie. Yeah. The story of time is about what happened on this planet. The true right. history. The true history. And if you ever, if, 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 if a white person, or black person, brown, yellow, orange, all these frequencies of colors, they represent subscriptions to different cultures, ideologies, values, norms, rituals, yeah. ever want to have a place where there's commonality and trust and alignment, you have to accept the truth of reality. Yeah. Not the stories that were told by the winners and conquerors that fit the propaganda of the controllers and rulers, but the true story on this planet Earth. Yeah. That's the only way we get to a true compromise yeah. between the people on this planet Earth that have a treaty of understanding. Mm-hmm. You understand I always me? tell people to pass this prologue. Until you, people say, why do you always study the past? Why are you into this ancient texts and ancient books and all because when you, until you understand what happened back then, you won't be able to build a future. The future is going to be built based on what you know about your true past yeah. and true history. If you can't figure out at least as close as possible to what was happening back then, the future is still going to be a gray area. She takes a picture, and in that picture is this ET. He puts the camera over in that direction... And everyone looking in that direction at that moment saw it. You can make contact with these civilizations and you do not need a government. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about aliens. Yeah. Can't yeah, have they get rid of on their Mr. own. Billy Carson. On here without talking about aliens. <laughs> theory is aliens and black men. Yeah. That's my theory. Now, uh, and of course this comes from many different sources, but I remember I was reading something watching it rather I can't tell you the difference mm-hmm. where they were talking about you know spacesuits human spacesuits and how human beings will have to change if they were traveling in space yeah. right number one there's more radiation so you're going to have to have darker melanin skin a lack of gravity you will have a smaller less dense body so you're going to be a skinny dark skinned big head black man <laughs> or woman. you understand me so you know, these are spacesuits. Right. I mean, oh, we, 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 we deal with radiation. That's yeah. what the melanin does. Yeah. And you feel me? Radiation in the heat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What do you, what, what is, uh, do you believe in aliens? I believe in aliens. Uh, are you an alien? Well, you know, we're all aliens. You know well, what I'm saying? Yeah, so, I'm an alien. I didn't answer like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people say this brother be thinking, man. He might be an alien. <laughs> A lot of people say that, but I think that we are the aliens. You know, um, when you talk to the aboriginals, I went to Australia. I went on a walkabout, yeah. eight miles out to the into the doggone nowhere, nothingness. I mean, just yeah. out there, man, with the fires. Yeah. Okay. This is right before the lockdown came, and uh, I'm out there looking for these ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs mm. in uh, Carryong Nine in Australia, which mm. we found them. Mm. We sent those glyphs to the Board of Antiquities of, uh, of Egypt, and they authenticated them as being authentic proto-Egyptian hieroglyphs. And so my conversation with the elders was, you know, what is your homegrown, handed down verbal history? Because they have a verbal history. And the Aboriginal elders said that they were seated on this planet. They said that the Pleiadians brought them to Earth. 
and they were the first people on earth. Those are black aboriginals. For the Pleiadians. The Pleiadians, if you look up in the sky at night, there's this area of the sky where they call them the Seven Sisters. Homer's Iliad talks about them. They talk about in the Bible, talk about the Sumerian tablets, uh, the Greeks, the Romans. They all look up to the Pleiades. Uh, it's actually, we call them the Seven Sisters because only seven bright, bright stars you can see with the naked eye, but there's many more stars there. But in that region of the sky, according to so many ancient texts and so many ancient civilizations, there was advanced civilizations there. Mm. Uh, before this area had any inhabitants, that was the region or sector of, of the galaxy that had a lot of life. But a big war broke out. And in this war, there was uh, something being used called the Brahmahanda weapon. Okay? The Brahma Honda weapon, which which actually could destroy planets, and this weapon would would blow up planets. And imagine if you're in a star in a star system, and there's planets blowing up, debris, planet sized debris crashing into your planet. So this created a space refugee situation, kind of, you know, space refugees. Yeah, space refugees. And they started fleeing and going out to different stars: Orion, Aldebaran, Zeta Reticulus. You know, all these different star systems: Sirius, uh, Draco. This why had the Draco. Oh yeah, the Draco starts and stuff there. That's what the, the Great Pyramid in Giza and Cairo is aligned with those with with Draco, uh, Aldebaran, Orion, and Sirius. Huh. And so uh, we were like, man, what's going on here? So you, the, the more you dig into this text, it's like, man, these people fled from war, reestablished themselves on other planets, and eventually found this solar system and came down here and created another breakaway civilization. These were the Atlantean people. Now, when you analyze the text, it gives descriptions of these peoples from time to time. And if you look at, for example, the Sphinx in Egypt, you look at the features on the Sphinx, you can see this, it's a face of a black person. Mm-hmm. All right? And what's interesting is some of these Anunnaki, they were more uh, albino. Not all of them. Some had albino-type skin. They weren't Caucasian white, but they had albino skin, but they had the African features. Some of them had blue eyes, but they had the knotted hair. Like Prometheus. Right, kind of like that. But Prometheus is still kind of really more almost like milk white. If you look at a black mulatto, yeah, a yeah, black yeah. Or, or a black person that has that, you know, that brown condition. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but they had the knotted hair, knotted blonde hair, and blue eyes, a lot of them. Like the aboriginals. Yeah, like the aboriginals. And also the people of Melanesia. Mm. Right here, you know, in Asia. And so I did a whole story on those, a whole TV show on those before. So I really dug deep into it. I was like, wow, these people are really potentially not from this planet. And so the more you analyze it and realize, wow, then other people from other star systems brought humans here. This is like, this so earth is like, like parents abandoning their kids. No, no, what it was is like, they were trying to find a place to keep their, their you know, their, their, their civilization going. I'm not, I'm not, sorry, the species going. Uh-huh. Okay. And so that's why you have, People that look Asian and people that look Caucasian and people that look black and people look... There's a mixture of people, according to what I've read, that appear to be dropped off here. This is like an abandoned seed colony, this planet. Interesting. And, you know, and then after that, much later, these other people showed up, these other Anunnaki people showed up, took advantage of a situation where people were in a lower state of consciousness. They were um, not technologically advanced. We were more advanced spiritually. So when they were dropped off, are you saying that they're, the races were dropped off? Or were they all dark-skinned, melanated people? The first people on this planet were all black. And then you find something interesting in the Emerald Tablets. After Thoth comes to the land of Kem to help rebuild civilization because the Great the Flood had destroyed Kem. 
after he does it, he tells his people that he brought with him. He brought people with him from other planets. And they went around the planet. He said, go around the planet and duplicate what we did here. Now, this is my personal belief. This is not in any text. I always tell you the difference between what I believe and what, I, what I've read. Mm-hmm. Now, these people, for example, if I'm now going to be the king or the ruler of Asia, and I have, I look, I'm a being from a place that looks Asian, I'm going to brand those people. I think they genetically branded people to look. In other words, these are my people. Look at them. They look just like me. And the reason why I say this is because if you go and talk and look in the genetic books, the geneticists actually discovered that the difference between a black person, a white person, an Asian person, uh, a Native American person, 2% variance in genes. But that 2% that makes a different race altogether couldn't happen in 200,000 years. That's the only amount of time we've been here. So... They're saying it would have taken millions, multi-millions of years for that to happen, naturally. Now, from my studies, there's no records of Caucasians past 6,000 years. See, Caucasians are the newest race on the planet. They're the newest race. If you look at the Sumerian tablets, the Caucasians came from out of the Caucasus Mountains. It says something to the effect of when they were in the Caucasus, they then, uh, he said, the, the, the exact terminology was that they... Um, uh, there's a certain term that they use for that. Uh, not manufactured the Caucasian, but they said that they had, uh, uh, the word will come back to me. It's a ter- it's like they made them in a way. If it's mm-hmm. something, it, it's, uh, it's a terminology that they use, it'll come back to me, that how they made the Caucasian. But that, they're the newest being on the planet, according to these texts. The other races were already here. We had blue people, green people, you had, uh, you know, black, you had, uh, yellow. Birthday breakfast in bed. I just dreamt this. Dreamt what? Well, you ended up giving me all your cinnamon delights because you love me. Give your morning something to. This will be a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Now there was a belief that, based on studying Anunnaki, that they are coming back. Mm-hmm. You understand me? So you tell us a little bit about that. Well, in all the texts, they always say that they're going to return. The reason why they left was there was a pyramid war. It was a second pyramid war. Amun-Ra, also known as Marduk. You can look up Marduk's name in the in the Torah. He's in the Bible. Marduk. He's in the Mary tablets. These guys everywhere. He's Amun-Ra. Um, he started a war because he wanted to uh, extend his kingship. And he wanted to take over kingship in other areas that he wasn't supposed to on the planet, so forth and so on. And so that war was nuclear. They used weapons, and the reason why you know it's nuclear is because the description of the way that the people were dying, it was that they said the black people it specifically says that their nails were falling out, their hair was falling out, blood was coming out of their eyes. This is radiation sickness, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we know that it was a nuclear war. When you go into those regions, the, the Mohenjo-Daro in the Indus Valley, the buildings there turn to glass. They're still sitting there. The bodies are laying, the bodies are laying in the street holding hands. Nobody's, no animals have scavenged on those bodies. They're still laying there. Uh, you go to Africa, to, to Cairo, and you go to uh, Giza. If you put your hand in the sand and up, every now and then you pull up balls of glass. That's what they used to carve the scarab beetles out of because they're making a, a ode to the gods for the war that happened. So uh, to turn sand into glass, you have to have 3,000-degree temperature glass. Right? So we know that there was a war that happened uh, that created this situation. You know, so... It's just really amazing, man. The technology we have now is just a copycat of what they already had back then. 
And that war is what really caused him to want to flee. In one of the tablets, uh, Enki goes to Anu and says, can you please stop the evil wind? That's what they call it. That's nuclear fallout. He's like, there's nothing I can do for a boat and get in your ship. And so he told him, like, turn around, man, get in that ship. We got to get out of here because this thing is coming. And they said that that evil wind covered the land and killed all the animals, the people, and everything else. Um, and a lot of these people never came back. But they said that, you know, that they'll be coming back. And there's two ways to look at it. One way is some of the offspring is still here on this planet. Uh, you know, probably most likely maybe that ruling elite class. And then it's said that there will be some type of a future situation where they will return and take back claim of the rightful kingship of this planet. So, and in the Emerald Tablets, it says the same thing, which is interesting because it's even older than those tablets. It's old, it's like 36,000 years old. And it says that far in the future, an enemy will come from deep space. So it's pretty interesting. No, it's definitely interesting. Now, what are the different type of aliens? You know, because you got the grays, you got the blacks. I want to know what's the different type of aliens. There's all kinds. You know, you have black people. I think most of the UFOs that are flying overhead are being positive by black people. That's now, my personal opinion. And that's very interesting because Honorable Elijah Muhammad said decades ago that there was a mothership up there. Mm. You understand me? And he gave a, a full description of the mechanics of the mothership, how it was piloted. Yeah. You understand me? How the people lived. Wow. Um, and he said, I believe it was made in uh, Japan. You understand mm. me? During that time. And, you know, he was the first to introduce the concept of like, aliens and telling the government, you understand me, that yeah. the mothership was going to destroy them wow. with these different type of bombs that they had. And he gave a breakdown on how many baby planes that were there wow. and that there were black men and women up there. Mm. Like, it's, it's a very detailed account. Mm. And then after that, the 1930s is when they started to create those programs towards uh, uh, um, observing UFOs and then started to create counter stories mm -hmm. of why yeah. they were UFOs, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But the Honorable Elijah Muhammad maintained his knowledge of UFOs and the account of their existence, so does the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan today. And number one, I don't believe the UFO community gives any real reverence and appreciation to what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was doing back in those days. And he was ahead of his time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, he was ahead. He was breaking it down back then. You understand wow. me? He was. He was, he was like, listen, man, here's the people of Mars. We got the yeah. mothership up there. Yeah. You understand me? The black people in the mothership. They yeah. got the baby planes. They got these certain type of missiles. Wow. When they drop, it's going to do this, that, and the third. Yeah. Like, it wasn't without detail. Wow. You understand me? And he told them this is how it worked. Mm. This is how they were able to build it. This is how they funded the sources to yeah. be able to build it. They were a collective of scientists that was able to come together. Mm -hmm. Like, why? How long it stays in the atmosphere? How wow. long does it have to come down here? Like it's it's a very detailed account. Wow! And it's funny because there are many things that are controversial towards the nation of Islam. I've never seen any like I've never seen the government itself attack that aspect of the nation of Islam. Nothing about that which really. I would think would be the most open <laughs> yeah. part. You would talk about like, hey, this man talked this, that, and the third. Let's attack this. He's crazy. Yeah. But that's never been, wow. you understand me, uh, um, something that they use as a point of attack, yeah, yeah. right? Which is very interesting to note. So I always grew up um, with the idea of UFOs and aliens, yeah. you understand me, um, just as, you know, a knowledge in the household. Yeah, yeah. People just get scared. They think that we're talking about little green men. Yeah. Now we're talking about men and women, yeah. people that look just like us. Yeah. The majority of, think of, of people that we call aliens look just like us, yeah. in my opinion. 
I would imagine, and if you gotta understand, if I'm an alien, I'm up there. I wouldn't want to come to her. Yeah, no, I get Like if, if I got a little alien TV, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and I'm watching the reality Earth, the reality TV Earth. That's, that's what it was called. It's called reality TV Earth. <laughs> and I'm flipping these different channels, and y'all tripping. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh man, this what the blood is doing. This what the pharmacist. Yeah, I don't yeah. ever want to come down there. Yeah. If I get caught, they throw me in a prison for life. If I don't know all they rules and I trip off. Yeah. Nah, guess what? I'm not coming down there. Yeah. You understand me? That would just make sense to me. Yo, it does. See, it was easier for them to interact with people when we had less technology and we were more green, so to speak, because well, there was yeah. no there was no immediate threat on their life. There was nothing we could do. Matter of fact, we just we saw them as gods. Right. right. Now, with all this technology and, and the military-industrial complex wanting to weaponize anything they can get their hands on, right. they want to take them down, they want to shoot them down, they want to get their, get their hands on them right. and see what they can turn into weapons. Right. What kind of technology can we convert into weapons for ourselves? How can we re- reverse-engineer this stuff? That's all they're focused on. Yeah, I mean, human beings are not nice. Right. You understand? Like, we want to steal their technology and then use it for ourselves, and if we get them, most likely you capture they did the science of their biology. Yeah. Who want to come to Earth with that? Turn we all. You put them in a zoo. Yeah, we wonder if aliens are hostile, but we already hostile. We're the hostile I mean, ones. We hostile to aliens of other countries. Yeah. I so I know we're going to be hostile to aliens from other planets. I know. It's crazy. It's <laughs> like, guarantee. You understand? Yeah. Like, you don't want to let a human being to uh, over one border yeah. another. There's so you're telling line. me I'm coming from another planet yeah. and y'all going to let me come kick it? And share resources in life, ain't no way, no way. Especially, but but the whole saying is that, you know, if aliens have the technology in which we believe they have and the abilities to travel, yeah. and that, that means that, number one, they're much far advanced than we are, yeah. which requires a greater level of intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so they would have more capabilities of wiping us out than we ever could imagine. Oh, yeah. You understand me? In ways that we wouldn't be able to see. Yeah. Right? As much as the human intelligence has evolved collectively, because, you know, I don't think that the average human being is that much more intelligent than somebody in the 1800s. Right. Besides the fact we have more access. Mm-hmm. Right? But when we talk about true human evolution, we're talking about upgrades of our DNA. Right. We're talking about upgrading and the processing of information mm-hmm. and how we output that to solve daily problems and right. issues. And the average person is not that intelligent. No. That's why we Well, the smartphones are making us dumber. Yeah, that's a super fact. Yeah. You understand me? And the radiation is destroying our ability to focus. Yeah. And human beings collectively need focus mm-hmm. in order to grow. Yeah. You understand me? Like, if you don't have no focus in your life, you're distracted to the point where you can't get birthed in none of your ideas. That's right. You understand me? So it's like, um, you know, I, I, you know, aliens, I, I feel like they, they, the concept of them are interesting. And I think that the world needs mysteries in order to give us more reasons to be alive. Yeah. You understand me? Because the moment we figure out everything else, there's nothing else to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, we know why the cosmos was created, how it was created, and every single point in step. That the reality of it is, is there's a possibility for certain knowledge to be known. Mm-hmm. We can theorize based on our level of intelligence, but let, who's to say that the math that we have is like not baby's math? Right. You know, and then we discover a completely new type of map that allow us to phase through things and open the portals and yeah. create different versions of reality and different right. colors to see. Like, mm-hmm. as I said, there's not a science like that that exists, but the same way where we can only see a certain spectrum of the light, maybe our minds yeah. can only uh, um, compute 
can with a certain yeah. spectrum of knowledge. That's so true. We can only compute to a certain amount because it's only based on our level of consciousness. Right. But and then but that also means to me though that I don't believe in the idea of impossible. You understand me? I think that there's there's something that exists that I don't measure size based on value. So it's like let's say human beings are just a a cell. You understand me and. Uh, the bacteria of the universe. Yeah. You understand me? That doesn't mean we don't have value because the way that we experience reality is our value in itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You understand me? That we are energy and that we wouldn't be in existence if we didn't have a level of value. Yeah. It's just that I think we come up with more systems to devalue ourselves than anything. Right. We think about how vast the universe is only to think about how small we are. Right. Human beings need to constantly downgrade themselves and constantly demean themselves yeah. to put themselves in their own place. Right. And in that thought process we are becoming our own gods sitting ourselves saying that humble yourself humble yourself yeah always we all we try to find a million different ways to humble ourselves always always because that would mean to tell me that our brain is working to control how powerful we really are mm -hmm. you understand me and, and let free and and really understanding who you really are that's when you just start creating more and more everything any, when you get to that level anything that you think of you just do yeah I, I just bought an electric guitar. Yeah. I'm gonna learn how to play the electric yeah. guitar. You know, my girl was like, "You bought an electric guitar?" I said, "Yeah, I just wanna learn how to play it." Yeah. yeah. I bought a violin. I played the violin. I, whatever I want to do, I just I just do it. Yeah. Because I see it as we are this, um, you know, we are this uh, entity here, and the universe is vast. But I see it as I'm being part. I'm a part of something huge. Where other people say see it as I'm just a speck in the dark. Right. You know what I'm saying? But so let me ask you this. Oh. Uh, you discovered a black satellite? The Black Knight satellite. I didn't discover it. It's already up there. <laughs> but. Well, you know how, you know the rules on this planet. Yeah, I know. You know, we're going, going by Christopher Columbus law. Yeah, yeah. You discovered this, right? Eh? Yeah, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> and so what happened was I had heard about it and researched it years ago. Well, first, let's say, what is the Black Knight satellite? Okay, the Black Knight satellite is this an object. Like Batman got his. I know. This, this, it's crazy. This is real crazy. So this is an object orbiting the planet. And it's well documented. It's actually on the space agency servers. It's on the military servers. It's on university website servers. The, the, at the object, they labeled it space jump. So what they're saying is this object, which was detected all the way back in the, in the late 1800s by Nikola Tesla first. He picked up a signal from it. Mm -hmm. Then in the 1950s, ham radio operators picked up a signal again and actually decoded the signal. 1960. Duncan Lunar wrote an article. He was a, he's a journalist for Time Magazine. Wrote an article about the, uh, the object. It made Time Magazine. Uh, and then many more consequential articles came out about this object because why? It was changing its own orbits. It was in the first equatorial orbit. Then it went to a polar orbit. When Sputnik was launched in 1964, it followed Sputnik to the moon. This thing is under intelligent control. It's about 15 tons, uh, 15,000 tons. And so what happened was the United States saw it up there. Russia saw it up there. Russia thought it was us. We thought it was Russia. Then they, we both said, wait a minute. We can't launch nothing like this. We don't even have any kind of technology. And so they were like, damn, what is this? So they really started looking at this thing and analyzing it. And we finally got a chance to see it close up personal with STS missions, the space shuttle missions. Took HD quality video and photos of this thing. And they were like, wow, we're going to call it jump because we don't know what this is. They're afraid to touch it. They're afraid to move into it and, and try to, you know, take a piece of it. See, they don't know if it's going to have a, a defense mechanism or whatever. They just know this thing is orbiting the planet in a way that it shouldn't be orbiting. 
and the fact that it is giving off a signal that has been decoded as being the Epsilon Boltz constellation. But that's not a big deal. But the big deal about it is it's, it's giving the location of the constellation where it was in the sky 13,000 years ago. Uh, so this thing potentially could be 13,000 years old. And so what I did was I created a documentary, which is coming out in June, June the 5th, to hit the movie theaters. Uh, this object um, is um, it's still moving around, still making its own course corrections. And it is still giving off a signal. And the signal is still giving up the location. When you look into the Sumerian tablets, you find out that Enlil owns the Epsilon Boltis constellation, the same constellation that this thing is saying it's from. Mm. So that's probably one of his ships is up there, Chuck. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's his all-seeing eye. He had an all-seeing eye in the tablets. That's where they got it from for Lord of the Rings and all these things. The all-seeing eye came out of the tablets. He had an all-seeing eye, so he could see what was going on on the planet at all times. See, when you have a planet That's spinning, considered a satellite. Yeah, a satellite. When your planet, planet is spinning on its as axis and you have something orbiting this way, it's able to take scans of the planet in a way that can give you a view of the entire planet mm. in, in so many hours, right? Versus doing this way, you can only get what's going around the equator. But when you do this way, you can see the entire planet. And so he had that all-seeing eye. And what happened was Michio Kaku made an amazing statement that made me want to make this documentary. He said, in, in Epsilon, it's about 10 years ago, there's a void. It's called the Epsilon Boltz Void. It's the largest empty space inside of a constellation they know of in the universe. He said, but it looks like light is bending around something. He said, this looks like a type 1, type 2 civilization that's cloaked mm. in Epsilon. So when I found out about the signal coming from Epsilon, and Lil owns Epsilon in the Sumerian tablets, he's an Anunnaki, I said, I think this is all linked. And then I found, mm -hmm. I found some of the scrolls that show that Black Knight in ancient cylinder scrolls. So all this is going in the documentary, which is coming out very soon. Fascinating, man. I got yeah. one last thing to ask you about. You know, you searched through thousands of pictures from the Mars rover. Yeah. And you've actually found a face. Face? Anomalies? Famous so, face, though. Yeah. On Mars. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that, bro. Well, there's this object in Cydonia. Ironically, they call Cydonia on Mars, uh, you know, this area where there's this space and this, this, these pyramids. On Earth, Cydonia in ancient, ancient times was is Cairo. Mm -hmm. So they really know what they're doing. They're giving, they're hiding mm -hmm. the plain sight for us. But there's a gigantic four-mile wide face there. And the face is right outside of a city, a pyramid city with a five-sided pyramid. Now that, the city, the pyramids, and this other debris, which looks like a, like a, a collapsed structure, is in a format which there's an angle of 19 <laughs> degrees. Okay. Now, before you go to arrive to your next thought process, most people don't know about the number 19, that there are phenomena all across the UF, the, the universe that are at angles of 19 degrees. That's right. Including Jupiter's red eye. Yeah. You're talking about Yellowstone Park, different volcanoes, yeah. all throughout the universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so this is 19 degree angles making this triangle. Right where these landmarks are on Cydonia on Mars, the face, the the uh, the the uh, five-sided pyramid, and this other this other area where it looks like a collapsed city, and so a very in the UK on Earth, right by Stonehenge, you have this city there where there's these artificial structures built up from dirt, mounds they call them, and these paths through the through the land. If you take that a very ordinance map from the city, which is downloadable online, and overlay it on Cydonia, where the face is located, 
It's a perfect match. Mm. So somebody on Earth mimicked what was already on Mars, but the only thing is this was like in the 1600s. It was terraforming, you understand me, and replicating what was on Mars. Yeah, that's what was happening. Well, that's some interesting, that's some interesting dynamics right there. Yeah, man. yeah. I think one thing about what we can all agree about this planet Earth is that we don't know everything. No. You understand me? And there are schools of mystery, thoughts of mystery that maybe remain mystery for all eternity. Yeah. You understand me? Or maybe we know, but we don't have verification. Mm-hmm. And the uh, unfortunate aspect of now is that we need to verify everything so that it becomes evidence is fact. Exactly. Because I don't believe the Dogon people actually went to the, the constellations, no. you understand me, mapped it out, and then <laughs> came back. No. I think that they had a connection and an intuitive knowing and understanding that was downloaded, transferable knowledge, you understand me, and they didn't have any reason to question it. They wrote it down, this is what we see, because this is what came to us. Yeah. Why would information come to a people who are pure, uncorrupted, from all of the images, information, the information that we get now in society, when I tell you what's the picture of, you know, an alien, or picture of a mountain, or picture of this place, yeah. you usually go into an image that you perceive as reality. Yeah. What a, a color corrected filter may never be what you actually think it is until you go and experience. Right. So, unfortunately, we have all of this data and information in our head, which doesn't allow us to truly think like human beings connected to reality. Yeah. We are connected to the digital structures, and they inform us on what reality actually is. You know. But I wanted to jump off of Earth for a second, you understand me, look above and see things from a different dimension. Yeah. And one thing that I do know is that I don't believe we have a beginning nor ending. Mm-hmm. You understand me? I think that the beauty of the human soul, the human spirit, is that it is limitless. Mm-hmm. And we find different ways to go through experiences over yeah. and over and over. And I think that memories are too heavy to be carried wow. over into whatever other phase that we exist throughout life is energy transfer. Yeah. So we go through those things consistently. Mm-hmm. But I believe that you know, we are, we are source, you understand me, which gives us that same power. Yeah. And that regardless of wherever you at on this planet Earth, whatever condition, level, system, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you believe in, you have the power to produce change. Yeah. And that can be measured scientifically, it can be measured theologically, it can be measured spiritually. Mm-hmm. There's enough evidence if you need it to showcase that you have the power to change whatever condition that you are in yeah. on this planet Earth. You understand me? And at the same time, we have to realize that there's a game being played on our backs. Mm -hmm. And the only way that it's going to change is if we stand up. You understand me? And we tap into that that inner intelligence that allows us to rule over our spectrum of reality. So, my brother, I appreciate you tapping into a high-level conversation. You You most definitely are an alien. I appreciate (laughs) your extraterrestrial presence. You understand me? Um, can you please tell the people where they can find you, sure. you understand me, um, and where they can tap in some more of the knowledge that you have? Definitely. Well, they can find me on ForbiddenKnowledge.tv. Yeah. It's the website. It's a streaming TV platform. Yes, sir. Uh, 6,000 shows up there right now, 20,000 subscribers. Great platform. If you want to go there and get a lot of knowledge-based content, conscious content, everything from cooking, yoga, esoteric wisdom teaching. My mystery school is up there, which you attended before in person. It's all up there on Forbidden Knowledge TV, and you can get my apps on uh, Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire TV, the iOS Store, the Google Play Store, the Forbidden Knowledge TV app, and you can check it all out right there. Or they can go to ForbiddenKnowledge.com and see everything we have to offer. You have it, people. I appreciate y'all tapping in. Until next time, 
Make sure you're not overconsuming my low-level conversations. So this was a high level. Tap in. Wow, we're gonna get some more of them, Rama. Mm-hmm. That was. This is just a taste of what we're in for. The world is changing, everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, next. <laughs> This is Rama's choice for next. It's called Ascension Akashic Records and Your Higher Self. And this is a George Nury with Lauren Cielo. Could exploring the astral plane connect our spirits with heaven? Dr. Lauren Cielo is a clairvoyant healer and psychic reader who helps his clients access greater hope and peace by guiding them through Akashic records of past lifetimes in the astral plane, demonstrating a journey to past lifetimes with a client. Cielo discusses how perceptions reached to our higher selves can help us gain awareness of worlds and knowledge beyond our current earthly plane, mm. helping us to reach ascension. Did you find that, Rama? Yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, Rama's getting there. Yes. Electrons jumping around. Rama found the article earlier that Randy was referring to about um, Steve, Colbert. Steve Colbert's production team with Late Show um, arrested in house building members of a production team for the Late Show with Stephen Colbert were arrested earlier this week by police as they filmed a comedy segment at the United States Capitol in an incident that was used by the prominent right-wing voices to assault, to assail, excuse me, the probe into the January 6th insurrection. U.S. Capitol Police said on a Friday statement that at approximately 5.30 p.m. Thursday, officers, quote, observed seven individuals unescorted and without congressional ID in a sixth floor hallway in the Longworth House Office building on Capitol Hill in Washington. And they were going to do that dog with a cigar. That's been a long time since Steve Colbert brought that dog. He's got a kerchief around his neck. He's a puppet kind of thing. And he's got a cigar in his mouth. Oh, no. The building was was closed to visitors, and these individuals were determined to be a part of a group that had been directed by the United States um, Capitol Police to leave the Berlin, Ber- building earlier in the day, the statement said. Capitol Police said the individuals were charged with unlawful entry, adding that the matter is considered, quote, an active criminal investigation, unquote. Mm. 
and that it, quote, may result in additional criminal charges after consultation with the United States Attorney. This is so bad. CBS said in a statement that its crew was on site at the Capitol on Wednesday and Thursday as it filmed a segment featuring Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, (laughs) a puppet voiced by the comedian Robert Smeagol. CBS said that its production team's interviews with members of Congress had been authorized and prearranged, unquote. The network said that after the interviews had concluded on Thursday, the production team stayed to film stand-ups and other final comedy elements in the halls when they were detained by Capitol Police. The incident, which comes as the House Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S., which comes as the House Committee investigating. Cap, uh, 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 um, investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol holds public hearings when used by prominent right-wing media stars to attack the bipartisan probe. On Fox News, the channel's primetime hosts use the development to link Democrats to the security violation. God, most of the attacks focused on Representative Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff's got some really shady stuff in his Mm. background. But we'll leave it alone. Who in region, Adam Schiff, who in recent years has been portrayed as a top villain in right-wing media. The, The California Democrat, a member of the January 6th committee, and chair of the House Intelligence Panel, Rama, participated in an interview with the Colbert crew Thursday, Thursday morning at around 10 a.m. An aide in his office told CNN, Schiff's interview with the Colbert team was many hours before the crew was detained. While Fox News reporter Chad Pergram (coughs) tweeted that it was someone other than a member of Schiff's office who led the crew into the Longworth building later in the day. The network repeatedly attacked the congressman, with hosts telling There are millions of viewers he had played a crucial role in the matter. Fox News host Jesse Waters, or Watters, W-A-T-T-E-R-S, ran a a Chiron, K-H-Y-R-A-N, I don't know what that means, for instance, Friday, that declared... Quote, in all capital letters, shift, shift implicated in capital breach. My God. Later in the evening, Tucker Carlson, 
who has repeatedly mocked the assertion that an insurrection took place on January 6th and promoted conspiracy theories about the events of that day, asserted that the crew had committed insurrection. Holy cow. It's exactly like what happened on January 6th. So, we'll take a close look at what the punishments are, Carlson said. On-screen graphics during Carlson's coverage read, quote, in all capital letters, pencil neck shift, oh God, assisted Colbert insurrection, and Colbert producers break into the Capitol. This is outrageous. Fox News was still aggressively covering the story Saturday morning. We have to get to the bottom of it, host Rachel Compost Duffy said on Fox and Friends Weekend. Elsewhere in right-wing media, the coverage was similar. Breitbart's main homepage headline, for instance, read in all capital letters, Unlawful Entry, Insurrection, Stephen Colbert, Staffers Arrested for Breaching the U.S. Capitol. It is not clear when the film segment might air on The Late Show. A spokesperson for CBS declined to answer further questions on the incident. Colbert has also not yet commented on the matter. Send good vibrations to Steve Colbert and friends. I think they'll need some of that kind of thing. This Mm. is really down and dirty. You know, the right wing is down and dirty, but that's nothing new either. So send, send love to that bunch too. All right, here we go. This one's 39 minutes, everyone. Here we go. This. I never would have thought I'd say this. Hope. It's hope. You give them hope? No, I, I don't think I give them hope. I think I show them how to find their own hope. The stumbling block is fear. As our planet is moving through time and space, I think more changes are happening inside the planet and migrating out to her surface. Ironically, it's the Gaia theory. <laughs> Welcome to this edition of Beyond Belief. Dr. Lauren Cielo is back with us, a clairvoyant healer, teacher, and author that helps people tap into their own intuitive gifts and energetic healing. Welcome to the program, Lauren. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me back. What an incredible gift you possess. How did this all happen for you? Well, I started out as an engineer, and I stumbled onto a psychic training institute, and so I decided... I had to give it a go. I just thought it was something to do, you know, something. You didn't feel that special calling or anything at that time? George, if I would have known that I was going to leave engineering by taking that class, I would have never done it. <laughs> never. But so you did. I did. It was a very organic process. And you've learned a lot, haven't you? Oh, my gosh, I've learned so much. The training itself is very encompassing, but what I've learned by using what I've learned, by reading people and learning about 
what their higher selves are trying to do, it's, it's amazing. It really is. It's a, it's never ending how much information I get from their higher selves. Let's talk about the astral plane. We hear so much about it. Yeah. What do you think it is? I think it's the real world. I think that's where our souls live forever. Yeah. And every once in a while, I think our higher self decides to incarnate into what would be a virtual reality. So the astral plane is real and everything here is not real. Can you access the astral plane anytime you want? Well, when I read, that's about all I access. That's where most of the information comes from. If somebody has a question, either I'm going to ask their higher selves on the astral or I'm going to read in their energy field. And really, that's the two places. If somebody has an issue, it's either an issue on the astral or an issue in their energy field. And quite honestly, it's much easier to shift your energy field than to ever get your higher self to do anything. Now, when we talk about the astral plane, are we talking about your astral body? Absolutely. OBEs, things like that? That's right. And when I talk about the astral body, really our dreams, if we remember our dreams, that's the astral. So when we think about what it is that we're really trying to achieve, um, being in touch with our higher self on the astral makes it so much easier. That's what I mean. It's like if your energy field isn't set to what your higher self wants you to do by contracts, then, oh, my gosh, life becomes so difficult, so frightening. So by being in touch with your higher self and trying to match what it's creating, then life becomes very much easier. And, my friend, I'm the example. Before my life was very confusing, and now – it's the best it's ever been. And when I ask, you know, my guides, why is it better? The thing they say is that here on earth, I'm not in resistance to my contracts anymore. So that's what I tell my clients to align to their contracts. And of course we can help align the energy field to those contracts. What do your clients want when they come to you? What are they Oh gosh. They want answers, I guess. I think they want to know what's going to happen. Um, and I think probably what they really get is why what's happening is happening. I think that's it. It's do a better you, understanding. Do you have a lot of students that are trying to access the astral plane? Oh, yeah. That's the main thing of what we teach is how to read the astral. Absolutely. Why do they want to learn this? What are they looking for? Well, it's probably different for each student. Um, probably some of them want to heal themselves. Um, and maybe some of them, their number one goal is healing others but they heal themselves in the process. All right, let's take a look at your work with a client in San Diego. Okay. So good to meet you. Welcome to San Diego. Thank you. When I first met Lauren, I felt safe. This was someone that I could go on this journey with, and I knew I was in a safe place. I knew I was in good hands. Well, I thought what we do is first do a little get in our bodies, type uh, meditation and just get, you know, comfortable. And then if you could close your eyes and take a deep cleansing breath and begin to let go. We're going to open a door in our forehead and step out onto the astral plane. And would you please perceive the Hall of Records, the Cathedral of the Souls, where the Akashic Records are kept, What are you experiencing? Just a cave. Excellent. 
Okay, so let's walk into the cave. Now, when you walk in, you'll notice there's several Akashic record keepers. Ask some of the general record keepers to come to meet you. I have something that wants to come, but isn't Excellent. like a human. So let's ask this being to go to your records and pull out um, maybe one of your last lifetimes as a healer. And what are you perceiving now? Like a white sheet? Yeah. Like a flowing white sheet as if it were hanging on a clothesline. It's a female with that sheet, with laundry. Oh, you're the female. Mm-hmm. It's not really showing healing as much as a, a sense of danger. You knew when danger was coming, kind of I'm precognitive? Protecting a child. Yes. That's somewhere. The reading with Lauren was incredibly intense. I was this woman. It wasn't a visualization. I felt it in my body. The feeling of fear and danger for a child that I was protecting. I didn't know where the child was. I, not only me, as a person sitting with Lauren, but the person in this visualization, we connected. And there was a sadness that something had happened and mirrored a sadness in my own current life of losing something that was very important to me. Would you please step back in to the center of your head, close the door in your forehead, and when you're ready, you can open your eyes and come on back. That was a little emotional. So something was coming as you were bringing me back, and I feel like there was a a message of even if you're not here, I am. Like there's a higher part of you. Whether you believe this is just an imagery or not, I believe this. So yeah. whatever is happening right now is okay. That's so interesting. Very um, safe. Yeah. So I think this was an incredibly healing experience in the same right of knowing we're connected to each other as human beings as well as to our past lives, um, to who we were before, to who we will be in the future. Um, just human connection. It was a very healing experience. Lauren, what do you think she tapped into? Oh, my gosh. She gets so emotional. Everyone does. And, and and what it's like, George, is you don't really know why you're overcome. Like, it's not a logical. Tears were coming yeah, out. Instantaneously, that's how it happens. And, and there's so much that happens in such a small amount of time that you can't really explain to somebody, this is why I'm crying. And how do you pick that up off the client? You, you, you sense this, don't you? Yes, um, I remember when I was going to school and I was, you know, to my psychic school and um, one of the people I was reading started to cry and I was taken back. I didn't, I thought, you know, what did I do? I did something wrong. And my teacher said, that's a good reading. When, you, when somebody when releases that, that much energy, yes. Yeah. Why is the astral plane so important to people? In because, your opinion? Well, I think the reason why, to consider that there's an astral plane For one thing, it changes this reality for you. What I'd like to tell my students is we can have a foot in both worlds. So when things are happening here on the earth plane, which are crazy right now, that we we have some experience from our other lives to fall back on. So it maybe brings things into perspective more. 
Does it heal people emotionally? Oh, absolutely. Like the point? Yeah, and with Ashley, the reason that she experienced what she's exper- experienced in that meditation is because something very close to that's happening for her now. So she's actually pulling that information right into her space. Have you ever had a case where they tap into this and they just are so emotional they completely fall apart? Yes, I think so. Um, usually we'll pause the reading while they do that. But Get what, their composure back. Yeah, but, but what I really think is when they listen to it again, it, they probably break down more than they, the first time they hear it. What is the soul, Lauren, doing on the astral plane? Oh, my gosh, George, I wish I knew. You know, that's what I find my work so fascinating is, again, talking to the higher selves and trying to understand what their experience is. Like, what's their day job? When they're not incarnating. And I'm starting to piece it together, I think. Um, I saw this one very interesting person, very interesting life. And when I was reading his higher self, his higher self that said it had been isolated for a long time on the astral. And I wouldn't have considered that. So really, each and every time I read somebody's higher self, I'm learning more, more and more about what that experience is like. I don't know. Have you ever been tricked on the astral plane? Uh, not in a malicious way, in a fun way, yeah. But it was made known that it was a trick. But it could be malicious, couldn't it? I don't really, I don't really ever see anything malicious. Uh, maybe it could be the people that I'm reading. Um, you know, they're high vibrating, maybe. Interesting take on that. Our souls learn on the astral plane all along, aren't they? Yes, and um, I think. The reason that they incarnate is because they can learn something in the virtual reality that they can't learn in the real reality. And that's what I haven't figured out yet. Now, when when we are trying to gain knowledge from the astral plane, because it's out there, how do we bring it into our physical life? Well, there's actually a, a spirit guide that's assigned to each of us that does that. It's called the Akashic Record Keeper. So what its job is, is to go back to your individual records and pull out information from your other lives and install it in your energy field, your body chakras and aura, so that you can use it now. And that information and energy is constantly being moved from this virtual reality in your energy field back to your records. And so it's this constant updating, bringing us into present time. On the Gaia Show Inspirations, our Lisa Gar had a chance to talk with Sandra Ann Taylor about the astral plane and what they learn. You can find out your past life and you can actually re-script it. You can rewrite the records of your past life, support it with affirmations and this life. Let's say you were, give us an example. Let's say you were, okay, I'm getting this actually happened, burned as a witch. Oh, (laughs) I've heard this before. You have heard that before? Okay. So, when you come into this, you can rewrite it. You can visualize yourself, meditate, visualize yourself walking away from the tribunal or the judgment and say, I'm free and I can uh, practice my spiritual arts and it's safe. And then you support it in your present life, even with affirmations. It's safe and comfortable for me to practice my spiritual arts. Even yeah. uh, And for this, this was a big one for you. It, it's safe and comfortable for me to go public with my spiritual practice and my spiritual beliefs. Ah. And that just expands the energy of your intention. 
and then it shifts that energy and you don't have to go through that difficulty anymore. Right. Lauren, what did you, what did you take of Sandra? I think what she's talking about is the information in your field that you might have pulled in from those other lives, mm -hmm. that there's a way that you can energetically shift it back out and put it back in your record so you don't have to relive it again. If a person does not tap into the astral plane, what happens? I think it's all about awareness, George. I think it, it happens without you realizing it. And we can just walk around the earth plane, fat, dumb, and happy homo sapiens if we want to. And we have. I think the reason I'm so interested in spirituality now is because I've had so many lifetimes of being a farmer or a warrior. So I, I think it just makes life more interesting. Are there helpers on the astral plane? There are all kinds of different beings on the astral plane. Some of them, I don't think there's words for. Um, I'm not really sure what they do. I, I met a client the other day, and I actually wrote it down in my notebook, what, she, what her higher self told me. Her higher self told me that it's a broadcaster of the Akashic Records to this planet, and I never heard of anything like that before. Well, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Interesting take. The astral plane, how did it get created? Is it, is it like heaven? I think probably that's where we get the idea of heaven and hell. The highest part of the astral is really high vibrating and the lower is really dense. But I think it's always been, even before the Big Bang that created this virtual reality. There was an old book by two individuals, Hayward Carrington and Sylvan Muldoon. And they talked about the astral plane, much like you just did, that it has levels And they said, you don't want to be on the lower level. <laughs> There's entities there that try to attach to you and everything else. You want to be up on the higher level. And they called it heaven, just like you have. Yeah. yeah, and the thing about the astral plane is you can really go wherever you want to, on whatever level you want. And I think that has a lot to do with why this planet is ascending. I think this is what I think. Um Because the astral is the real world, and you might like to hover maybe halfway up, and you wonder what's higher. You can go there if you want to, but maybe you're a bit apprehensive. So what would you do? Well, you might incarnate in a virtual reality that isn't real, that is at that vibration. Almost like a flight simulator. Before you want to get into the cockpit of, a, of an airplane, a real airplane, you want to go into the unreal airplane first. So that's what I think happens. I think some people incarnate in virtual realities that are higher than where they're comfortable. Once they live through that, now they're more comfortable going higher on the astral. But not everybody does that. Some actually incarnate lower, and those are the light workers. Those are the ones that incarnate in, in denser realities and try to raise the vibration up. Are the light workers a little more perfected than we are? I kind of think they're not too bright. To really? <laughs> yeah, because it's painful. It's painful to go from a high vibe every single morning. A light worker, when the part of their awareness that goes back to the astral at night, every single morning when they wake up, their energy goes boom and drops down to pressures. It crashes. So there's a lot of symptoms of that. You know, being oversensitive, maybe. Um, not wanting to engage with other people too much. You know, there's a lot of, I call it soul sadness, that you think, you actually think of your death as a graduation. How important is it to tap into the astral plane and how often should people do it? 
I think you should do it every day in meditation, but realize that it's happening all of the time. It's this constant movement of information, like I said, in and out of your energy field. But just like everything with Homo sapiens, George, if you focus your awareness on something, that something gets really big. So if you do focus on asking your guides to update your space, take out all the old stuff that was from yesterday and bring in from your records today. See, I sometimes think I've tapped into the astral plane and I didn't even know it. Is that possible? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, you might call it imagination, maybe. But when you think of the or word creativity, well, when you think of the word imagination, it means to see images. Right. So when like Ashley, when she was in meditation and she was seeing these images, one might say, oh, well, you're just imagining that. But I think what's happened in this virtual reality is we've been taught not to not to trust what we imagine. So when you think about it, why would a homo sapien be able to imagine something that's not here? Right. Like, why can we picture in our mind a red apple or you know, why is that? Why do we have that ability? And I think it's just what I said is to be able to bring something to this reality that you've never seen before. Like, think of the first people that thought in. Let's stack some rocks together and make a shape like this. Well, somebody had to see that shape in their mind's eye before they built the pyramid. You needed an architect of some sort. Exactly. Interesting take. When I was a little boy, I would constantly try to massage my career, my what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I was raised as a Catholic, and we went to catechism classes. And they would teach us that when you passed on, and it was horrible to talk to little kids about passing on, but they did, you get to a place where they have a hall of records for you, a book of your life. Yeah. Is that the same as the Akashic records? I think so. I think when we, when we pass away, that that is a big review of all of the contracts that our higher self created for this lifetime. Did we complete them? Should we pull them over to another lifetime? Should we cancel them? Who taps into it? When we die, our helpers, how, how does that happen? I No, it's it's ourselves. Um, I think there probably there are guides that rev- help you with the review. But this is my mental image pictures. You go into a big library, you find the shelf that has all of your books, and you pull out the one that was that lifetime and you start looking through it. And once you finally review that, then you start to realize what's missing. And then you start to write another book. Why do we need to review the Akashic Records in the first place if we've already done what we did? Yeah, it's about information. It's what, One of the things that we want to do is when we've had a lifetime and it's over, we want to bring all the information from that last lifetime right into the next one. So it's this constant progression forward. Once you go forward, what do you learn? What lessons can you learn from this? Well, I think the lessons always change. I think that the astral is just as dynamic as this reality where, you know, E equals MC squared might have always been the case, but we didn't know it until the 1940s. Why would you think the Akashic Records would benefit us personally? I think it helps you make decisions for that day on the best way to live through your contracts in the moment, not out of present time where that might be a decision you made in high school, but that's not a decision you'd make now. Microdose on Gaia put together a little piece that puts insight 
on what our Akashic records might be able to do and provide us. Spiritually minded individuals suggest that with the knowledge of the Akashic records and their chronicling of our past, present, and future comes a great tool for enriching one's life. There's literally no inaccuracy with the book because the book is not going to be telling a fictional story for you. The the book is literally going to be your truest self. So if you connect into your records, if you connect into your book of life, it's like looking in the mirror. The mirror doesn't lie. And the interesting thing about this mirror is it's a mirror for the soul. And when you look into it, you're actually able to write. You're actually able to create, to heal, to clear yourself, to create a great life. The story of our lives is both individual and the coalescence of all living things within our reality. Accessing the Akashic Records and viewing our own past, present, and future may be the most profound guidance to understanding the true nature of our reality. That is kind of exciting to be able to tap into that. I really liked the way he said that. I really, that was very insightful. Yeah, that was a good piece. Yeah. Daniel Tennant. Who is Daniel Tennant? <laughs> so I first heard of Daniel, oh gosh, years ago. Um, it was a show that he did called Boy with the Incredible Brain. And I've heard really, of that show. Yeah, it really captivated me. Uh, this guy in this particular uh, show calculated pi to something like 20,000 digits. And so it really... I thought it was really interesting because I thought at first that he was calculating, like using the left part of his brain. But as he kept talking about what his experience was of getting the next number as he's you know doing the right. division, it wasn't the left brain calculating at all. It was accessing the Akashic record. And he used his entire energy field here on Earth to do the reading. So it might be something like if the next number is nine – his nose would tickle. If the next number's three, he'd see a flash of green. Something else. Yeah. So he was actually using his entire energy field to read the records. Because when I first saw him, I'm like, where is he getting these numbers? Was he mystical? No, not really. No, he didn't seem mystical at all. Magical? Did he possess any special gifts? I think probably if I had to say what was different from him, um, he's autistic. His brain accesses the records in a different way than... The average homo sapien. Like Rain Man? Maybe, yeah. Lauren, we talk about ascension. William Henry talks about ascension quite a bit. What does that mean to you? Well, I think the ascension that we're mostly talking about is the ascension of this reality and everything in it. So um, I probably would think of it this way. Is the vibration of this uh, video game is getting higher. And it's because of the light workers. Sure. And as our planet is moving through time and space, it's getting into a new place in space. And so that new place in space has a higher vibration. So it's not just changing all of us on the surface of the planet. I think more changes are happening inside the planet and migrating out to her surface. Ironically, it's the Gaia theory, right? The planet is alive. It's a living organism. And it thinks, it breathes, it does whatever. And I think there's a possibility there. I do too. Um, the planet is alive. I mean, you can tell if you look at a, a street that's paved over, as soon as there's a crack, something grows. Yes, that's true. 
Jesus ascended into heaven. Is that the same kind of ascension we're talking about? Oh, let's talk about Jesus. So somebody, every once in a while, somebody will throw in a question about Jesus into a reading. And sometimes I'm really surprised about the answers. Somebody was asking me to ask him about his ascension. Um, And what that would mean on an individual level is that you don't go back to the same video game. You realize it's a video game, and so you don't incarnate there. So the story of Jesus going into the temple and turning over the tables of the money yes, lenders. was just ticked off. Yeah, and if you were really ascending while you were in one reality, that wouldn't bother you. You would think, well, that, that temple isn't real. That money isn't real. real. Really, according to Jesus, he ascended in another lifetime. And what I mean by that is, again, being incarnate and realizing this isn't real. Um, he was lived in a cave, looked like a guru of some type, completely isolated. And the image that that I was shown is that once he realized that the cave that he was in wasn't real, he just stopped participating in the reality, which would mean don't eat, don't sleep. And finally, you leave. And when you do leave, where do you go? You go back to the astral and you go back and, re- and review your records. But again, you're not going to be able or willing to incarnate into that reality again. And if for some reason you do, you'll probably jump out of it really quick, like a like SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Right. You can't figure out why those healthy babies, why those healthy bodies just stop. I think it's because the soul attached to it realizes this isn't real. Interesting take. We've talked about ascension. What about the other way? Going backward? Backward. I'm not sure that a reality can go backward. I'm not really sure that like this virtual reality that we're in, it ebbs and flows. But I think the overall push is forward and upward. And by doing so, what happens to the personal spirit? I think Does it, it get better? Yeah, I think it becomes whole. I think that's why it's doing what it's doing. There's still parts of itself that it doesn't understand. And I think one of the things I try to tell my clients and students is that our higher self is not omnipotent. It knows everything about itself, but it doesn't know everything about everything. Did you learn this by trial and error? Oh, my gosh. I learned it from the super genius clients that book with me. The planet itself, let's go back and talk about that. Is it teaching us anything as individuals? I think that humans and the earth are so so closely connected. Um, I don't think that you could really split off who's teaching who. What does energy mean to you? Oh, my gosh, I struggled with energy. You know, I came from engineering and it was all electricity. But when I started to read these metaphysical books about energy, I couldn't quite put my mind around it. Now, after being trained and reading people for so long, I understand energy and I can feel when it shifts, especially in my own field. So everything is energy. Baptisms are done in water. There's got to be a connection between energy and water. What do you think that is? Well, I think that's why I live on the West Coast of the United States. Um, The energy that's bubbling up inside the planet, as I mentioned during her ascension, as it spews up to the surface and moves across it, it's so much easier for it to to move through water. So a lot of times the life 
that are on the coasts get that that energy and information first. It's refreshing. Yes. Yeah, so one of the things I tell my students is I remember the puka shell fad. Here where I lived on the West Coast, it was really big. It was really big on the East Coast. And after a couple of years, it migrated into the, the middle Midwest. of the country. Yeah. Well, by then, we thought they weren't cool anymore. You have a beach out near your hometown that has a lot to do with what we're talking about. One of the things I've noticed is our planet is moving into a new place in space, and that new place has a different frequency. So, yes, the surface of our planet's changing like we notice, but she's changing from the inside as well. So one of the things I really like about this place is, um, first of all, I come here all the time, and right across the ocean is Hawaii. And what happens is, as our planet is shifting and changing from the inside out, as those volcanoes erupt, all of that new energy that the, that the planet's producing, all that ascension energy, is so easy to propagate right through the water. So where these tide pools are, the water pools up. So this is the best place to sit and stew, if you think of it, in the newest ascension energy that's coming from the planet. And what makes the planet change is we're actually moving into a new place in space. So the outside of the planet's getting bombarded and it starts to change around the inside. Why is there a serenity about the sound of an ocean? I think it's a, I think it's energy, just like you were asking. I think the sound energy, the smell energy, um, I think we're mostly water. So we adapt well in water. We shift and change. Lauren, you have gone through an incredible metamorphosis for yourself, <laughs> physically, emotionally, spiritually. What do you think is behind the spiritual growth that you have? Because I, just in the three to four times you've been on Beyond Belief, I've noticed an incredible growth for you spiritually. What's doing that? Well, I think I'm becoming more of my true self. Um, you know, obviously earlier in my life it was very confusing. And the more I learn from other higher selves how they're expressing their uniqueness, I think it's becoming easier and easier for me. What have you learned on the astral plane that you will never forget? Oh, my gosh. I think probably if I had to say is that we're all one. I think if anything I could tell people is you might think you're not the other person, but you really are. You've got a podcast going, too. Tell us about I that. I do. It's called What Ascension Looks Like. And I, what I do is I take little observations of different parts of this reality and show how that is uh, creating our ascension and how it's an example of our ascension. So you, it's really easy to find it. The, uh, it's www.whatascensionlookslike.com. Simple as that. It's that simple. How long is the show? Well, it's still growing. I don't know if I'll ever stop. And in terms of length of the podcast? Um, it'll probably, it's, each one's probably about 45 minutes. Well, that's not bad. No. Not bad at all. People love podcasting these days. They do. We podcast coast to coast as well. We chop it up in little pieces, and it's got a different but huge following. I noticed um, all of a sudden I got a big activity on my website because I, you did that with Coast to Coast. A couple of years ago, 
when you were on Coast to Coast, it almost put you on the map, didn't it? Well, that is a very interesting story. Um, I Because I had access to computers before other people did because I was in tech, yes. I was all over the Internet. I was looking at the end of the Mayan calendar, the I am map, all of it. And it's what's so interesting is I don't know if I really believed it, but I did your show for the very first time on December 20th, 2012, and it went over to December 21st. Right. So, so that event ascended me. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you did a good job. Well, I couldn't have done it without you. And uh, when you were raised as a little person, yeah. Did you have these abilities? Did you? Oh, I was such a weird kid. Did you ever think you would be talking about ascension and astral planes and things like that? Maybe when I was really young. And I've noticed that I'm at the point in my life now where a lot of the truths that I had as a child that seemed, of course, if I told my parents, they would poo-poo it. Sure. But they are my truths. And now I have all my power, and I don't care if other people don't believe it. What lesson would you tell someone who's lost? I can't find themselves. What I would say is this is not real. It's not real. And to take the perception that I'm just going to laugh about whatever situation I find myself in because it's not real. Well, let's take this lost person, Lauren, and fix them. How do you start? Well, first I start by getting a message from their higher self. And it really is the most important part of the reading. Whether the person thinks they're coming in for one topic or the other, the higher self is going to tell them exactly what they need to know. And and that's what I tell people over and over. Listen to the first part of the reading before I even know why we're talking. It's fascinating with what you do and how you've done it. I love it. And what's next for you? Well, the podcast, um, I think the ascension um, is the most thing, most important thing that I'm focused on right now. Um, Of course, with everything that's going on, I think maybe the podcast will help bring it into perspective for people so they don't have to be afraid of what comes next. What has been the most rewarding aspect of all of this for you? I mean, I saw what you did with that client in San Diego who had tears rolling down her eyes. What has really touched you? I think what I'm really here to do is to save people from pain. I've had a lot of pain in my life. And if I could teach or maybe one of my guides could move energy in their field so that they just don't have to go through that pain, I, I just don't wish that on anybody. Well, I, when I hear about that, yeah. I think of uh, the great comedian Robin Williams who took his own life, yeah. who had incredible pain that none of us saw. None of, he, he, hit, he hit it well. But he had a disease, he had an affliction, it was called Louis' disease, uh, and it just made him depressed. And I think you try to avoid that with other people and make them feel good about themselves. And, I, and you know, I do supplement a lot of what I do. If somebody will meditate, then I'll inundate them with a lot of my content that I think will help them. And like I said, if, if you'll focus on something, it will shift and change faster than if you completely ignore it. It'll still change if you're ignoring it. But if you focus your awareness, it will get huge. People come to you for what? I would say maybe, I'm going to say this. I would never have thought I'd say this. Hope. I think it's hope. 
You give them hope? No, I I don't think I give them hope. I think I show them how to find their own hope. That what they see in this reality isn't the whole enchilada. You open their eyes. I think you? I do. That's what I try to do. Try to raise their vibration. And by raising their vibration, you give them that hope. Yeah, and and the stumbling block is fear. And it comes in all kinds of different forms. It's really been interesting. I'll even say something. I was reading somebody one time, and I could see that almost 90% of the energy in their field was fear. And so I mentioned that. This was an alpha male. I don't read too many alpha males. Right. And, and he said, I'm not afraid of anything, George. That's what he told me. And by looking at him, I think the opposite is true. I think he's afraid of everything. everything. But he wouldn't call it fear. Everything. Yeah. I got a call a couple of weeks ago on my radio show yeah. from someone who was living in his truck with his pet dog, had no job, and didn't know what to do. How do you reach that kind of person? Well, first I would tell them I lived in my car with my cat. Did you really? <laughs> Absolutely. So I think I might be a great healer for that person. And I think experiences like that, they take away all of the facade of this reality, you know, that our parents think, you know, told us that you'll be happy if you have this kind of life. We all know that a lot of people have the American dream and they're not happy. So by having these other type of experiences, you start to build on what's really important to you. But yes, yeah, sometimes you have to get all the way down to living in your car with an animal. Lauren, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. George, thank you so much. If you ever feel yourself feeling down, Think of this program and think of the things that Dr. Lauren Cielo has just passed on to us to uplift all of us. I'm George Norrie. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Okay, what do you want to do next, Ronald? Wow. Let's start now, everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, mm. um, let's see uh, you're contemplating is that what you're doing um, uh, the power within is that um, Matthias okay yeah. yeah. Let's see. Where is that now? Okay. This is called The Power Within. And it's part nine. <laughs> um, part six. Oh, sorry. Part six. I, I flashed too fast. Okay. Thank you, Rella. Mm -hmm. uh, join Matthias Stefano to continue his journey of remembering and find out what happens when his planetary mission is faced with the global lockdowns of 2020. Matthias opens up about his struggles and how uncanny synchronicities help him overcome doubt. Coming face to face 
with visions from his, from his past. Matthias is forced to confront realizations as to why he is on this mission. Discover how Matthias' spirit guides regularly, guides re, re, regularly redirect yet reaffirm his path in the midst of an unprecedented event. Okay. Mm. Let's do that. That's 24 minutes, everybody. Okay. All right. Mm. circles, I came back to Bolivia, to Lake Titicaca, with a few friends, and I started to feel the presence of thought, of Yahud. And I had no idea why, because it was not Egypt, but his presence there was really heavy. And there was a message of meeting him in a place called Aramur, which is a door in the rock in Peru, just in the border with Bolivia. And so we went there. And when we just arrived there, suddenly I became him. And uh, it was weird for my friends because they never saw me that way. And suddenly I just turned back to them and my face was different. And uh, they said, what happened? And I said, I did like this and two birds Ibis, the, the top birds, flew from, from me from behind. And then, and it was like, what is happening? Something weird was happening. He guided us to a whole path around the mountain to prove who would be accompanying me to this process. So he was testing us all the time. After all that, he says to me, there is a mistake in your calculations regarding where you have to go and what you have to do. He told me there are two ways to understand what we are doing. One is geologically and the other one is magnetically. So you have a geological North Pole and a magnetical North Pole. Todd told me you have to follow the geological one, but you will activate that in the moment when the North Pole changes and say, in a few years, the North Pole will change its position from the west to the east. So when that happened, it will be two years, 2020 and 2021, that the North Pole will be aligned with the physical North Pole. So in that moment, both networks will be aligned. And that's the moment to do a reconnection for what's going to come next. So that's the moment when everything should be done. And you have until March 2022. And so it was like, okay. <laughs> so, and after that, we cannot do it. And from there, they said, okay, the next step 
is to prepare yourself for that trip. So in 2018, I started to coordinate this huge trip around the world, getting ready for 2020. But everything was wrong. Like nothing happened, nothing happened. And it was like, no, no, no. So I had to wait. I had to, to expect. And I had no idea what. And they said, the grid is not complete because you need the people that connects the grid. And that was the moment when I started to come here to, to Gaia and film the first um, season of initiation. My name is Matias Estefano, and my purpose is to remember. When I came and I started to film this, I had no clue what it was about, because um, I thought that I was just come and film some videos and that's it, and I would leave. But suddenly, that made that a lot of people from all over the world, mostly in English, started to follow what I was doing, and the amount of people working with this got bigger, and people started to helping me to keep going, to do it. I had no clue that it was a part of that spread of the network of the people that we needed to accomplish the mission. In that time when I was filming and organized everything for the trip, my mom said, this year, 2018, it's going to be seven years from our first 11-11 gathering, 2011. And we start thinking about it and taking all the things out. And suddenly we we thought, maybe we have to do it again. And I said, I don't know, let's ask. So I went to Capilla del Monte and I traveled there and went to the mountains for a meeting. Uh, and I said, it's been a centennial. And, and they said, yes, it's the perfect timing to do this because after you will have to take the energy that we are going to work here so you could go to to your trip and do what you are supposed to do. So we started to organize everything for this new gathering. And people were really excited because it's been seven years without doing that. It was very magical, the first one. So November 2018, it was a perfect meeting of almost 4,000 people. All the people that came were acknowledged of the task. It was not like what we are doing here. It was like specifically to connect time, past, present and future, uh, during three activations and meditations. And in each one of them, one of the Americas had to open the doors. So the grandmothers of these native cultures of the three Americas were there to do the opening. And it was very beautiful because they were accompanied by a woman that representing the shamans of that territory, of the Capital Monte. So the four of them were opening the doors for everyone to do the ceremonies. And I was channeling during each one of the meditations. And they gave me there all the information of what was going to come and all the energy for the next stage of the I am. So after Cabilla del Monte 11-11, I came back here to States to film with Kaya. 
for new seasons. In these new seasons, I was supposed to talk about my memories in Egypt, in Kem, but I had all these things in my head, like uh, the mission, the connection, everything. And suddenly when I was talking about all this, I was describing how the Syrian people came to this planet. And suddenly I started to wonder why I remember them. And I started to wonder why I I am doing this. Why I know what is going to happen. Why are they telling me what to do and not all the others around me. So I was starting to see everything around me like if I was there. Like if I was walking with them in the, in the same halls and I start to see how they were in front of me. We're all covered with these veils and we were not supposed to look to them into their eyes. Suddenly when I was explaining this in the camera of how, how everything looked like and how everything was, I remember that we were all like this, bowing in front of them as they were talking. And I looked, I looked up and I stared into the eyes of one of them. And it was kind of like the memory. I, I just knew, I remember that moment that the reason why I remember now everything is because I saw it in it, his eyes. So it was like suddenly knowing why I had to prepare myself to do all this. It was because I did a mistake of staring into its eyes while they were talking about the future. Realizing that was like, in somehow blaming myself for everything that I was doing and everything that I have done and everything that I am doing, like not being in a normal life, not being able to do something simple. I started to, to say I shouldn't have seen this. I, I was not supposed to look into the eyes. So I broke <laughs> in that moment. And when I was just explaining about the environment, I realized about this. I just fell down crying in the studio and <laughs> not knowing what to do. It was, it was a weird thing that happened. And I couldn't come back to, to me for a while and until I could process and accept that it was because I saw into their eyes that I am doing all this, that I remember the future. In 2018, I received the message of everything changing and they said this was because there was a portal, a very important port portal that would take two years to close and we had to take a benefit from it. That was the portal of time and space. They said, look into the numbers and you will find out which are the dates. So the key was the number two, time and space, two things. So I said 2020, 2020. So February 2nd, 0202, 2020. 2222, it's eight. So it's the infinite time. So the portal of time would start that day. And the last day of the portal would be 12, which is space. 
which number would give me 12? That would be February 22nd, 2022. So in between the age, space, and 12 time, you would have the great portal, 2020-2021, from February to February 2022. So in that time, I was supposed to do the whole task. Connect the network, inform everyone what is the I am, and reach every spot in the planet. <laughs> and they said, and also, um, you, you have to do it while the entire planet stops and meditates. And everyone must think about the crown of the planet because the crown of the planet, the North Pole, is changing. So everyone has to have in their mind the crown of the planet. So one of my guides told me, you're not going to do this, do this alone, but you have to remember that you are not part of the circle. You are the center. You have to pick 12 persons that will help you to do the activation around the world. This was late 2019, and I did the list of people. One of them was my husband 12,000 years ago, who is a friend of mine now. He was one of the persons that 12,000 years ago, in front of the things, that was my first memory, told me whenever is needed and the moment it arrives, I will be here with you. Doesn't matter which time, doesn't matter our bodies. So I wrote to him and he said, of course they will go. So 12,000 years after, in front of the things, he was there with me, beginning this. <laughs> so it's a perfect cycle of 12,000 years of <laughs> working with someone. So I choose some of the closest friends that I would trust that we could do work with. And I took them all to Egypt for the portal of time. And we all together did this activation with 144 people that came also for us. And we went all to the Great Pyramid and did this activation to open this portal of time and to allow us to do everything that we had to do. And during this activation in February is when they told us that the world will stop. So I was supposed to go to France for one or two months to learn French because in one of the notes that I was supposed to go in the Indian Ocean, in the Austral territories of France. They only accept you if you speak French because the whole crew of the boats only speak French. So basically, you have to know French. So I said, okay, that's one of the notes, so I have to go, so I will go and learn French. So when I arrived to Nancy, where I was staying, my guides told me, so now sit down and wait four or five months until the next signal to come. And I said, but I have to start traveling because it's impossible in six months to do the whole trip. I need at least one year. If I don't start now, how am I going to do it? And I said, everything is changing. Now the planet will meditate. So it will be easier to get to those spots. All you have to do is to take care that everyone understands and what is the I am. I said, okay. Uh, I was a little bit frustrated because I've been, since 2015, organizing this trip. And they just said a few months before, no, it's not going to be done <laughs> that way. So I was like, okay. 
So I said, why all this? And I said, to learn, to learn stuff. So you learn many things. Now you know French. Congratulations. <laughs> so all these kind of things. And okay. So that's when we started to film another season of initiation in France. And we started to film also these stories that happened to me. And it was funny because I was telling all these stories and I remember uh, that I said, I, I can't tell these stories. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't feel the emotion to tell them. I, I, I feel lost. I was like frustrated because my trip was wrong and everything was bad. And I don't know. And I said, I don't know if this makes any sense to film all this. So I went to take a breath outside and suddenly in the wall, there was like, The symbol that I always do, which is this, is an old ancient symbol of, of alignment with the spirit and, and the soul. And it was like a dove in the wall with a symbol with the hand. And it said, you know what? Yes, it's all fine. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. I, I will keep filming. I will keep doing this because the signal was so clear. So I came back to Nancy for these three months of quarantine, but I couldn't hear any of my guides. I was asking, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And nothing, nothing, nothing. It was silent, silent, silence, totally silent. So I was like really concerned what to do. And this day that I wasn't expecting for anything, I went to the bathroom to pee. And while I was peeing, I just feel someone here behind and said, Now we have to talk about it. And I was like, why now? <laughs> why now? Let me just wash my hands at least. It's like, I don't know why they choose this moment. Sometimes they don't understand that the body has some needs. So they said, now is the moment to speak about it. We have to do this and this. And, uh, and so while I was in the bathroom trying to clean my hands, <laughs> uh, he was explaining to me about how the I am would be. So I explained all this. In YouTube, while I was ironing the sheets of the bed, everything was so weird. Uh, so they told me to do that, like, be normal. So I was just explaining all this while I was ironing. And and everyone was, I don't know if everyone got it, but but the message was there. So in this, in, in this process of not, I understood to clarify things, to make it more simple. Everyone got it when I was, when they saw me ironing and explaining that I was peeing and my guy told me about what is the I am. So they said, now you're ready to go to the place where represents everywhere in the world, which is the Great Pyramid of Egypt. So you have to go there and you shouldn't move from there for 365 days. So... At the moment that the borders were open again in France, I went to Egypt. It wasn't until I went for the first time in the pyramid that the masters came and told me, and the path will be 12 months, and you have to go every day inside the pyramid, connect with one node, and bring the information to the people of what is the I am according to that node. And once you complete the whole process of 12, which is the initiatic path of the I am starting in August, exactly the moment when the start of Sirius appears in the horizon. And that was the same day of my birthday, because it always changes. But 
that day I, I understood why the I am was supposed to be downloaded through me in 2015 during my birthday in Egypt. That day I understood, oh, this is why, because the first day of the year in 2020 was August 4th, which is my birthday. And it was not because of me, because of the star of Sirius appearing that day in the morning, which for the Atlantis was the beginning of the year. So we started that day. Every day I started to do a meditation inside the pyramid, download information of a specific code. I went back. I created a blog where I was supposed to write down all the information. I wrote about it in a conversation between I and am, which is my higher self. So all the conversation was I asking something, am answering. And all the process was to show people about my process of understanding all this. And every night I would do the transmission to explain this. And because of Gaia, I had to do it in English too. Hola a todos. Buenos días, buenas tardes, buenas noches. Hi everyone. Good morning, good evening, good night. I started to translate myself every sentence in Spanish and English. So it was heavy for many people, but for me it was really helpful. So people could get it faster because I had no idea what was going on every day. Every day was different. I had no clue. At least 4,000 people joined me every day live streaming and at least 12,000 or 13,000 daily were watching the video. So it was a whole year of connection with at least 12,000 people day by day in which we were aligning, meditating about every concept that makes up the I am. So the whole process of 12 months was perfect. And seven years after we began with the I am, August 8th, 2015. It repeated the same in August 8, 2021. That day, we got into the pyramid with many people and a huge frequency opened that from my mouth came sounds that I cannot do. And the presence introduced himself as Metatron. And I, we could feel every archangel and a choir of angels around and everything got so um, incredible that it expanded throughout all the network. And they showed me every one of the 12 faces of the planet as we were there anchoring in our bodies, being held by thousands of people around the world meditating that day. And then each one of us would come all together to do the same in Egypt, February 2002. Again, with all the people present there. And once it finished, they said, now you are ready to face the dragon. And dragon won't be this tree that you expect for it to be. It will be the connection with yourself, with the power that you have within, and face it to see if you are able to do that. What happened there in that, that moment, that pyramid, was like kind of a revelation of things that will come in 2024, 2026, 
all, all related to the download of that information coming. And it was so beautiful and perfect and balancing in that, that moment that I understood the last seven years and everything that happened and how perfectly aligned was every day and everything. It was like that day acknowledging that 2022 for me will be like the last exam after 12,000 years of work. When I started to connect all the energy that was needed for the portal, I was already connecting with one of those things that I saw in my dream in another world. My goodness. Okay. I think that we got the message that everything is changing. And um, we're going to go to something kind of different. This is our sister, Regina Meredith. And um, the topic is understanding women's health and biorhythms. And it says here, can understanding our biorhythms be the key to better health? Neuropsychophysiologist Kayla, Kayla Osterhoff, Osterhoff, uh, MPH, hmm, not quite sure what that means explains that every woman has four distinct biorhythm phases, previously unknown to science, each following the body's natural cycles, exploring how the biochemical state of each phase can affect our energy levels, our mood, our motivation, and our creativity. Osterhoff suggests we can learn to live in balance with our biorhythms, harnessing in harnessing inborn feminine power to create massive global evolution. Talk about change. And this is 46 minutes. Okay, Rama. Ooh. Let's do it. Heavenly days. I ended up in the field of neuropsychophysiology. There are actually many differences in how the brain functions and operates between men and women. The way that our societies are set up actually work against the female biology. It eventually leads women to burn out. Women's biology follows a cyclic nature because of the influence Mm -hmm. of their menstrual, their ovarian hormones. Women are psychologically programmed to think for the collective. And so you could say that the female brain is actually wired for leadership. Women are the greatest untapped resource 
that modern society has access to in order to create massive global change and evolution. It's decades overdue, but the world of neuropsychology is finally studying the unique characteristics of the male and female brains. And lo and behold, we're totally different. First off, the female brain is wired for leadership. So why aren't we in more positions of leadership? Kayla Osterhoff has spent years researching in this field of gender neurobiology and has come to some profound discoveries. Welcome, Kayla. We meet again. Yeah. I'm so happy to have you here. The last interview I did with you um, got such a response from women because they've never heard this reflected back about themselves. And it was very heavy female response on this. So first of all, um, let get into a little bit of your own background and how you ended up in this field. And then we're going to get into the history of why women were never even included in most studies, including pharmaceutical studies and so forth. Um, yet, we're having to contend with whatever the outcome of studies tailored for men are. So tell us about you first. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited for this conversation. And, um, you know, it's not surprising that we had a big response from women. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a, a nice response from men as well, just saying, wow, I've never heard this information yes. before. Yeah. Um, and it's not surprising because this information isn't widely publicly available. And hopefully, you know, our talks and interviews like this can start to shift that. It's really critical. It so how did you end up in this field? Yeah, so I ended up in the field of neuropsychophysiology because I am just fascinated by human behavior and what drives human behavior. And so I've studied the health sciences my entire life. Um, I studied in my undergrad health ecology um, and actually was on track to work in physical therapy. Um, but along that way, um, I actually had some experiences with my own family in the medical systems that shifted me to become interested in public health mm-hmm. and public health policy and public health systems. So I went on to get my master's degree in public health. Um, and then I went to work for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention yeah. for several years as a health scientist. And all along the way, I've had this fascination about what drives human behavior and also, you know, how our biological and neurological processes work. Um, and so now I'm pursuing my doctoral degree in the field of neuropsychophysiology, which is the field of mind-body medicine or the mind-body interaction and the interaction specifically between the brain and the mind. Yes. Yeah. And um, our connection uh, was Katrine Valinsky, who I've had on this show before, and she's hardcore on the science part. And she said, you have to interview Kayla because you're doing breakthrough work. So with that said, now let's go into the history of how women have been excluded historically, especially in the past, a little, little different in the last 23 years from uh, trials and studies. Yeah. So women actually represent the largest gap in our health science research and understanding of human biology which is really kind of concerning and interesting. That's half the people on the planet. Exactly, mm-hmm. right? You know, we're talking about actually 51% mm-hmm. of the population um, that is really not well represented 
in the clinical research and also greatly misunderstood. And so this actually goes back to the beginning of research, but this was solidified back in 1977 when the FDA formally banned all women of childbearing potential from all clinical research. Now, this ban remained in effect until 1993 when it was overturned. Yeah. And even since then, the damage has been done. And to this day, surprisingly, shockingly, women are still very underrepresented in our scientific research. Now, this is because of a couple of really good reasons, though it doesn't make it right. 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 Um, but one of the reasons is that women are risky research subjects. And what I mean by that is that women can potentially become pregnant mm-hmm. at any time. And so for safety, researchers leave women out of research because of that potential that they could become pregnant during the study. Mm-hmm. So, of course, this is women of childbearing potential. Right. Um, but that's and then, still a large age group. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. It's still mm-hmm. the majority of mm-hmm. women. And the other reason is that women are difficult research subjects. And what I mean by that is that we are biochemically and neurochemically changing consistently throughout the course of a month. And this is not the case with our male counterparts who are consistently the same day in and day out. 24-hour cycle, hormonally. In a little bit, we're going to break down those cycles of the female on a 28-day basis and see where the potential lies for us to really, as you call them, develop our superpowers. So before we go into all of that, you and I were joking before about, I said to you, can you fathom what in the world it would take to have a a group of women in an encampment living in horrid conditions, waiting for the crack of dawn and on orders from their commander, run into opposing bayonets. I can't fathom any circumstance in which you would find a group of women doing that, right? (laughs) And so we were joking about this because there's a reason that men can do that and do do that and that women probably would likely never do that. So let's just go there to begin with, because I love the story of consequence. Yes, and thank you for bringing out consequences. This is so important when we're talking about human psychology mm-hmm. um, and exactly what you're talking about, these differences between men and women psychologically. When we're looking at women and we're looking at women's psychology, we see a couple of differences in the way that we mentally operate, Right. And of course, women have been regarded as emotional and as, um, you know, leading with their hearts instead of their minds, maybe. And that's not necessarily accurate. But what is happening is that women are psychologically programmed to think for the collective. And what that means is passed down through generations and generations of women who have been in caretaker roles. Right. So this is passed down Mm -hmm. epigenetically through generations of women, the ability to think for others or think about the impact of our behaviors on those around us. As moms, you want to make sure your kids grow up, make it into adulthood and and your parents and so forth. Just make this is the way we've evolved for a purpose. Someone has to be taking care of the kids and someone has to be testing the edges. Yes, exactly. And so this is actually one of our superpowers for leadership as women. 
because we are constantly concerned about how our actions impact those around us, we make decisions for the collective or thinking about the impact on the greater collective. So when you think about that in a leadership role, that's actually a great quality to have. You might want to think an essential quality. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the way we've been set up historically as a result of the church and patriarchal times, and we go through waves and we become, we're just now emerging from a very heavy period of patriarchy for thousands of years where the men have been become in control and dominant. This whole notion of consequence has been thrown aside. And what we see is just perpetual war, mm-hmm. um, grabbing other people's stuff and trying to claim it as your own, as your own territory and so forth. And I would like to hear both sides, why this comes more naturally to men to do it that way and why the women would respond in the opposite manner. Yeah, so when you're looking at the neurology of men and women, there's many differences, but one really interesting one that impacts our behavior and what drives our behavior and the differences between men and women are specific neurotransmitters, so neurochemicals that impact our behavior and regulate our neurological function. So when we're looking at our male counterparts, their master neuroregulator that kind of sets the pace for everything else and keeps everything in order is dopamine. Go, go, go. Yes. Yeah. And dopamine is our reward chemical of the brain. And so if you think about looking in society, not only with war and things like that, but if you just look at the constructs and environments and infrastructures that we have in our society, they are very dopamine driven, meaning that our society is set up in such a way that we are getting constant hits of dopamine, you know, making achievements or checking things off our to-do list or getting rewards and recognition and accolades, things like that are little hits of dopamine that can happen, right? Okay, so, that, so you're getting that reinforcement and you have adrenaline feeding into it yes. if it's a high-risk situation, for yes. example. And I remember uh, one of the studies, a million-plus people globally, MRIs of male and female brains, that center that takes consequence into consideration isn't as well lit up in men as it is with women. Yes. Um, so there are actually many differences in how the brain functions and operates between men and women. And so going back to that master neuroregulator, Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about that is for women, our master neuroregulator is not dopamine. It's oxytocin. And you know what oxytocin is? Yeah. It's given the nickname, the cuddle hormone, right? right? That's, you know, the mother and baby. Mm -hmm. It's about connection. Mm -hmm. Yes. So in order for women to operate neurologically at an optimal level, they need to have healthy levels of oxytocin. So if you really think about that, think about society and the women out there working in the workforce in this dopamine-dominant kind of situation day in and day out, they're getting all these hits of dopamine, but maybe they're not getting enough opportunities for oxytocin. Right. Oh, this has so many implications. Continue, and we'll get into some of them. Yes. And so the even more interesting and maybe even devastating part about this is that dopamine squelches oxytocin. And yet, in this post-industrial world, all of our systems are set up on that male model that produces dopamine. This is devastating. Yes. 
Because I said in the open, why aren't women in more leadership positions? Well, you have the obvious, you know, if you're going into deep banking structures, good old boys club, personal connections through society and so forth. I get all that. But as you keep descending kind of from that level, still women aren't represented properly yet in leadership capacities when we're naturally oriented to to do that well. So let's talk about that and why it's not happening and why it probably shouldn't even happen the way it's structured right now in Mm. the workforce. Mm. Yes, you're exactly right. Um, And, you know, what we're talking about is how women are really wired for leadership, though we don't see this reflected in the statistics. You know, maybe there's in between 18 and 20 percent of women in leadership roles and positions across the United States. Uh And why isn't it more equal or even flipped the other way? Right. And that's because of many things, as you mentioned. But one major, major piece goes back to this scientific gap, this gender gap in our research. Women are completely misunderstood. Women are not well represented in the scientific literature and education. So what this boils down to is that, one, our environments and our infrastructures and even expectations are set up to really work well with male biology Mm -hmm. and the male biorhythms, which we'll talk about in more detail in a minute. But um, it really aligns well with what's going on with the male body and is a lot in alignment with the male biological needs. But for women, we really miss the mark. And that's because we don't have the same understanding about how women operate and what we're just now starting to find out, or at least from the scientific community perspective, is that women's biology follows a cyclic nature, meaning that Women, as we mentioned before, are biochemically, neurochemically, and physiologically changing significantly throughout the course of a month because of the influence Mm -hmm. of their menstrual, their ovarian hormones, and their menstrual cycle. Now, this has a global impact on their body and how it operates. And so what this means is that women require different environments, infrastructures, schedules, Mm -hmm. and even lifestyle components to support their ever-changing biology. Now, as women, we're never given the operation manual for this feminine biology that we've been gifted. I say we've been gifted because it's so brilliantly designed, but we were never given the user's manual. Right. So we're not operating at our full capacity. Well, and you think of this, you know, just getting down to brass tacks, so to speak. You think about a war room situation where it's being with the generals and the various people that consult are in on the meeting and what's going to happen, whether it's going to be aggressive action taken or not and so forth. Well, it seems to me that that could only flow better if you had women in it. Now, maybe you wouldn't have a war room to begin with. Maybe you would. I don't know. But it seems it would be natural for women to be have a a stake in that game, a a say in that game, because they're always looking at the long-term consequence and the consequence for all. Yet they're not in those rooms. By and large, they're not in those rooms. And I'm not saying this to slam men, but you have the wrong people at the helm, particularly in military situations. Mm -hmm. But then the military situations are there because 
we've been having this dopamine-driven culture for thousands of years. This is just kind of a, a little dying remnant of it in a certain sense. So now let's go into what happens with the guys that are in that war room, mm-hmm. their 24-hour cycle and dopamine and how it actually for them kind of works in this system as it exists right now. Yeah, so as I was mentioning before, that kind of a system, first of all, a repeating daily system, which is how our society is set up, but even kind of that high-pressure situation where you're going to get lots of hits of dopamine Mm -hmm. works really well for men. And so they really thrive in that kind of a situation. That's why football and spectator sports and getting jacked up and and even as a spectator, not less, no less a participant. That's really kind of critical for that dopamine production. Yes, absolutely. And so men are thriving in these kinds of environments, which is wonderful because we absolutely need masculine leadership in this world. And the great thing is we have a lot of representation of that already. Now, what we need to work on is representing feminine leadership in this world. And the two are necessary. We need both. Absolutely. And both need to marry mm-hmm. so that we can shift and evolve our culture and our society forward, which as you and I know, and probably all the viewers know, we need that now oh, more absolutely. than ever. So let's talk about the 24-hour cycle of men and then go into the much more complex cycle of women and how would that work in that situation? Yeah. So the male biology as you mentioned, is set to the pace of what are called the adrenal hormones. Now, this is a daily repeating 24-hour system, hormonal system, that is driven by cortisol, our stress hormone, and melatonin, our sleep hormone. Now, these two hormones influence and set the pace of the greater male physiology and all biological processes. So every day, day in and day out, men are pretty much consistently the same. Now, when we look at our women, it's a very different situation. Yes, we have those same adrenal hormones. We have cortisol and melatonin, and we have a sleep-wake cycle. However, our biology and our greater physiology across all systems are not set to the pace of those hormones They are set to the pace of two very different hormones that come from our ovaries. So our ovarian hormones, estrogen and progesterone. Now, the interesting thing is that estrogen and progesterone is set to a monthly cycle, meaning that these two important biochemicals ebb and flow throughout the course of the month. So there are certain times during our cycle where we have higher levels of estrogen and there are certain times when we have higher levels of progesterone. So how is that reflected in how we function in the world and our capabilities? Yes. So what's really fascinating is when we look, again, going back to those brain scans of men and women um, and the differences, when we look at the female brain, what we see is that there are certain areas that have high densities of estrogen and progesterone receptors, Mm -hmm. namely the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the hypothalamus. And explain what each one is responsible for. Yes. Now, these three areas collectively are responsible for many leadership qualities, including discernment, decision-making, mental acuity, emotional intelligence, and memory consolidation amongst other things Mm -hmm. as well. 
But all of these qualities are very, very vital for good leadership. Mm-hmm. And so you could say that the female brain is actually wired for leadership. And now going back to that cyclic nature of those those hormones. Right, because just to interject for a moment. So from a woman's point of view, you have periods of the month where you're feeling highly energetic, highly creative, maybe highly intuitive. And you feel like you're on a slippery slope. The energy is waning. Uh, you don't have a lot of energy or desire and yes. so forth. So let's talk about what makes that happen and how do we work that into life. And then we're going to talk about women leaving the workforce. Yes. So this monthly cycle that we have that's driven by those changes in those ovarian hormones impacts our physiology at large. And so not only does this have an impact on our reproductive system, Mm -hmm. but it has an impact on our cardiovascular system, our Mm -hmm. respiratory system, our neurological systems, you know, our central and peripheral nervous system, our metabolic function, and literally everything. And so our physiology is changing so much over the course of a month that you could actually say that women are actually four different people throughout the course of a month considering the four different phases of the menstrual cycle. I think cycle. a lot of men would agree with that. They'd say, geez, I can't, I don't know who she's going to be. And it's a cliche, mm-hmm. but there is a certain amount of truth to it. But we're also not rocking the power in it. Exactly. And this is the beauty and this is the divine nature of the female biology that is so brilliantly designed because each of the four phases has their own benefits and their own limitations. So let's talk about it from day one of the cycle. Yes. So phase one is the menstruation phase. And unfortunately, the majority of women out there, because of the lack of education that we have about our bodies, are really only aware of this first phase, but it's only one of four. So in phase one menstruation, this is marked by the lowest levels of estrogen and progesterone, these two key ovarian hormones that set the pace of our biology at large. Now, because estrogen and progesterone are at their lowest levels in phase one, our energy levels are naturally lower during this phase because we're actually producing less ATP mm-hmm. to energize our cells and perform all the functions that we need to perform. So we have a little bit less fuel available to us during that first phase. We also see our metabolic function slow down. Mm-hmm. And what we see neurologically is kind of a different story. So as things shift neurologically to kind of match this ebb of those hormones, what we see is that women have enhanced cognitive empathy, especially during this phase. Now, that is just a fancy scientific term for intuition. Mm -hmm. So a woman's intuitive insight is heightened during phase one of her cycle. With the estrogen and progesterone kind of tanked for that period. Yeah. So if you think about this, how brilliant is that? Our body knows exactly what it wants and needs in order for us to tap into that superpower that we get. It is telling us, slow down. And Mm -hmm. it's actually not only telling us, it is slowing us down. Yeah, It is slowing us down and it's telling us, hey, go inward, focus a little more inward so that you can tap into this cognitive superpower of this heightened intuitive insight. 
So this is a great time for assessment. This mm-hmm. is a great time for internal reflection or reflection on your projects. If you think about, you know, women in leadership roles, this is when you should be doing your analysis mm-hmm. and your strategic kind of planning and moving things around. Um, this is when you can allocate your resources most effectively because you're going to be able to utilize that intuitive insight that you have. Interesting. So that's the time. If you're in a capacity where you work for yourself or it's a small corporation where you have, you can manage your time as you wish. If women were aware of this, this would be, as you say, the time of assessment and planning. Beautiful. Absolutely. Now, what we typically see is that we bypass this superpower. We kind mm-hmm. of skip over it. Drink more coffee, get more energy going. Yep, because we ignore those cues yeah. from our body yeah. and we say, oh, forget about that. I'm not going to have lower energy right now. I'm going to drink an extra cup of coffee and I'm going to take all these supplements to ramp up my metabolism and my focus and I'm going to work out really hard and I'm just going to push through. Get back on that train. Okay. I'm just going to push through. <laughs> and this yeah. comes from the idea that consistency is the key to success. But I am here to tell you and all women out there that consistency is the killer for success for us because we need to do things in more of a fluid way. I love that. I love that. And thank you because so many women feel the truth in what you're saying already. So let's go to the next three phases. I think this is just such new and exciting information for both women and men. And because it helps us understand each other so much better. So let's go to phase two. Yes, absolutely. So phase two is called the follicular phase. And I have to give a little bit of a caveat because each phase doesn't fit perfectly into its own little box. However, the overall shifts in our biochemistry and our neurochemistry and our physiological function is marked by four different phases and Mm -hmm. what's going on with our ovarian hormones in those phases. So phase two is the follicular phase, and this is marked by a steady rise to a peak in estrogen, one of those key ovarian hormones. Now, estrogen does some really interesting things to us, including it starts to ramp up our production of ATP. It starts to elevate our energy levels. It also starts to help us increase our stamina, our endurance, our power, our strength, and it increases our metabolic function. Of course, that goes along with it. But when we look at what's going on neurologically and cognitively, what happens is we get enhanced ability for navigation and enhanced ability for kind of strategic action. So what we also see that's really interesting in this phase is enhanced emotional intelligence. So as we move through the follicular phase, our navigational strategic movements are enhanced. So if you think about this, it can be really a game changer in our roles and especially in leadership roles as women when we can start to understand and map out our lifestyles and our efforts Mm -hmm. to match what's going on in our bodies. Right. So phase one, we're doing our analysis. Mm-hmm. Phase two, we're shifting into action and we're able to navigate more effectively. And in tandem, you know, our emotional intelligence is rising. So we're going to be able to communicate more effectively and interact with our teams 
in a more profound way. Mm, wonderful. Okay, phase three. So phase three is the ovulatory phase. And this is a very short phase between one and three days, depending on the woman. And every woman is different as well in the length of her cycle. But phase three, the ovulation phase is marked by the peak of estrogen, but also the peak of luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone. And so this is, yeah. yeah. And so this is the phase that I have nicknamed the bloom phase. Because this is when women are in bloom. They're feeling their very best. Their energy levels are at their highest. Their power strength and endurance are at their highest level. And they are just feeling cognitively on fire. They're feeling very focused and very energetic. And when we look at this cognitive benefit that comes online, we have more charismatic influence during this time. We're more magnetic, you could say. That's key for leadership to have that phase. Yeah. Now think about this. If we could leverage that to do our pitches. Right. Any presentation, whatever you're in, your presentation, uh, that's, uh, that's so important to know and we haven't a clue. So we have a a time designed in our own cycle as women where we can really pull out the best in ourselves to charismatically influence an outcome. Yes, absolutely. And we are feeling socially outwardly focused during this time, which is a contrast to, you know, for instance, menstruation phase one, when we're feeling a little more subdued, Mm -hmm. but during phase three, not only are we feeling very energetic and outwardly focused, but we also have a nice boost in our mood boosting neurochemicals, namely serotonin, dopamine, Mm -hmm. epinephrine, and norepinephrine. So we have a little boost in these mood chemicals that also makes us feel very energetic and vibrant um, and magnetic during this phase. Phase four. So phase four, this is my favorite phase of all. This is what I have nicknamed the grow phase. And what I mean by that is our brain and our ability to learn is actually growing during this phase. And luckily, this is the longest of all four phases, about two weeks. Again, it's different for every woman. But during this last phase, which is called the luteal phase, this is when the key player, the star of the show, becomes progesterone. And it shifts from estrogen. So as progesterone rises to a peak, there's some really interesting things that happen neurologically for women. One of them is that we get a boost in a neurochemical called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF. Now, this neurochemical has some really cool impacts on the human brain, one of which is increased neuroplasticity. Oh, interesting. So you can stretch and grow. Yeah. So neuroplasticity is related to neural pathways, Mm -hmm. and you can think of neural pathways as related to behaviors. And so our ability to change our behaviors and learn new things and create new neural pathways and get rid of old neural pathways that we don't necessarily want is heightened during this phase. So let me ask you this. Once you understood all of this, you, I assume you started applying it to your own life. And did you notice a difference in your levels of um, intuition, productivity, and everything? Oh, yes. 
Absolutely. <laughs> it's been a game changer. Um, and all of the women who I've had the ability to teach this to have experienced the same thing. And it's so amazing to watch the light bulb turn on for women when they learn about their body and they actually get permission to be for different people throughout right. the course of the month right. and operate differently and tap into these superpowers. It's just incredible. It's one of the most rewarding things that I get to experience. I bet. So going back to that brain-derived neurotrophic factor, it also influences our neurogenesis. So not only do we have a heightened ability to kind of shape and mold Mm -hmm. the brain and those neural pathways, but we also have a greater capacity to actually grow new neurons. Yeah, this is wonderful. Yeah. So again, our brain is actually growing Mm -hmm. and shifting. Our ability to learn is heightened during this phase. But there's also another neurochemical that comes online strongly during this phase, which is the GABA neurotransmitter. Now, the GABA neurotransmitter is involved in getting restful sleep and also memory consolidation. So we have heightened memory consolidation, which is important for learning. Mm -hmm. And we have this greater capacity, greater ability to get the benefits of restful sleep during this phase. Thank you so much. Thank you for breaking those down for us because I know women right now are stopping to write things down and say, holy cow, I had no idea. A couple of practical questions. So what happens if, say, a woman's on birth control? Does that change anything or does the same pattern apply? This is a great question. Yeah. So no matter what the woman's status is hormonally, she will be experiencing this cyclic nature to her biology. Mm -hmm. Um, So... If a woman's on birth control, which, by the way, is a form of of hormone replacement therapy, or if she's on hormone replacement therapy um, for a different purpose. Or postmenopausal. Or postmenopausal. Mm -hmm. Her body still operates in this cyclic fashion and still goes through these four phases. Now, with women postmenopausally, this gets a little more esoteric. Simply, I was going to say it has to be more subtle. So talk about this esoteric range then. Yeah, it's a little more esoteric just simply because there is not a lot of empirical evidence that shows that women still have this cyclic nature to their biology. Mm -hmm. And that's simply because it has not been researched whatsoever. Right. Um, You're going to fix that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. However, what we see with the anecdotal evidence of women from around the world, we're talking hundreds and thousands of women who report still having this ebb and flow in their energy levels, in their mood, in their cognitive function, even after menopause. And my theory as a scientist Mm -hmm. in what's going on with this is that even postmenopausally, women still have this cyclic nature to their biology that follows a monthly rhythm. And the reason for that is because for so many years, the majority of our lives, our biology and physiology has been groomed to operate in this cyclic Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens at menopause is the ovarian hormones that are really running the show for women pass on the baton Mm -hmm. to the adrenals, right? 
But that doesn't mean that at that point, women just turn into men, right? We still have much higher levels of estrogen and progesterone than our male counterparts. And because our body has been operating in this cyclic fashion for so long, we still operate in that way, or at least that's what the anecdotal evidence is showing. And as you mentioned, I really hope that the empirical research and evidence will catch up and start to take a look at this. Yes, and I want to get to a couple other major points and what time we have left. And one of them is the whole phenomena of COVID and having people begin working from home, having women who were going to offices and working in this most kind of industrial model that's more wired for dopamine and men were staying home and they were able to follow these rhythms better. And there has been a mass exodus of women from the workforce. And I'd like you to share that because I don't think they don't report that much on the news about this. Let's talk about what's happening and what's going to happen from here out. UK, for example, said, okay, everybody back to the office. We're done with COVID, right? Yes. So what's going to happen? What has happened and what's going to happen? Exactly. You are exactly right. In 2020, we had the largest mass exodus from women from the workforce that we have ever seen historically. And we have to put it in a fair place in that, yeah, we had COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you couldn't find daycare. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay, we get all that. Yeah. But- yes, and that's true. And that's largely the reason why we saw two times as many women leave the workforce than we saw men mm-hmm. um, because of our roles and our families and all of that. Um, however, you know, since schools and aftercare and all of these things have opened back up, we still haven't seen women rejoin the workforce in the same rates as we've seen men rejoin mm-hmm. the workforce. And so women are not going back to work. And so it does. It begs the question, why? What's going on? Well, it's because going back to the way that our societies are set up and the infrastructures are set up actually work against the female biology. Right. And working in that way, you know, that consistent repeating 24-hour system where there are the same expectations of performance day in and day out, it eventually leads women to burnout. Now, what happened in 2020 when we started to be able to work from home, women realized that they could do things differently and that they could operate in a way that actually feels better to them naturally. And statistically, I mean, the workload was, they were performing. They're, they were performing. Actually, I would argue that they were better. performing better, better because they were actually giving their body what it needed. Yes, yes. Now, they probably didn't have the scientific explanation about what's going on in their body, but they probably tapped into that intuitive insight and understood that it feels better in their body mm-hmm. to do things differently and have more flexibility mm-hmm. to do things differently throughout the month. And it's just so important that this information become mainstream Absolutely. and that corporations, uh, education systems, because this has to mean something very different for girls who are going through puberty versus boys going through puberty and the way the educational system is set up. Absolutely. It can't work for both considering these differences. Absolutely. Now, the silver lining, and, you know, I'm an eternal optimist, so I just always want to highlight the silver lining here, is that 
because of this experience that we had where we are experiencing sweeping changes across the globe all at the same time. And we are experiencing kind of this shocking experience of a global epidemic mm-hmm. across the globe, all people at the same time. This brings this really great opportunity for massive change and massive behavior change, yes. which is typically very difficult to achieve. And that's because of a couple things. So one is that when we experiencing traumatic or shocking or novel experiences, what happens in the human brain is that we get a boost in neuroplasticity, what we were talking about earlier in the cycles. Now, this is for all people, men and women. So right now across the globe, we have this enhanced neuroplasticity and this enhanced ability to learn, shift, and change our behaviors. Now, another thing that happens when we experience these new and shocking experiences is that it brings the subconscious mind forward, which typically can be kind of difficult to access. So these are kind of the programs that are set in the background of our operation as humans. Now, when that gets brought forward, we can more easily change those programs so that we can behave differently. Greater neuroplasticity Yes. in times of trauma. Yes. And so this is the greatest time to change. Absolutely. So now going back to those shifts that we need in order to support half of the population in a better way, we need to do this in a couple of ways. So one is more of a top-down approach, and that would be looking at these societal infrastructures, and especially in the corporate world, Mm -hmm. looking at the environments and infrastructures and schedules and starting to introduce some flexibility so that women can operate differently and in partnership with their bodies and their cycles so that they can perform at a higher higher level. level. Absolutely. It's going to be maybe a little more challenging when it comes to the educational system and how that can be worked out. So there's some kind of equity, Um, but it can be done. The problem is we have no knowledge and you, and that's why I love what you're doing. You're of a generation that is bringing this forward and going to really be able to now dedicate your life to this. And my understanding, I think when we talked last, you're working on an app. Yes. So I can't share too much about it okay. yet. Tell us a little bit though, because yes. how do we know where we are? Right. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Right. So it can be a little tricky for women to really understand what's going on in their body and where they are in their cycle. And especially if they're in those parts of their life cycle where they don't have an active period that they can use to track. Right. Or for other women who are on hormone replacement therapy and may not have that milestone that they can use to Mm -hmm. track. Well, because of those greater physiological changes, there are other metrics that we can use to track our cycles. So I've developed some technology, um, some femtech that will be coming out later on this year. I love it. And this will allow women of any walk of life to be able to understand what's going on with their bodies. 
And really, it will help to raise self-awareness, which is the first step that we need for mm-hmm. this massive Definitely. global change. Mm-hmm. And it will give them some education about a lot of the things that we discussed today. Right. To be able to fall, go into the, their own rhythms and use the powers of each cycle. Yes. Like you're doing consciously and some of the people that you've coached and worked with. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So going back to those global shifts that we need, this goes into that bottom up approach that's needed in tandem with that top down yeah. approach. We need education. We need to educate, especially our young women yes. about their bodies and give them that user's manual that we all desperately need. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I know you're on it. And Katrine said you have to interview Kayla. She is going to change the world in this mm-hmm. way. And I, I agree with that. If there's some one final thought you want to put out, we've got just a few seconds. Yes. The one final thing that I'd like to say is that I want everyone to look around and take stock of what we have the opportunity for right now. Women are the greatest untapped resource that modern society has access to in order to create massive global change mm-hmm. and evolution. Here. In order to tap into that resource, we need to support our women. Yes. One, women need permission to do things differently. Yes. And the second step to that is allowing them flexibility in order to do things differently. Nothing more to add to that. Kayla, thank you so much. And I would like to have you back once you have this app at a point where it's developed and available and we can see how we use it. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much for dedicating yourself to this just desperately needed body of information. Thank you so much. You can find out more about Kayla's research and app development by going to herbiorhythm.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. information for your mind. 
but to inspire you to directly discover your true nature. Samadhi is relevant now more than ever. We are at a time in history where we have not only forgotten Samadhi, but we've forgotten what we forgot. This forgetting is Maya, the illusion of the self. in our daily lives with little thought of who we are why we are here or where we're going most of us have never realized the true self the soul or what the Buddha called anatta that which is beyond name and form beyond thinking as a result we believe we are these limited bodies. We live in fear, either conscious or unconscious, that the limited self-structure that we are identified with will die. world, the vast majority of people who are engaged in religious or spiritual practices, such as yoga, prayer, meditation, chanting, or any kind of ritual, are practicing techniques which are conditioned, which mean... <laughs> it just started something new, but mm. if you could write that one down, Rama, I would think we could play that next week. Okay, I think I played this before. You do? Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, I do. Oh. oh. Well, Samadhi it is. Mm. Here's Samadhi, there's Samadhi, everywhere Samadhi. <laughs> Uh, how do you recognize if you're having samadhi, Rava? Mm. Be here now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, well, we've got a lot of friends on the other side. They all rooting for us, huh, Rava? Mm hmm. Okay, so this I will commence with here for the final sharing here tonight. This is our sister Caroline and a message to the light bringers uh, for this uh, 
the date here is for yesterday, June 17th. Uh, and this is uh, guidance from the Ascended Masters, the Galactics, the Earth Elements, the Fey Elders, for Fairy Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels, and other divine beings known as the Collective. This week we answer a question sent in by a light bearer regarding which news articles and reports to take seriously and which to disregard. So, my friends, this is Caroline. A community member has written in about an article they read recently that stated that two powerful countries have a plan to attack the United States, then occupy it. There are so many articles and videos being released now that dwell on Armageddon-type scenarios of large-scale destruction. People are hungry for information, and and it's to know what information to trust. Even the alternative media is too often controlled by corrupt sources. Don't we know that one? In this time, Humanity has the choice to, the chance, excuse me, to focus the energies we are receiving from our son Saul and from the great central sun to shift the energetic vibration of the earth and human life to a much higher level. Yet after thousands of years of disempowerment, Millions are looking for predictions about what is coming as though they had no determining determining influence over earth life. Many of us feel that all in the heavenly realms are assisting at us now and that humanity has not been abandoned. Yet the misinformation continues. What is your answer to to those who see these kinds of articles or interviews and wonder, or shall I say wonder, who or what to believe? The Collective. Greetings, friends. We are very happy to have this moment to speak with you today. This is indeed a great moment on your planet and an unprecedented one on all levels. Do you think, everybody? Do you think? Mm. The very chemical molecular makeup of Earth elements. Oh, how long are the things toward the end, Rama? Um. All together. Elements. Minus three minutes. Oh. Almost four minutes. Okay. Um, Including the human construct and are shifting so powerfully that you may have moments as you feel to be somewhere other than the earth you have known for eons. Did you want to tell me the other one? Um... Okay, we'll go on. 
tell me, you let me know this Three morning. Three minutes. Oh, very, very short. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Some are reacting to these shifts and changes with feelings of great uncertainty, which is entirely understandable. They then unconsciously follow the training humanity has been locked into for thousands of years to look to those who proclaim themselves to be well-informed or authoritative to try to grasp what is happening. Even the darker predictions seem to support the idea that this person or that is well-informed and that at least some information is attainable. And indeed, some of it is. Yet we would not look to most of your media sources to reveal such. (laughs) There is an entire construct created long ago to put forth forms of information that are in fact a lie. They are created to misguide human thought and human energies and provide only energetic disruption and and, and entrainment, a lowered vibration, and a mental distraction. You may correctly sense at times that some of those who speak from places of influence, including leadership positions, leadership positions, appear to be human yet are not. Their role is to spread confusion, fear, chaos, and dependence upon the aid, upon the old system of enslavement. Misinformation tends to be built on forms of psychological and energetic manipulation including provoking trauma responses. Much media will therefore use a variety of means, including symbolism, violent images, certain tonal frequencies, and neuro-linguistic programming to promote their message to the masses. Many of these messages bring up long-buried memories, Memories of of the traumatic events of humanity's past, including wars and other devastating events and circumstances. I remember I was just, um, those two gentlemen were, I think it was, they were talking about, uh, they didn't talk about World War One, World War Two, but this has been mentioned before. They just said the war period, and they went from, you know, the first half a century, pretty much, of this past century. So anyway, um, these may not be consciously recalled by human beings. Yet they nevertheless stir old fears and feelings of a need for self-preservation. These are orchestrated attempts to hold humanity in fear 
so that the higher frequencies flowing to us now will have less or an, of an effort or a far slower effect on the human spirit and human mind. We would say that these attempts, as loud and constant as they are, with entire film industries and other media behind them, are nevertheless failing to keep the human construct from evolving into a new light, being conscious, being consciousness, and the crystalline cellular structure. They fail because that which is built on deception and density no longer holds the same influence and presence in human life that it did help hold during the era of the Kali Yuga, the age of destruction. Yes, we're in Sat Yuga. Mm. <laughs> Though you still see Though you still see destruction occurring in some places on earth, you also now see new forms of birth and rebirth occurring as new constructs come forward. New forms of energy and communication, including telepathy, new forms of healing and health awareness, the creation of conscious communities, increasing levels of spiritual growth, all this and more emerges now, as well as the understanding that you are not alone in this universe. I'm just going to say blaze the violet fire in Ukraine, everybody. And uh, it's accountability time for sure, everyone. And uh, that was a very wise thing that was said earlier, too, that what Russia is doing is they're Special um, military operation. Ah, uh, yeah, but to, for the purpose of removing Nazis mm-hmm. that settled in southern Ukraine, and then they spread around. And I thought that was so interesting what Richard shared with us today. So we will continue here. We will speak briefly to the misinformation offered in the article you refer to, which is part of an overall dark construct to keep human thought locked inside of sectarian separatism and duality. As that time is at an end, even those who have been raised to the, to, to live in constant suspicion of any culture that appears to be at odds with the West are beginning to awaken. Blaze the violet fire, that sending all kinds of fancy weapons over there. Let that one become non-existent, cease and desist. They are becoming increasingly aware of the mental deceptions and energetic traps that have permeated the so-called free societies. Hierarchies are a construct created long ago by those who benefited from the use of advanced technologies, ones that appeared to be magical or divine, to those whose planet they had invaded or were ordered to govern. Though you may feel that invasions from other planets and 
and star systems occurred long ago and have no bearing have no bearing on now on earth life we would say there has been little interruption of certain forms of that influence for thousands of years until now now the higher light flows forward and the determination of human soul groups to move forward with earth's ascension and liberation has broken through much of the old forms of mental and emotional manipulation though not yet fully removed you are now increasingly conscious of those manipulations and how they are affecting you the ascension that one country could either not the assertion excuse me that one country could either annihilate or invade and occupy another can appear to be true outwardly yet the greater truth lies in the soul in the soul's determination of those involved whether they are in the in the role of aggressor or the role of defender what one chooses to experience in any one earth life can be a complex undertaking it cannot be judged from without though certainly the experiment of duality that earth and humanity took on eons ago took on eons ago has gone further in its extremes and gone on longer than could be called fruitful or positive we will say that it is not so that the united states will be destroyed or overtaken by any new invader that was decided some time ago of course there are those who in a last ditch effort to entrain humanity to the duality of good versus bad thoughts bad thoughts and beliefs will spread the idea that such events are not only possible but imminent no not <laughs> in truth this is an old story not a new one the united states has long labored under the occupying forces of the old power structure as has most earth life that structure has managed to either destroy or enslave not only the non-white rather also the white residents of that continent albeit in different ways as they have on every continent energetic entrainment can be a powerful form of enslavement and that method has been carried out against the human race on mass for thousands of years with only a few indigenous cultures small and well hidden amongst the natural environment managing to escape that long reach given that you may see that the answer to humanity regaining its sovereignty and soul-based freedoms does not lie in any one political construct as you know them this is one great reason why we speak often of nasara the national economic security and reformation act 
which though passed into law, is not yet fully enacted. Nasara is based on the precept that the principles of divine justice must be the baseline, baseline for all judicial and legislative constructs, all of earth life. It does not matter which country believes this or that, or that they have this army, or this or that political construct, which clearly puts them in the category of dangerous and aggressive, military or otherwise. Any aware and conscious person in the United States or any country that has had its turn at being a great empire will know that their own country has been judged by the world as dangerous and acquisitive. Moving into other others' territories, destroying lives and properties at will, and stealing resources they judge to be valuable. Human life has followed those paths for many centuries. Should you only now notice this and stress over it? We would say the best news source is your own higher mind your own higher self and their powerful wisdom and that which you command forth from divine wisdom itself. Ask to be shown what is truly happening on the planet. The answer will amaze you in beautiful ways. The trees will tell you. The air, soil, and water will tell you. Your own heart-mind of if steeped in the peaceful practice of meditating on what is a fifth dimensional and a higher reality, will reveal much to you. Realize that whatever occurs on the earth now, you have a powerful way in all, in all of it. Your energies, your intentions, your point of focus, whether mental, emotional, or otherwise, all of it goes into the great pot that is stirred by the movement of stars and planets and answers to the requirements of what you say is real or not real. What is it you would prefer to see upon the earth now? Release all ideas that proclaim you don't have a say in what is happening or that such things are out of your hands. Perhaps centuries ago we might have agreed to an extent, as humanity still lived under a group agreement and within an astrological area that noted the destruction of the old forms before the new ones had yet come into new, come into view. Yet we would say, that is no longer so, friends. This is your time to sweep aside all dire and false predictions from those seeking to influence your heart-mind to unwittingly support old structure that is crumbling even as we speak. We're almost done, everybody. I'm going to go a little bit over here. Yet do we weep for these? Wait a minute. It has lost its place of power and influence, and it wait and it and its walls of rage and desperation can be felt throughout the cosmos. 
yet do we weep for these who chose such a dense and difficult road for themselves and who are now welcomed into the path of light if they will choose such we cannot weep for them or for you dear ones neither of you is without choices without determinations or agency in creating your path most assuredly complications in earth life still exist yet so does your own co-creative power to de- to to determine your own group and individual experience far more than you assume and far more than any government or religions would want you to know these wonderful these powerful per- excuse me these powerful persons you fear these enemies you feel impressed by they are false constructs and you can erase their importance and eventually their presence on your planet the moment enough of you decide it is time for them to go and so we would say tune in only to that which you find encouraging positive beautiful and empowering now your nations are not disappearing nor giving way to some other new invader you are busy throwing off the shackles of the of the ones you have suffered under and who put out these misleading videos and articles to teach you to live in fear and dependence upon them you are the ones you have waited for and you are here upon the earth fully arrived and ready to lead earth life into the new era so announce nasara as real your ascension path as real your full empowerment as real if not now dear ones when namaste friends we are watching with you in these days of great change as the skies fill with your star family's presence great change is a is a foot and we are with you always namaste caroline oceana ryan and that lovely collective all right let's take us out rama what have you got there this is alan watts the beginning of everything all right And when you see human life as something that is just the same kind of thing as the shape of a tree or a cloud, you stop judging it. And you have to know that about yourself. And this is the beginning of everything. This is the beginning of every kind of wisdom. To see that you really don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to get any better than you are because with all your defects, your selfishness, your neuroses, your sicknesses and everything, well, fish have neuroses and sicknesses and so on, and so do plants. You've often seen plants that have got bumps on them or some queer little diseases and so on. That's life. But when you realize that you are an authentic projection of the universe, just as you are at this moment, 
Then there's nowhere to go, no need to do anything. And out of that peace comes energy. Real energy, instead of phony energy, which is trying to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. The usual kind of human energy, which gets progressively nowhere with more and more business. Your cells don't talk English. But they are a very, very subtly and highly organized thing. If you've ever seen a model of a living cell, you've seen the most fantastic object. And those cells are engaged in all sorts of activities. But they don't structure the world the way you structure it. Because they don't use that language. And so as you get into cellular awareness, you begin to feel rather like the artist who paints in a pointillist fashion. That everything is dots. Little tiny vortices. You become aware of the texture of things to an extraordinary degree. It's almost as if the world had been photographed through a screen which put into the senses a feeling of intense detail. As if every one of your nerve ends was now detected in sending its separate message to the brain. You will notice that Persian miniatures, if you look at them, you will see the artist is painting the world as the Arabian Nights described the secret garden into which Aladdin went, where all the trees were made of jewels, and where everything looked as precious as if it had been carved by a master carver. This fascination with what seems to be a world of infinite detail. And this, of course, is the world's paradise. As our friends were saying earlier, the birds are very happy. That's a good birds there. And and the scene at the end is this young lady is touching the unicorn. There's two of them, the two white unicorns in that scene. It's So we're going to add, see you with the fairies and the feathers and the rainbows and the crystals and the hobbits and the elves and the undines and the... Unicorns. See you in your dreams, everyone. Satnam. Satnam ji. Aho mitakuyasan. Dasara now. Aloha, everyone. Aloha.